Well, Stella, I made it, despite your directions. Ah, Editor-in-Chief Dustin, welcome. I hope you're prepared for an unforgettable luncheon. (laughs) (gasps) Oh, ye gods, my roast is ruined. But what if I were to purchase fast food and disguise it as my own cooking? (laughs) Delightfully devilish, Stella. Stella! Chief, I was just uh, searching my calves on the windowsill. Isometric exercise. Care to join me? Why is there smoke coming out of your oven, Stella? Uh, oh, that isn't smoke, it's steam. Steam from the steamed clams we're having. Mmm, steamed clams. Chief, I hope you're ready for some mouth-watering hamburgers. I thought we were having steamed clams. Oh, no. I said steamed hams. That's what I call hamburgers. You call hamburgers steamed hams? Yes. It's a regional dialect. Uh Uh-huh. What region? Uh, upstate New York. Really? Well, I'm from Utica, and I've never heard anyone use the phrase steamed hams. Oh, not in Utica, no. It's an Albany expression. I see. You know, these hamburgers are quite similar to the ones that they have at Krusty Burger. Oh, 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 no. Patented Stella Burger's old family recipe. For steamed hams? Yes. Yes, and you call them steamed hams despite the fact they're obviously grilled. Uh, you know, one thing I should... Excuse me for a second. Of course. Ah, well, that was wonderful. Good time was had by all. I'm pooped. Yes, I guess I should be... Good Lord, what is happening in there? Uh, Aurora Borealis? Uh, Aurora Borealis? At this time of year? At this time of day? In this part of the country? Localized entirely within your kitchen? Yes. May I see it? Uh, no. Well, Stella, you are an odd gal, but I must say, you steam a good ham. Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaking. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute... Something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, Boy Wonder, I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusaders. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. Because you know I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, 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 bass. Yeah, it's pretty clear. I ain't no size two, but I can shake it, shake it like I'm supposed to do. Cause I got that boom, boom that all the boys chase. All the right junk in all the right places. I see the magazine working that Photoshop. We know that this ain't real. Come on now, make it stop. If you got beauty, beauty, just raise them up. Cause every inch of you is perfect from the bottom to the top. Yeah, my mama, she told me. Sawate, 
I'm your host, Stella, and this is Backworld to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon Podcast, Episode 144, the San Diego Comic-Con 2017 Special for July MMXVII. This special also stars Donovan Morgan Grant, Joshua Lappin Bertoni, and Josh's young ward, Ben. So some of my stories and anecdotes will include them, just so you know what the cast of characters is. Backworld the Oracle is brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out MileHighComics.com. Backroll the Oracle is a proud member of the Batman Universe family of podcasts. Hashtag TBU family. Support TBU and subscribe to the show on Patreon by going to TheBatmanUniverse.net. Okay, so before I get into sort of my diary, the diary of Stella, and all the audio clips, I've got some, uh, some warnings, some caveats for you. First of all, if you are new to the show, because when I was in San Diego, I was getting lots of new Twitter followers, and I thought to myself, gee, that's no pressure at all, because do these people know what they're getting into? (laughs) So welcome if this is your first show. If this is going to be your only show, listening to the recap, I still appreciate it, uh, so that my hard work was not in vain. So welcome. Secondly, someone told me as I was compiling all of these audio interviews, I thought to myself, yikes, this is going to be a long episode. Do you remember that one year I accidentally lied because I thought, oh, this probably won't be more than two hours, and I think it turned into five. That's because as I'm recording and speaking to you right now, this portion usually takes up 30 minutes because I'm just talking about what I did. I don't know until after I put in everything how long it's going to be. I hope it's not five hours. Someone that sometimes is a friend, sometimes is not a friend, said that no podcast episode should go longer than a production of Hamlet. Now, there was a production of Hamlet, which in fact starred Kenneth Branagh, that went for four hours and two minutes. You can in fact get that on the DVD. So maybe I will get to the four hours and two minutes and it will be okay. So apologies if you're not looking forward to to a long episode. And my final thing is there are five days that I'm working San Diego Comic-Con. I understand also that if you're listening, maybe you only want to hear the comic people or maybe you only want to hear Batman and Harley. I'm not going to give timestamps for every single one of the audio recordings, but I will on the episode info. Hopefully you've already seen that. Let you know at what timestamp each of the days starts. So now you need to listen closely because I'm going to tell you what happens in each day very vaguely. So if you are only interested in something, then you'll go to that day or that time stamp that I have listed. So Wednesday, the only thing is Tom King. And then, of course, implied with that is all of the shenanigans and stuff that I get into. Thursday, if you're interested to the rest of the comic interviews that I did, that includes Jody Hauser, James Tynion IV, Julian Shauna Benson, Marguerite Bennett. That's Thursday. Friday, I had press with The 100 or The 100, Young Justice, Batman and Harley. 
Saturday, I had press for Arrow and Supergirl. And Sunday, I had press for Lego DC Superhero Girls Brain Drain. So if you're interested in some of those things specifically, stop now, think about it, go to the info list and check that timestamp and go there. So there you go. Those are my warnings. So now sit back and relax and listen to The Diary of Stella as I go through what I did from day to day, as well as all of the audio that I will be plugging in. I can only imagine how huge this file is going to be. Together again. Gee, it's good to be together again. I just can't imagine that you've ever been gone. It's not starting over, it's just going on together again. Now we're here and there's no need remembering when. Cause no feeling feels like that feeling. Together again. Well, it all starts on Wednesday, friends, and it's interesting because I never really think about San Diego being an endurance race until I'm actually in the moment, and I sort of forget about it. Perhaps it's like this bad thing that I just want to put out of my mind afterwards, but it really is an endurance race. I was lucky last year that I was able to fly out of the regional airport, which is around where I live. Unfortunately, I had to go back to Richmond this time, so a bit of a drive, and I like to get to San Diego a little bit earlier on Wednesday. It doesn't need to be super early, but, you know, afternoon, especially since I know that Josh and Don are going to get there around that time as well. Unfortunately, there were polar opposite options. I could get there early around 10-ish or late, like 6, 8 p.m., and then I kind of miss preview night. And so with the 10 a.m. comes a very early East Coast departure at 6.20. So on Wednesday, I woke up at 2.45 a.m. and I drove to Richmond and I got there. So really, if you think about it, I got up Pacific Coast time at 11 p.m. And so then, you know, I go to bed at 12 a.m. Then, So really, the first day is like 24 hours, which is the worst, because then you're carrying that with you for the rest of the con. But anyways, you know, it was lovely that I didn't have, like last year, the urine phone and all of that stuff that went down. I didn't have to make my first purchase, a, you know, $300 purchase being a new phone. So praise Jesus that that didn't happen. So, plan, uh, flight was fine. Met up with uh, all three of my friends, two, and then young Ben, whom I had not yet met. And we ended up uh, heading out to the hotel that we would stay at. And this was nice because we got there really early and we were able to just sort of chill in our hotel rooms. And then we 
were able to go get a bite to eat and then go to preview night. And not much, I'd say, happened that would be very interesting. They've moved the the registration and everything upstairs. I guess I did that last year. Maybe I blanked it out, but that was just super annoying. All this just weird way to traverse through to get your bag and everything. And I never really liked the bag. I mean, if there's a point where they have back roll in the bag, then I'll absolutely love it. But it, I just never like carrying those around. And each of the bags had a special pin attached to it. It was a DC character. I only saw three different ones. I saw Superman, Supergirl, and Arrow. And Superman was by far the most that I had seen. I wish I could have gotten another one, but Supergirl was, in fact, the one that I got. But, hey, that is okay. So the con isn't really open very much on Wednesday, but Wednesday is usually the day that I go through and take pictures of merchandise and statues and things because it gets crowded and it's more and more difficult to actually look around. And I noticed at DC that they were going to have some signings and Tom King was going to be one of the people to sign. So Josh came up with the idea that maybe we should try to, near the end of the con, we should try to get him to talk to us just for a short amount of time because he wasn't on our our list of press interviews to do. And so we were able to snag him. I talked with him for a little bit in the in the signing line and we were able to check with PR and so we got a 5 minute interview with him which was very nice and uh here's that interview now hey hey tom uh lots of interesting stuff happened with batman lately you just got finished with the button what was it like coordinating that and you know all of this uh, stuff that went into there first can i just say thank you for everything you guys do and thanks for interviewing me and i don't know i really appreciate your site oh thank thank you Um, you give us content. If Batman wasn't, you know, uh, going back in time and fighting Reverse Flash, you know, what would we be writing about on our website? We are the Batman universe. The whole point of Batman is to get people to talk about Batman. That's that's, that's right. the point of the book. If you're paying two ninety nine for a book twice twice a month, it needs to spark a conversation. It can't just be about, you know, those eight minutes it takes to read the book. It has to be about the two hours you talk to your friends or listen to a podcast. I mean, that's the whole point is to do stuff that makes you think and makes you argue. <laughs> so with the button, what went into the planning of that? I know that we're stretching, you know, all the way back from the beginning of Rebirth. Yeah, I mean, that I mean that story goes way back and it was going to continue to go way far in the future. So that started with, with Jeff talking to me about it, I don't know, years ago, I feel like. Huh. And then, you know... Um, is Jeff Johns. He wanted to continue the story and sort of wanted to peek out and, and, and he, he approached us about doing it in Batman. Of course, we were like, yes, that'd be great. So then we worked closely with Jeff and Josh Williamson and uh, and the idea was that, that we wanted to... It's all one story, right? Like, all of Rebirth is, is one story and it's, it's, it's the tale of the, sort of the emergence of superheroes. It's a, it's a tale of hope and goodness and how sort of good defeats evil. And, and so we wanted to, to have Batman bleed into, bleed into that story and bleed out. So we had set up a bunch of stuff that came right to it and then came right out. But it took a lot of planning, yeah. And coming out of that, you know, he's um, he's in a funky headspace. And I know over in Detective, you know, he thinks Tim Drake is dead. So, you know, that's leaned into it. And um, so how does that all play into the proposal and engagement now of him and Selina Kyle? Yeah, it, it, it was all part of... That's all part of it. He is in that weird space that we sort of... 
we, we've been building up to this point where Batman has starting to deal with some of his emotional issues. In the I Am sort of trilogy, he was dealing with, you know, sort of his mother and, and the idea of, of what it means to sort of not let your mother go when she dies. And then we had in the button, he deals with this, this moment with his father that's incredibly important where his father says to him, don't be Batman. And sort of both of those things put him in this weird headspace. And again, you add that Tim Drake death to it where he goes off and he says, to be happy, I want to do something that's not just about sort of my parents' death. I want to do something that's about my own happiness. And he proposes to Catwoman. And whether that's the greatest mistake or, or sort of the greatest decision of his life, that's the mystery he has to solve. And um, was the Catwoman proposal something that was, you know, in your original story ideas, or was that stemming from, you know, all of the rebirth plans? Oh, yeah, no, no, Catwoman Proposal was there from day one, and the aftermath of that proposal is what drives the story forward. If you go back and look at the alternate covers for Batman number one, about half of them feature Catwoman. And people would ask me, like, why is Catwoman on so many covers? And I couldn't tell them. I was like, yeah, because this, uh, my story is going to be a huge Catwoman Batman story. So this is a moment that you've been planning for a while. Oh, yeah, since issue one, since mm -hmm. before issue one, since Rebirth number one, yeah. And this and and where this leads to is the moment I've been planning for ever. Yeah, you can. So, do you have any upcoming original villains? Yes, um, the arc that comes after jokes and riddles will have a whole new sort of setting and a whole sort of new set of villains. But I can't talk about it much. It's called a dream of me. Dream of me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. And we'll be looking forward to that. Are we seeing more of Kite Man? Yeah, did you read today's issue? No, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. I got you. So the way War of Jokes and Riddles works is you get two issues of Mikel, which sort of tell the story of the war, and then you get one issue called an interlude, and it tells the story of of the war from a criminal sort of experiencing that criminal's kite man. Nice. So it goes two issues of Mikel, then you get a kite man story, two issues of Mikel, and then a kite man story, and then two issues of Mikel. So yeah, so so built into the War of Jokes and Riddles, and part of the whole story is the origin of kite man and his impact upon Batman. Oddly enough. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you guys. I can incredibly appreciate you. After that, not much happened. Uh, I went back to my room, and while I am made fun of for it, I usually like to prepare for my interviews that I have the next day, and I knew that I had three for sure. And Actually, I knew I had two for sure. One I ended up being on standby for, and so I just like to go through and sort of memorize uh, like a script and things like that. And that was basically it. So I, I did go to bed late. That's just kind of what happens. And then early, early to rise on the next day. price of my love is not a price that you're willing to pay You cry in your tea which you hurl in the sea when you see me go by Why so sad? Remember we made an arrangement when you went away Now you're making me mad Remember despite our estrangement I'm your man You'll be back Soon you'll see You'll remember you belong to me You'll be back Time will tell You'll remember that I served you well 
Oceans rise, empires fall. We have seen each other through it all. And when push comes to shove, I will send a fully armed battalion to remind you of my love. Da 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 da. I was on standby for Jody Hauser, and I ended up. I, I always try to get to my interviews ten minutes early at the very least, just you know, put the name down and, and be waiting and everything, whether I'm on standby or not. And uh, luckily, I was able to get in to Jody Hauser, so that was nice. And uh, this was one of the books that I had read a couple issues, didn't really care for it, put it down. But then in knowing that I was going to interview her, I actually read all eight issues. And so I sort of double back and say that actually it is an enjoyable book, darker, sort of a different twist, I think, on Batman. Obviously, it's not Batman. It's Violet. It's Mother Panic. But uh, I have been enjoying it, so I do recommend it. And here is that interview now. Hey, it's So with the Batman Universe. I'm sitting here with Jody Hauser, the writer of Mother Panic. How are you doing right now? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Your book is, I love it. It's a little familiar, but it's a lot different. And I'm just excited to see where it's going. Thank you. I'm glad it seems to be connecting with people. It's always a little bit of a stressful point when you're bringing a new character into a universe like this if people are going to connect with them, if they're even going to check out the book. But the response I've gotten from fans has just been lovely. People seem to really be digging Violet, uh, which is good because I dig her too and I want to keep writing her. That's great. So Violet doesn't want to be called a hero. Dr. Varma doesn't call her a hero, but she's doing some good, maybe accidentally. What term would you use to describe Violet? Uh, 
She's so complicated, it's hard to sum her up in one phrase. I would probably say vigilante, because her main goal has always been revenge, and she keeps sort of getting sidelined by heroic actions, but, you know, I mean, people call Batman a vigilante, too, and he is 100% a hero, so, you know, I think whatever she's doing, that's a fair term for her. She's taking the law into her own hands. Okay. Her past story has been running parallel with the present. Is this something that's going to be continuing indefinitely, or do you think that the two are going to intersect at one point? Uh, Well, the current story arc uh, does actually drop a really big reveal from her past, and after that, I think we're going to be going a little bit out of order. It's not going to be completely linear for her backstory, you know, once we've sort of laid the very basic groundwork Mm -hmm. for what happened to her. Um, But I think it's more going to be that flashbacks are going to come into play as relevant to what's going on in her life after that. Have we seen everything revealed in terms of her father's death? Uh, In terms of her father's death, mostly, uh, it's less about his death and more about his life. There's things we haven't seen yet. Okay. yeah, but no, she 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 totally shot her father. That's okay. that's that's not a question. There. Okay, okay. <laughs> You've got different villains running around, but would you say that the Gather House is sort of the big bad of the whole story that you're writing? Oh yeah, that's her motivation for putting on a costume and running around. Um, that's so core to who she has become. Uh, that even though you know she's looking to hunt them down and make them pay, she's still very much what they made her in a way, just not the way that they had hoped. Absolutely. I love your hodgepodge of side characters that you have with her rat catcher, you've got the intern, you have her mother. What would you say each of these characters brings distinctly to Violet's life? I mean, I think that's one of the great things about heroes in Gotham is they just tend to collect a lot of family members, even when they say they're not looking for a family. Um, You know, her mother is very core to who she is outside of Mother Panic. You know, her mother is going to be the one person she's always going to treat with kindness and want to protect. And I think from the beginning, her mother has been there to help show her softer side, to just show that she can be that person who does good. Um, Dom was someone who I just loved, uh, who came in in the first arc, um, and I wanted him to stick around. And I liked having that new person in who, you know, is so outside of this world of Gather House and costumes and everything. He's just a normal guy who, you know, is training to become a nurse, so he Mm -hmm. wants to help people. And he sort of sees that he can do some good here, both for Violet and her mother. Mm Um, and Dr. Varma, uh, as we've seen, was one of the uh, initial surgeons who started performing the surgeries right. on her to put the implants in. And um, I'm hoping we will get to the story of how the two of them connected after okay. that, because you know, usually, you know, performing surgery on someone without their consent is not the basis for a lasting relationship. Right. Um, but I think we've seen that uh, Dr. Varma feels very strongly about Violet. Um, I don't think Violet is aware of how strongly Dr. Varma feels. Um, but yeah, there's definitely some unrequited love there. Okay. Uh, and Ratcatcher is just the weird guy who moved into the basement. Yeah. But I like having someone who has that experience in Gotham around. And mm-hmm. I think as we saw in the most recent issue uh, that came out, number eight, you know, that's someone who Violet can go to and mm-hmm. be like, so how does this whole hero thing work? I mean, right. I know you're a supervillain, but, you know, the hero of the city punched you in the face a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. So, like, how, how does he operate? You know, I like having that sort of font of information there. And also just, like, a weird dude with a bunch of rats who lives right. in the basement. That's just, I think it's it's... I love the Pike Hotel and just how strange it is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not 
although to be fair, the Batcave is pretty strange too. You know, you have a giant, yes. you have a you have a T Rex, you have a giant penny. Like this, mm-hmm. this is that's not a normal place. But I think it's so ingrained in our collective psyche that you know it just seems normal to us. So right. I'm trying to do something really fun and different with Violet and her home base and the family she's collecting. Okay. Ratcatcher is sort of a D-list villain, you know, in Batman's robes. Why him of all villains did you choose? Well, we always wanted it to be like a very D-list person to show up. And I think Ratcatcher specifically was Gerard's idea. But I mostly remembered him from an arc of Catwoman I read as a kid where like Catwoman and uh, Batman are trapped in the sewers and being attacked by rats. So I was like, yeah, that dude, awesome. Besides Otis and Batwoman who appeared, is Violet going to go up against or meet any other member of the Batman family? Uh, Well, we've seen hints that Batman might be keeping an eye on her in the current story arc, so uh, we'll see if he shows up. Okay. Uh, And other than that, uh, we're we're planting some seeds for some things for uh, the future, but it's a little early to specify anything. But I would say definitely keep reading, and I'm sure you'll see some familiar faces pop up sooner rather than later. Okay. I want to talk about something that I really like about the art. There are these moments where you have a fight scene and juxtaposed with them is sort of a natural phenomenon, like a snake eating a mouse or something like that. And I wondered what went into writing those moments and what impact do you want from those moments? Yeah, that's a that's a sort of a fragment that's left from Violet's conditioning. She okay. sees these. She, these are things she's actually seeing while okay. she's fighting, and they're always in uh, red and white. And I think uh, it was set up in Gather House. The Gather House was feeding these images okay. into them. So that's like one of the things that she hasn't been able to shake off from you know what they were trying to make her into. It's something that she's still a little haunted by. Okay. Um, But yeah, mostly it's just, you know, trying to come up with something weird and creepy in red and white. So it's a little bit of like, you know, little lines of poetry scattered throughout the issue. Okay, so we're actually seeing flashes of what Violet's seen in these moments. Okay, that's really great. So probably, I mean, and I'm imagining they go very quickly for her. Like, Mm -hmm. she might not even really have time to register what it is. But I just sort of love having that peek inside her head. Right. And just... You know, she's not she's not really a normal person, you know. She was sort of taken apart and put back together and she that's a lot to deal with. Right. Final question. Does Violet deserve to be happy? Do you ever foresee her being happy in your story? Um I think Violet definitely deserves to be happy. Um the question is, is she so broken that she can't get to a place where she can let herself be happy. Okay. You know, and it's I think Varma is an interesting example of this because she talks about how much she's after revenge, but Varma was part of what was done to her and right. she's allowed Varma into her life. So I think she has more of a capacity for forgiveness than she realizes. But, you know, if she can sort of accept more of that side of herself and more of the side that, you know, has delightful fairy tale conversations with her mother. Um, you know, I think the more she lets that person out, the happier she'll end up being. But I, it might take some a while for her to get anywhere close to okay. that. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. Soon after that, I had an interview time slot, which was definite, for the Benson sisters. And in waiting for them, I was able to snag another interview that we were not on the list for, but I checked to see when it was. And so went upstairs and I thought there was someone downstairs, which I I find is very ironic because it happened to me last year, but to uh, 
a, with a different result. There was someone downstairs whose cameraman had not yet come, and so I was usher, ushered upstairs. Last year, that did not happen to me. I was not allowed to go up there, even though that person was not ready. So this was very nice change. So I went upstairs, and I thought I was going to do the Bensons right away, but actually Tynion was completely open, and so I was able to get uh, James. I think at the beginning, I was like, oh, James Tynion, you know. I was just surprised that that was the interview that we were going to do. So I was able to get in on that and talk to him about his work on Detective. So here's that interview. Hey, it's Stella here with the Batman Universe, and I'm talking with James Tynion IV, writer on Detective Comics. How are you doing so far? I'm doing well. It's uh, San Diego's always a bit crazy. I'm still figuring out how to get from one end of the floor to the other. But, yeah, uh, yeah. no, it's I, I, I forget and then need to relearn every year. Yeah, so. you should be a seasoned veteran by now, right? <laughs> yeah, but then the shortcuts from one year don't apply in the same way. It's, uh, but it's good. I'm happy to be here. So one of the difficulties with the team book is that you want to focus on them as a team, but also the individual members. So how have you been finding a balance between those two? Uh, honestly, I've been trying to sort of uh, each arc I think kind of focuses on two characters' emotions. Uh, I think the first arc was very much about uh, Batwoman and Red Robin. The second arc was very much about Batman and... uh, uh, Batman, spoiler, and to a lesser extent, Clayface. Uh, And then the third one was very much uh, Cassandra Cain. And so it's just like, I'm trying to make sure that every arc kind of touches on each of the characters. The one that's going on right now has a very big, like, Asriel, Batwing core, um, and then also the Batman, Zatanna. Like, I just try to, I I try to vary it up arc to arc because, you know, you want to give every character a moment in every arc, but uh, you, you need to kind of pick and choose who who's really going to be the emotional driver of the story and who's sitting in the backseat a little bit. Okay. Yeah, Azrael has come to the forefront in this current oh, yeah. story. So what is it about that character that you especially enjoy? Um, I mean, the the biggest thing for me, going going all the way back, because I, I remember when uh, we were working on Batman and Robin Eternal, mm-hmm. uh, that's when the discussion really uh, came to, to, to bring John Paul Valley back into the mix. And I grew up on in the 90s uh, with uh, with the 90s Bat family, and Azrael was a big part of that. And it was the idea of a, of a person who, who was striving to be something more uh, but had these kind of clear limitations standing in his way Uh, how he was programmed uh, as an assassin before all of this, uh, how he was programmed to be Azrael and uh, the constant tug of war between uh, the kind of the Saint Dumas ideology and the Batman ideology was was, was so core to that so uh, I wanted to tell a story that, that kind of got right back to the heart of the, you know, Pitting, pitting him at the center of that kind of tug of war, um, and uh, and kind of literalizing it in a weird and interesting way that'll play out in the last couple of issues. Okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it, it's the internal struggle that that's what really drove drive like pulls me towards Azrael as a character. I really like John Paul ever since Danny O'Neill was writing him. Is there any chance we'll see a Michael Lane appear? I would love to uh, to really. Like to, to tie all of the Azrael continuity together a bit more, because uh, Michael Lane kind of stood off on his own and a little uh, more separate from uh, the John Paul Valley uh, mythology. So 
Uh, I, I would love to do that. Right now, it's it's not on the immediate horizon, but it's something I would really love to do. Okay. Besides the main cast, you have other people flitting in and out, like Harper Rowe, Dr. October. Do you have any plans to really incorporate them and we see them frequently, or do, they, do you just want them to hop in and hop out when the story demands it? Um, I mean, one of the biggest pieces in, in, building, in building my detective comics is I wanted to make sure that I was building a kind of world where each part of the world has has cast it has its own cast of characters that then you you sort of like okay a certain event happens and then uh, all right that means we're going to need Dr. Tompkins to uh, Leslie Tompkins to come in we're going like you know when it has to do with uh, particularly the emotion like uh, like uh, Stephanie or Cassandra's like emotional arcs uh, Harper is the perfect counterpoint because she 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 serves a very unique role in the Bat family right now as someone who did it and has decided to go down a different path, okay. uh, which which really it, it opens up a, a whole bunch of new story for her, and she'll be showing up again in a couple in a couple of issues. Like uh, she she's I've seen pages of art with Harper Row in them, okay. uh, so she's coming back up soon. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it's it's more you know like. I've, I've tried to kind of bring people in and out of the story and, and, and allow the team to kind of evolve. Um, and uh, that it, it's my goal to continue that uh, as we move forward. Let's talk about Stephanie a little bit. In that one issue, well, of course, she's against Batman right now, sort of his ideology, what he's been doing. But that one issue, she kind of is Batman, even though she says cops, you can take the credit for this. Is she a hypocrite, or do you see her doing... Is she distinct from Batman, or is she basically being Batman but saying she's not. Well, the thing that I'm really enjoying in the current Stephanie arc is the fact that, you know, she's she's a teenager who has just experienced an incredible bout of trauma. Uh, you know, she just saw, like, one of, one of the only people in her life who really saw her and understood her, like, fall in the line of fire uh, of this... The, of this type of life and she's trying to grapple with her drive to keep the costume on and do good uh, and what that gives her and the kind of the this kind of deep fear that what they're doing actually hurts Gotham and it's like there is a kind of inherent hypocrisy there and you know teenagers are the best hypocrites I think like they are like it's they, everything is sort of absolutes but the absolutes contradict each other and it's it's an intentional it's an intentional step in her story uh, and it's, a, it's something that I'm really excited that uh, how it'll play Play out in the two-part utopia dystopia uh, arc with anarchy in, in the fall because all of a sudden anarchy is going to come in with uh, you know the, the way I've, I've kind of think of it is that if uh, Tim Drake is kind of the like the good guy high school boyfriend like anarchy is the college boyfriend okay. where he's like coming in and he's just like you know he seems like he's got he has all this like he's deeply this deep, all this deep passion in him and a deep like drive to change the world but the lengths he'll go to to do that are frightening and it's going to tie back into some of the detective mythology that that's been laid in previous arcs and and really set the set the stage for everything to come in the fall so uh, yeah no especially leading into a lonely place of living the, okay. the return of Tim Drake right so when he returns how is he going to adapt to this new Bat family 
Uh, I mean, this is going to... Honestly, the thing that he would be happiest to learn, and is happiest to learn when he does learn of it, is the fact that the system that he put in place uh, before he vanished still exists. Okay. Um, because that that's the fear. Is the that, that was the fear that he was struggling with at the beginning, was just like, all right, I can set this in motion. This is how I think Gotham would work perfectly, mm-hmm. is if we sort of bring everyone in and we're all fighting it together. Okay. Um, and then that it, that could allow him to maybe step back and figure out what he so wants, because like that's that it taps right into Batman? Tim's, uh, you know... It, like the nature of Tim as a character where he is always put other he's always put everyone's needs before his own like in the classic Tim Drake origin it was always that it was the fact that he didn't go in there to be Robin he went in there to try to get Dick Grayson to be Robin but when Dick Grayson wouldn't be Robin he knew someone needed to fill that role and he stepped in because he he, he can't not he can't not act um, and uh, and that's something that we'll see the the pro of pros and cons of that a bit, but he is going to be very happy that the the family is still in motion. Okay. Final yeah. quick question: Are you going to all deal with the fallout of the Batman Catwoman uh, engagement? Uh, that story is uh, that story will primarily like we might touch like touch on it here and there, but that's uh, Tom King okay. Tom King's arena okay. to sort of play that out. Okay. Thanks again. Loving your work. Pleasure as so always. It's great to see you. Great to see you. And then right after that, finally got to talk to Julia and Shauna Benson. And it was just as lovely as I imagined it to be. This was one that fell through the cracks last year, and I was super bummed about it. And afterwards, she hugged. Donovan was with me, and he was taking pictures, and he also asked about Cassandra Kane. And uh, afterwards, we got hugged by both of them. And I thought, oh, my gosh, number one, they're so pleasant. But number two, I've never been hugged by the talent before. So it was, I think, an interview that I will always remember and very much cherish. And when we, we always play highs and lows of the con you know between Josh and and Don and I and each time I would say oh the interview with Julia and Shauna Benson was certainly the high for me so here's that interview this is the one I've been waiting for, honestly, for two years, so I'm so excited. Hey, it's Stella here with the Batman Universe and Batgirl the Oracle, and I'm with Julie and Shauna Benson, writers on Batgirl and the Birds of Prey. And I have to first thank you because your book is very much, it's a fan. Like, it's a love letter to the previous incarnations as well as just to the characters, and I know how much you guys are fans of the characters, so thank you so much for what you've been doing. Well, th- thank you for saying that. I mean, it, we are fans, and we definitely write this book and and talk about this book as fans of these characters and of the previous ones and we respect a lot of the things that have come before us and we try very hard to make sure that some of those elements are in our our, our run of these characters. Yeah, that the canon mattered and stuff's really important to us. And yeah. obviously Chuck Dixon and Gail Simone runs are just so iconic for Queen Gail, as we keep saying and you know the Dwayne run in, in 52 was even I like that they, yeah, Christy Mar- that they brought in like Katana and all those characters it's like you get to play in a lot of sandboxes. So for us, the past is really important to tell the, the, the future of the story. And this first year really has been about getting these women reestablished with each other in the Rebirth universe and, and making solidifying that team. So now we get to sort of branch out a little bit and do some more fun stuff. Right. That, that's something we look forward to. You've got a nice mix of original and pre-established characters. How do you find the balance between the two of those? Well, I... I you know, 
we, we sit down and talk about story. We talk about what are these character journeys, you know, who's going to interact with whom. And it's a matter of making sure we do balance it. You know, if, if in one issue it's very Dinah heavy, we're going to, you know, balance tip it the other way a little bit, maybe in the next issue and give Huntress a spotlight or give Barbara a spotlight. Um, original characters, you know, Gus is someone that, you know, no one knows. And, and we have had to sort of slowly bring him in and build him up as a character so that the audience would understand who he is and why he's done what he's done and um, what that relationship is going to look like going forward. So mixing all of that up and then also sort of bringing in whatever that storyline is for the issue or for the arc, um, it's not easy. Well, the funniest thing is we had Calculator in this last source book run, and we wrote him a little quiet and because his family's been kidnapped, so he's not really the sort of... He's fender pulling, mustache twirling calculator we've read yet. And I saw there were a few comments like, this doesn't feel like calculator. It's like, there's one more book in the arc. Can we all just wait for 13? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, certainly that's the thing that we get from working in television is that we do a lot of slow burn. You know, we, we things that we are like, patience is rewarded. Yeah. Um, but it, we also feel like you can't just throw things in kind of willy nilly. You've got to build to these things in a natural way that one, the reveal comes or a certain plot twist happens, you're like, you are, oh, wow, that, that makes so much sense or, oh, I'm really surprised by that in a good way, not in a, that seems really random kind of way. It's sort of part of the what we've built. And it's tricky, too, because adding Catwoman and Ivy to the team, having that core with their voices so strong that we already know, having those two women come in has been a really fun, Helena used to fill that role a little bit as the antagonist and so now you've got these ladies coming in and how do you, how do they all, how do they all get along. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Death of Oracle is a somewhat controversial storyline and, and pre-flashpoint. So what made you want to bring that back into continuity and use that calculator story as in, in, you know, you could have done another calculator story. Sure. I think it was more about just the, how recent that story was for calculator, meaning the last time we saw him was the shooting of the helicopter out of the right. sky and so we kind of wanted to get back to that world. So it was, t- it was we were cherry picking for sure. We were taking this this issue, this issue. Here he was um, uh, with his oh god, what's the name of the mega robot-y... I don't remember now. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That he fights with Dinah. Anyway. Yeah, all, all of those all of those pieces, to us it wasn't about controversy and it wasn't about trying to stir up any painful memories. It was saying that this is who this guy was. Um, he has always been after Oracle. He, ha- he did at one point know it was Barbara, but she did wipe his brain so um, it, it keeps that his story it brings that story back and keeps him alive that was the story we were really interested in because one of the things that we really are looking to do is build kind of a stable of birds of prey villains you know people that we can kind of go to in our arsenal and you know our our versions of the Joker or you know uh, Two Face or whoever you know that sort of Batman has his rogue gallery and we wanted our own rogues gallery and he's a perfect person for that. He isn't a rogues gallery. He's already established that way. So I think bringing him back into it made a lot of sense. At least well, especially when we have a new Oracle, it explains why he would even be there. Because yeah. if he's still looking for who Oracle is, no wonder he found Gus. Because Gus took over that mantle. So it was, to us, the easiest way to bring him in. Whether or not I answered the question about the controversy, I don't know. But no, yeah. I don't 
really know the controversy from it, so maybe you can educate Only us. the fact that some people knew that Oracle was still alive and some people didn't. And I think the main one that didn't that people were upset about was Cassandra Cain. Ah, so she was sort of left off that list. I think that was one of the, the main Got it. Right there. Cassandra fans will be happy in the next arc. Oh! Hopefully we'll get them, we'll win them back. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know we had to, but hopefully they'll be happy about that. If she's established in the universe, it's easier for us to okay. use them. So like we were just saying, Bird is back in uh, Mr. Miracle, right. and okay. uh, I think Zenda has made an appearance in Metal now, right. so that makes it easier for us. Okay. To, to, to yeah. sort of but when we over. anytime we pitch sort of let's just bring Zinda back and they, they want us to do a, a bigger story to establish her back in the universe things like that so same thing with Miss Fit yeah I hear you we have tried a few times trust me yeah I do want to talk about Gus a little bit. So something that was great about Oracle is that she's a hero, but she was also disabled. Yes. And now you have Gus who's disabled in another way. Yeah. Is this something that you consciously did going into the character from the very beginning? Absolutely. It was. Um, the question was, whoever plays Oracle, does that person have to have a disability? Is that what Oracle is about? And our answer was immediately no, because it was important that Barbara is specific into Oracle and that, yes, she had a disability, but that's not what defined her as Oracle. That's not what defines Barbara Gordon. Is a part of who she is. It will always be a part of who she is. But for us to just say, let's have a, a guy in a wheelchair take over the Oracle mantle, to us that was doing a disservice to what Barbara was and what it meant to her. And so we thought about it and we said, what's another interesting thing we haven't seen in a comic book? And for us, it's mental disability. You see it a little bit in Green Lanterns and you're starting to see it in other books, but mental disability being just as important uh, to talk about and, and on the same level as the physical disability. Disability, I think, was something that early on we wanted to deal with. Shauna, yeah, I, I have, I'm, I have clinical depression, so I mean, it's a thing that I obviously relate to a lot. You know, we pull from our personal experience that struggle that you have, the stigma that's kind of attached to it, and we really wanted, you know, to forge that connection between Barbara and Gus, and being able to say, hey, we're not that different in terms of, you know, physical, mental disability. It's, it all kind of lives in the same sphere, you know. And, and that was, I think, really important to us, was to say, this person obviously is very capable, very intelligent, but he's going to have his struggles. He's going to have something he's going to constantly battle. And that makes him multidimensional to us. Like, that gives him depth that we can then play with and, and, and mature that character and sort of bring him into his own. Okay, final question. Okay. Uh, we see they mainly have the home base here, but we know from past back, uh, Birds of Prey stars, is that they've had international missions. Are you going to at all try to do that later yes. on? Okay. We are going to try to. It's okay. something that we loved in the Chuck and okay. Friends especially oh, whenever yeah. they would be in Paris or yeah. some on a yacht or something. We have the advantage of um, Helena having been an international spy. I mean, she's still yeah. associated with Spiral, so it sort of gives us an avenue to, to go down in terms of like taking them out of Gotham and okay. maybe having them play issue, in a... Issue 14, we did the closest we got is we literally got them outside of Gotham. Got them for a field trip. There you go. But, then, but now that we've done that, I think we can earn okay. getting them across the pond. Yeah. Great. Well, it's been such a pleasure. Again, oh, I'm loving you. your book. And thank you. Keep going. And then shortly after that, I had an interview with Marguerite Bennett and very sweet person, very sweet, very humble. And it was lovely to talk to her as well about her work on Batwoman. So here is that final interview. 
Hey, it's Sal with the Batman Universe, and I'm proudly and happily here with Marguerite Bennett, who is the current writer of Batwoman as well as Bombshells. How are you doing right now? I am overwhelmed, but in the best way possible. <laughs> do you gain endurance as the week goes on, or do you fatigue as the week goes I am, on? I am praying for strength. I have the honor of being a, a guest, actually, at the show this year, which has never happened before, and which I was never in my life counting on or, or even supposing it. And uh, this is my fifth San Diego, and five years ago, I was uh, I, it was my very first show. Um, my first comic had not even been published yet. It was like three weeks to publication. And I wound up staying in a hostel with like 13 Norwegian girls I didn't know. And it was just like, it was really incredible. And it's just, it's a huge honor to honestly sort of, you know, just the five years going from like the hostel, it's like 18 blocks that way to sitting here right now with you. So cheers. Well, welcome and thank you. Thank you much. So I'm going to focus on Batwoman here. So it's clear from your work on Bombshells as well as what you're doing currently that you love this character. She is my favorite. Absolutely. What is it about her that draws you in? God, I think it's the fact that she's so fallible, to be honest, that, you know, uh, so, so my gateway drug into comics was Batman the animated series, okay. and um, you know people very, very often ask me, you know, who was my favorite heroine as a child? Like, should I like Supergirl? Did I like Batgirl? But the honest answer is that I was super into Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy, and Catwoman because they didn't have to be aspirational. Um, you know, so much of the media that we give children, but especially give little girls, tends to be you know hyper saturated, hyper sanitized. You know, this is just sort of the, the role model, the obsession with you know like with giving them role models, which I understand after you know like generations and eons of the horrible representation of women as like tricksters and minxes and sex objects um, that it was you know uh, like why you would you know feel compelled to sort of compensate and make up for lost time with these aspirational heroines um, but I, I felt like such a failure compared to so many of those aspirational heroines um, but the idea you know with, with Poison Ivy Harley Quinn and Catwoman is that they didn't have to be good they just got to be themselves and so it was something that you know appealed with me or appealed to me so thoroughly with Batwoman is the fact that she didn't have to have the witty one-liner and close the case every time and have flawless victory every time and wasn't held to this impossibly high standard is that she screwed up and she, you know, she caused damage and she had to pay for it and she had to fix it and that she, you know, was was human. She was fully realized and that was something that resonated so much with me um, is that she felt real. That's a great answer. <laughs> so in your Rebirth issue, as well as fans of Elegy, which was sort of the first Oh, yes. that we uh-huh. see Batwoman. We know that Elizabeth slash Alice is an important and dark figure yeah. in Kate's cast. Is she someone that might pop up in your run later down the line? You will you will definitely find out where Alice is at um, in, the, in the upcoming arc. Um, and then, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, after Mark Andreco's run, you know, she, she has had this redemption, so we're going to, like, look in on where she is. Um, but then uh, Kate's family dynamics are going to be one of the major pieces of momentum that are driving her through this uh, arc that we're going to begin on uh, issue seven. Okay. Um, so, so one through four um, was sort of the, the this mystery uh, in Coriana, this, mm-hmm. this island out of Kate's past. And then issue five is a flashback issue, and issue six is a flash-forward issue. And these two issues, um, this, this interim uh, period, are going to give you all of the puzzle pieces that are missing from, you know, for the flashback for the arc that you just read, and the flash-forward the arc that is coming. Okay. And so, you know, so it's a little mystery game, you know, for, for people to put together uh, on their own. And, um, you know, so we're, we're trying to, to give her, you know, a, a, you know, a, a past and a, fu- and a future. Okay. <laughs> yep. mm-hmm. To say that Jacob and Kate have a complicated relationship, I oh, think, is an uh, understatement. <laughs> uh, yeah, where are you going to be writing these two together? How would you describe mm-hmm. their relationship? Do you mm-hmm. see them as ever having a good point mm-hmm. in their relationship? Oh, goodness. This I'm playing, I'm playing mighty close to the chest. Okay. But um, it's been fantastic to work with James Tynan, you know, who's our, our, my co-writer 
Terminator for the, the first um, the first arc with Batwoman. And then, um, you know, we're working very closely, uh, you know, between, like, his detective run and the, the, the future of Batwoman. Um, and so, uh, you know, we've, we've been liaising. And forgive me, I feel as though, you know, like, I have to be so closed-mouthed, but I promise, like, you know, we're cooking and it's, it's, it's going to be good. Okay. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. Julia Pennyworth, is she reporting on Kate to Batman? She was supposed to. Okay. Whether or not she is fulfilling that duty. Right, there was a hesitancy in the yeah. in the past one. Mm-hmm. So now my question is, why doesn't Batman trust Kate enough? Why would he have someone do this? Yes. Um, I mean, for this, it's really the fact that Kate came into the Bat family as a fully realized person. Okay. He didn't train her up. He didn't make her Batwoman. She went out and did it herself. And so the fact that, you know, in her makeup, there's no part of her that, like, has his fingerprint on it. She's her own person. And so with that, you know, even though, like, he's confident in her abilities, there will always be this part of him that she'll, she'll always be this mystery. You know, that they, they're, they're these two equals on opposite ends of this playing field. Um, and so, uh, and Julia will be one of the threads that binds them. Can you tell us what plan B is? No. Okay. <laughs> Are we meant to ship Batwoman and Julia? I do. Okay, well, there's something there. I ship her there. with a bunch of folk, though, so well, I'm pretty terrible. I ship, okay. her with, I ship her with Sophia, I ship yes. her with Tahani, I ship her with everybody. Okay. Speaking of that, any uh-huh. chance of seeing either Maggie or Renee in your book? I, this is another thing I have to play very close okay. to the chest, uh-huh, but, like, but, but uh, you know, issue five, um, which just came out yesterday, oh, God, okay. time has gone so fast. I guess. Um, uh, drawn by the magnificent Stephanie Hans, um, has a huge part of, you know, Kate's backstory and a lot of, you know, conflicted, emotional, upsetting romance, so I hope people enjoy. Okay. It's beautifully, beautifully digitally painted. That's, I can't wait to see yeah, it. The no. bad thing about being here is that you, like, miss the Wednesday. Oh, no, absolutely. I'm come out. Dude, so. and, like, but, like, Batwoman number five is one of the issues that I am the proudest of, okay. like, I mean, just in my whole career. It's okay. so beautiful. I've been waiting ages to tell a story like this. Um, and our, our editor was, was very funny about it because um, he was like, oh, my God, on page four, it's like, this is this is one of the steamiest things I've ever oh. I've ever published, and okay. everyone has their clothes on. I don't understand. Wow. <laughs> Can't wait for that. So I hope, I hope folk enjoy. I hope it's a good time. Okay. Another character that figured large in Kate's life, especially when New 52 began, was Bet, a.k.a. Yes. Uh-huh, yep. Is that someone we could expect to see? Um, her uh, she. I don't believe we will see her on the page, but we will. We will find out what's going on with her uh, coming up in Detective. Um, it'll, it'll it'll be a spell, but we we have an answer. And it's just we're, we're looking for the right place to plug it in, and the right timing, and the right hit uh, emotionally. Okay. Mm-hmm. We've seen Kate globetrotting right now, and yep. I think with your upcoming Scarecrow mm-hmm. arc, she's yep. still away. Uh-huh. Is she ever going to come back home and set up a home base and have a status quo? She will come back home. Home night might not be where people are guessing. Oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, we're going to be doing some stuff that I hope is, is dizzying and full of intrigue. Okay. And final question, any plans to set up her own rogues gallery? Oh yes, no, absolutely, absolutely. Like, I mean, she is my favorite character, and I got, I got plot enough to run the rest of my life. Okay. I love her so much. And are these going to be original characters, or are you going to pull from combination thereof? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So, well, it's, it's a pleasure. I love. Oh yeah. Oh, thank you so much. And you can tell how much you love the character, oh, which is something that I really respect. So I really thank appreciate you. that. Thank you so absolutely. much. And thank you for your interest. So after all the interviews, which was lovely. Uh, you know, this week with Thursday was just starting out to be better than last San Diego Comic-Con where I was just having trouble running up against brick walls, not getting interviews. Uh, this was way more p- pleasant. I ended up later that day going to the DC 10th anniversary 
uh, with their 30 film collection. And uh, I remember Tara Strong was, was cosplaying as Batgirl, which was great. But seeing that sort of flashing back, I think, to all of those wonderful uh, films. Some wonderful, some not so wonderful, but, but that was nice to see. And then all four of us also went to the Mask of the Phantasm, the Blu-ray release panel as well. So those were the only panels that we got to do. And we, for that Mask of the Phantasm, we got to see about seven minutes of the the new, I guess, cleaner cut of it and or cleaner animation and uh, got me excited. I, it's such a great movie. And it's funny because actually some of the, I didn't shop very much, but some of the things I bought, I did actually find a, the comic adaptation of it so i thought that was ironic as well so that was basically thursday thursday ended uh, a little bit earlier which is good because the next few days we we're going to have to get up rather early there was i tried to there's a show called winona earth that's on sci-fi and it's based off in an idw comic by written by Bo smith i believe and you if you've been following this show back the oracle you know that one of those uh, lgbt couples uh made it on the believe honorable mention i don't think i put it on my top five list but i I really enjoy the show i think it's very empowering i mean the majority of the cast really you know is female which i think is great and so i emailed i think a little too late to try to get into the press for that um, because i do of course tackle different subject matter on my show other than back the oracle i wasn't able to but i was given a consolation of getting an invite to a media cocktail party with the winona erp cast and that was from 8 to 9 and then 9 to 11 was like they brought in fans and everything and so that was great just to be around Uh, I'm a bit of a wallflower so I was just I brought Don with me for protection's sake um, because he he doesn't watch the show but I thought it would be good to at least have someone to hang out with which I'm good because I think it would look even worse had I just been sitting by myself but I it was just nice to be like oh look you know I'm really close to all these people but there were a couple times I thought maybe maybe I'll go and talk to them but but I didn't and I also wonder in that situation because that was going to be I think my icebreaker when I if I had gone up to them was that this is my first time to something like this when you know what do you even talk about because I don't think they had done press yet so are they really going to talk about the show it's probably just like real life but gosh how bad does it sound that I don't really know how to talk to a uh, a celebrity person about real life but I just wonder but it was nice to just uh, sort of survey the room and and be with them and uh, that finished up my Thursday Welcome to Lazy Town a place where you want to stay you'll meet Robbie with his rotten plan and sport a good saving the day Stephanie is new in town And soon she and Ziggy are friends With Pixel, Stingy and Trixie too They're gonna have a blast together Go, 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 get a blazy town It's the start of a brand new day Things are upside down here in Lazy Town Adventure's just a moment away Friday started early. Thanks to Josh, I was able to get into the press room for The 100, which is a CW show 
post-apocalyptic, and uh, that was lovely. So thank you, Josh, for that. And I got to talk to several people of the cast. This was nice. While they started late, uh, I only missed two talking to two people, the actress who plays Octavia and the actress who plays Raven. But... It was just lovely, I think, you know, being there. And there were a couple of times I did ask questions because, you know, I do watch the show, but I roundtables are sometimes hard because everyone wants to ask a question and you sort of have to think about is your question worth it or not. But there were a couple of times that you'll hear me on the audio and I'm going to splice it all together. So I'll tell you the order in which I am putting them. So it's just going to go bam, bam, bam. So if you're looking for the 100, this is it. I've got Bob Morley, who plays Bellamy, Richard Harmon, who plays John Murphy, and he was really nice. He went around and, like, either high-fived or shook everyone's hand at all the press tables, which was lovely. Jason Rothenberg, who's the creator and series writer, Christopher Larkin, who plays Monty, and Eliza Taylor, who plays Clark. So here you go, the 100. Bob Morley, Bellamy. Hello. Hi. You got a fat fan. I know, I've got a fat fan. I need to... Someone gave it to me, thank God. It's hot. A bit flustered. A bit overwhelmed, actually. Yes. It's good to be here. I, I forget what, like, Comic-Con's like. It's, like, very intense. I was, I was a bit taken back there for a second. Yeah. So what's more intense, Comic-Con or the World of the Hundred? Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I like, like, I mean, being on set and acting like that's, that's like home for me. So that's, that's, I mean, the story's intense and sometimes, you know, everyone gets heated on set, but it's not like this. This is, this is crazy. I was like, was not prepared. So, yes. Are you guys have a big time jump coming up? And yeah. that's a sizable amount of time yeah. for your characters to kind of evolve and grow. So, um, what can we expect to see as far as Bellamy's change over the course of that time that we're not going to see? Is he going to be a different person? Not anybody. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I was saying it's been like, what, six months for us actors, but it's been six years for the characters. So, even the script that I got to have a look at. Um, I've got to try and figure out who he's become over that six years. So, I mean, we start shooting in a couple of weeks and I've still got to, like, see where he's developed and grown as a person. So, um, I'm kind of getting my head around that as well at the moment. Because, I mean, we've only seen him, like, during wartime and, you know, when the stakes are super high, but now it's been six years but they're not at war and they're, they're surviving up on the ship. But, uh, yeah, I don't know what he's like when he's a, a pacifist, so... What would you like to see him be like, though? Well, I think, you know, uh, he's taken on Clark's advice using his head and his heart, and I think he's become quite a good leader. I, I feel like him and Raven have, like, she's, like, his second in charge, and so those two are working as well as a team. I think the whole group that went up there have worked well as a team, and, uh, you know, the challenge now is to figure out what's going on down down on the ground. But I, for me, I think the story that I'm really excited to see is the... Uh, Octavia one in the bunker. Yeah. Can you tell me anything about his uh, relationship with Echo? Uh, no, no, I can't. <laughs> no, I mean, that's one that you know, we're going to see develop as well, definitely. Um, I think that there's, there's a part of her that understands something about Octavia that Bellamy is drawn to. Yeah, I think they were both very similar in a way, like uh, Echo and Bellamy. Um, but yeah, that, like they're definitely shifting because they're not fighting anymore. They're not enemies. They have to work together as a team. So that's one that I think is definitely going to dictate a lot of who he is this season. Yeah. Yeah. There seems to be a big uh, 
shift in leadership a lot in the show. Uh -huh. Do you think that in the next season Bellamy will kind of step back into that role? I would really like to see him do that. Like, I mean, one of my favorite seasons is season one, and you know, even though he was like a bit of a like an idiot or a, a moron, everyone hated him. I kind of like that he took a, uh, on a strong leadership position, whether it was good or bad. So I would like to see him come back into that. And yeah, so hopefully this season he does that. Not as bad as he was season one, but you know, a bit better this year. All right, that's all we got time. Thanks, for. Thank guys. You. Thank you, guys. Richard Harmon, John Murphy. This one? Yeah. So you don't lose. How excited are you to go back to start filming season five? Can't wait. Um, I mean, it's been since January that we've been on hiatus. Uh, and I just can't wait to go back to work. You spent four years getting to know your character, and he's one of the most fascinating ones on the series. But with this new time jump, um, is he going to be a little more settled down? Is he going to be the same? Like, what can we expect from what's coming up next for him? Yeah, fair enough. I mean, like you said, I've had four years to get to know this character. At the same time, now I've had five months to get to know him six years better. <laughs> like, you need to, I need to fill in a lot of that gap myself. Uh, but you can obviously expect him to continue to either grow or regress, especially with kind of the situation he's in in space right now. I feel like a broken record because I've said it so many times. Uh, he's so good at thriving uh, under pressure, and now he doesn't have that up in space. There's no, there's no bad guy. There's no prim fire. There's no knife in his neck every day. Now it's just day-to-day -day life for him and just kind of living. And I don't know how Murphy's going to take that. So that's going to kind of fuel his either progression or aggression this season currently. Is there a certain dynamic that you're really excited to explore, like between your character and one of the other characters? I would love to explore more out of that. Honestly, probably my favorite scenes last year all were with Lindsay Morgan as Raven. Um, so I'd love to explore that further with her. She's such a talented actress, and I think we have really great chemistry on screen as far as um, just kind of the characters. It's really weird. There's this weird fire between them, and since the apology and the kind of forgiveness that she gave me, I'm really kind of curious to see how the six years has changed us and if we can get into that further. Can you tease anything about what that relationship looks like? I don't know anything about that actually yet. Okay. I wish I could. I think we're so fresh in it with only just the first episode. It's just kind of catching up in the first episode. Yeah. Do you have any specific, like, if you could pick any uh, direction for a storyline for this season, do you have anything in mind that you would like to see your character experience? Or... Yeah, I mean, I want to see him finally start accepting himself, uh, as everyone else kind of had by the end of season four. Uh, stop sabotaging himself, but it, it is who he is, so I mean, if that's the case, like, I won't mind, but I'd like to see kind of that progression, probably through having a lot of moments where he kind of does sabotage himself and finally learn. I would like to see that. Oh, okay, do we have more time? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, no. <laughs> I thought someone was going to try and say something again, but... Yeah, good yeah. try, guys. Yeah. 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 You guys are really good. Thank you. Thank you. It was good to see you all. 
Jason Rothenberg. Hello. So the big question, in this big time jump, is it possible that any characters may have died within the five years? Yes. It is possible. I don't want to tell you who or if. But yeah, I mean, six years is a long time. They were only on the ground together for like ten months. And we've been now away for like, I don't know, do the math five or six times that long. So, yeah, my math is terrible. Um, but, you know, a lot of people died while we were on the ground, and certainly they're not out of harm's way. Some of them. You mentioned that you want to do some flashbacks to show some of the events that happened during the jump. Yeah. Um, what, is that going to be a big part of the season, or will it be like an occasional thing? Uh, that's a pretty big part of the season. We definitely, um, there's a lot of cool stuff that happened in those six years, and I don't want to just talk about it, you know? Like, especially the things that were formative that turned Octavia into the Octavia that we will see when the door opens or when we go down there for the first time. Um, things under the ground got really, really, uh, I mean, it's almost redundant for me to say dark when we talk about this show, but things got really different when they found out that they were trapped, you know? I mean, like, there's six years now, they could have been out for a year, same thing on, in, on the ring, and they're not back yet, and there's a good reason why, and, you know, the psychology is very different of somebody who knows that there's a five-year, I'm out in five, yeah, I can live through that, but if I'm here forever, possibly, you know, I'm going to behave differently, and so we'll see a lot of how that, that realization changed things underground. The story is very character driven, so, um, and we've gotten a chance to get to know a lot of the characters over the course of the seasons you guys have been around. Is there a specific character that you're really excited to kind of dive deeper into going into the 6 time job? Yeah, I mean, I always get excited about the new characters just because as a writer it's fun to create new characters, and so we're going to meet three really powerful new characters. Um, but yes, for me it's always about Bellamy, Clark, Octavia. Uh, their changes are pretty extreme this season and so it's been fun they're all fun for me to write actually I mean I have to say I love them all um, and I know a lot of people probably say that but I mean I really do and um, those three in particular this year they're they're the sort of extreme change ease if that's a word um, and so it's been really fun so far to sort of see how far I can push that see how much we can change a person from what we know of them and still have it feel like that person and not feel like, you know, out of character. The luxury of a six-year time jump is you can't say it's out of character, really, because six years is a long time and people change, so... Is there still going to be a distinction between Grounder and Sky People, or is six years enough time for them to become one people? Well, you know, the story in the bunker is Octavia has saved those 12 representative groups from each clan, 12 or 13 including Sky Crew, and um, they are now going to have to make that work, you know, and are they going to fall back and be clans and, and isolate themselves? You know, that I think is a natural human tendency to sort of like hang out with your group of people, and and that'll be something that is probably uh, problematic down there eventually, uh, and so the idea, is, I, I don't want to talk too much about it, the answer to your question is, uh, I can't remember exactly how you phrase your question, but there, one crew is a thing, like Octavia's trying hard to create one crew down there. And, and we'll see whether she's successful. It certainly won't be easy. 
each season has had a major threat. Can you talk about what the major threat is in this season if there is one? Yeah, I mean, the prison ship that comes... The, the thing about this season is we have... The, the Earth is survivable now. The radiation levels are down so that they can breathe the air. But it's still mostly wasteland, except for this sort of Garden of Eden that Clark has found her way to, and you see that in, in the finale last year. And the prison ship has come down into it, and there will be lots of people aboard that ship who want this garden for themselves. And the story this season becomes, you know, one crew comes out of a hole, and they want it for themselves. And it's Clark's home, and she, you know, doesn't want to share it. And she and Maddie's lives might not be uh, what they have come to be used to. And so the, the battle for Eden really is kind of an ongoing threat this season. Okay? Thank you so okay. much. Thanks, everyone. Christopher Larkin, Monty. Hello. 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 Question for you guys. Um, Richard, have you done Richard yet? Yeah. Yes. When he high fives you all, are you all disgusted or are you all like, yes? We didn't get yeah. high fives. Yeah. We got, yeah, you shook our hands. Really okay. It was very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> He's like, he needs the hand sanitizer now. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, there's been this uh, big time jump. Can you talk about how your character has changed, if he has changed that much? Uh, well, I avoided reading the first script, which is floating around. It's in my inbox. Um, but I knew I would blow it at Comic-Con. I knew it would spoil things left and right. Um, I'm hoping that Monty's taken the time to just live a nice, peaceful existence. I think he's earned it. I think he's like ready to retire at 16 years old and he's done. Um, so to preserve his sanity and hopefully his relationship with Harper, that's that's what I'm most curious about. Um, I hope they're still going, but even if, if, even if they didn't make it, I'm hoping they gave it their all. I think they earned that. And I, I do think that she is his only like real lifeline now that Jasper's gone. So... Fingers crossed, but you never know. Six years is a long time. Like, not even in an apocalyptic sense. A six-year relationship is, is a hell of a run, so. Aside from Harper, um, who can we expect, or who would you like to see your character maybe uh, get closer to, start to rely on, oh. align themselves with? First gut response is Echo, only because they have no relationship. Like, he's pretty much in with Raven and Bellamy and... God, who else is up there? Amori, maybe? He doesn't know her either, so maybe increasing those grounder relationships? Yeah, Monty didn't, never really interacted with the grounders that much, so what can you learn from them, and, and what can you... I don't know, what are the strengths that you can find together in space? That's what I'd be curious to discover. Do you see him having conflicts with anybody up there, or do you think he's just going to kind of keep the peace? Yeah, I don't think him and Murphy are, like, totally tight yet. Granted, Murphy came back for him. He appreciates that. But I don't think he ever got over, like, the trying to choke out Jasper mid-season one. So I think, hopefully they've worked that out. But I don't know if there's going to be any contention anywhere. I think that's where it would be. Maybe Bellamy. Bellamy, I don't know. Maybe he got cocky up in space. I feel like Bellamy's just been like prison. He's just been working out and he's like, huge and cocky now. So maybe there'll be a little competition. I want to fight Bellamy. And win. I'd love to see that. Yeah, yeah no, no, no. It'd be really sad and pathetic. Over way too soon. Are you looking forward to playing Monty six years older? Because you had mentioned him being 16, and now you'll be able to play him at 22. I know. Think of, like, the change from 16, from, like, adolescence to early adulthood. It's so much. 
Yeah, I, I am looking forward to like subtle changes and also like changing this uh, little mushroom Lego cut that I've got. He's looked like Justin Bieber for four years now, and I'm curious if the Bieber cuts, if it's still there, that's, that's going to be ridiculous. But we'll see. What, would you, what, what do you think, shorter or longer? Shorter. Shorter. Yeah. Like crew cut shorter or like 90s? To be honest, and I haven't really given it a spike. lot of thought. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm, I'm going to loop back around after this okay. and then get your vote. Uh, okay. like 90s, I think that just has to be Yeah. Right, 90s, like, like, yeah, frosted tips. Yeah. <laughs> what am I doing? Don't do not do that, Jason, if you're watching this. Yeah, no tips, no tips. Well, you mentioned you haven't read the first episode yet, so when you read it, what are you hoping that you see in the script? Any like, thing you'd like to see I mean, I'd like to see there, uh, there be a little battle between who goes back to the ground and who doesn't. I mean, as, assumedly we're going to be back at the ground at some point. But I think when I thought about it initially, it was like, yeah, of course, we're all just going to go down together as a, as a happy team. But I feel like, why would you go back down to the ground? That is a horrible place when you're, like, comfortable in space. So I'm, I'd like to see there be, like, warring factions, even amongst the seven of us, um, in terms of who goes back and who doesn't. So I'm curious to see if, if we all do or if no one does. So, yeah. Thank you. Oh, thank you guys very much. Thanks. Eliza Taylor Clark. One minute. One minute. <laughs> okay, somebody make this a really good question. <laughs> All right. Six years is a really long time to jump forward. We're expecting a lot of changes for your character. So, uh, what can we expect as far as how she's evolved over the course of those years? We're not going to get to see. Well, like I mean, you know, playing a now I'm talking really fast. Playing a you know a 24 year old woman as opposed to this like 18 year old that I've been playing since I was 23. Um, <laughs> is is a, a huge deal and I think um, yeah what we're gonna see is like the evolution of her just like actually really turning into this maternal um, kick-ass mummy type which is exciting do you think it was a good opportunity for that time gap for Clark to not feel like she was being the leader and kind of watch out for this, maybe herself and one other person, kind of a little more small scale? Uh, yes, I know it's simplified everything, you know, it's like, it's like find food look after child, stay alive. You know, it's not like, this is going on and this is going on in Polis and here and here and here, you know, it's like, it's it's much more um, you know, wholesome and little and I'm really excited about that. Yeah. yeah. What do you think, oh, do you think this is enough time for Clark to have made peace with all the decisions that have troubled her in the past? I'm sure it's definitely been a, yeah, I mean, who knows how long you hold on to. I mean, obviously she's gone through so much loss. Um, so there would still be, you know, that 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 feeling inside her. But yeah, I think over six years there would have been a lot of time to kind of make peace and you know be less um, hurt by by everything that's happened. It seems like the um, calls to Bellamy have been more than just you know the calls. It seems like they've been some sort of like lifeline or like way of having someone to talk to that isn't your really lost child. Have you thought about like what that's meant for her over the six years? What, yeah, I have. And I think that what that's kind of meant is, I mean, I think it's just, it's you need some sort of routine or she does to like stay sane, you know? And I think I think I've, I want to kind of implement like that she does the same thing every day. She gives Maddie lessons, she um, she talks to Bellamy, she, you know, go they go out and they hunt and they, you know, I think that without that, without um, that being a part of the routine, she would kind of lose her mind. 
Yeah. And also like, hello, please answer. So I'm from Argentina and the show is crazy popular there. Why do you think people really want to go there? Oh yeah, really want to go. Why do you think people around the world can relate with this story in particular? Uh, I mean, it's something that we all fear, isn't it? Um, just the potential end of the world, especially in this day and age. Um, uh, since November 2016. Um, so I, I think that you know people around the world can totally. We've all thought about it at one point or another. You know, the uh, potential, you know, bombs, what have you. Uh, and that that's probably what makes it most relatable. But I mean, there are so many other aspects that I can't even like put into words right now because <laughs> I have to go. <laughs> I'm so sorry, guys. Thanks for speed running out with me. All right, bye. Waiter in the same room, I think, uh, or it may have been somewhere else, but it could have been in the same room. We, Josh and I and Ben, did press for Young Justice season three, and what's hard about this is that. They're not very far in production, and they basically were not going to reveal anything. So the most we could talk about was really the journey, I think, from this dead show in season two to fans just being consistent and reviving it. So again, I will splice all the audio together. This is a bit longer. We had longer time because there are only three people, no actors, and... They didn't really, the only thing I think they showed were some character designs of older characters as well as spoiler being on the show come season three. And we know that, what is it, The Outsiders, I think, is what uh, the subtitle is for the show. So you've got Brandon Vietti, who's the producer, Phil Burasa, who's the character designer, and Greg Weissman, who is the producer. <laughs> All right, can you state your name for the record officially? Sure. My name is Brandon Vietti. I'm the co-creator and producer on Young Justice. Okay. So, season three, like, what would you say? Um, I know that they've mentioned, you know, the fan petitions, you know, and, like, the Netflix binging. What do you think, you know, was the straw that, like, finally, you know, broke that camel's back and said, all right, we're coming back for a season three? You know, uh, what, what, what can we attribute that to? I, I got to think it's a number of things. I, I don't myself even know all of the specifics, but the fans were able to communicate their love for the show in such numbers via social media, via streaming, via uh, anything else that they can do uh, that the powers that be could not deny that they needed to look into bringing our show back. So, I mean, undeniably, I think it's, it's the fans and their ability to make their voices heard online um, in so many different ways. That's not something I think we had even when we were on Cartoon Network at the time. Um, I think social media and streaming services, of course, have developed uh, after Young Justice went off there. But it was nice that fans could still continue to find us, continue to still spread the word, uh, continue to try petitions and various things to, to get us back and to get Warner Brothers' attention, and it worked. Did you find it difficult to get back into the creative headspace of the show, or has the plan always kind of been the same, despite the gap in time between production? Yes and no. Um, I'll tell you, like, uh, I, uh, I wasn't sure that we would be back. I, I don't think I thought that we would. I mean, I've been working in uh, animation long enough to know, and I've been a fan of animation long enough to know that, you know, if you get a series up and running, if it lasts two seasons, 
that's a pretty good lifespan, actually, you know? Um, so I kind of thought, well, okay, I guess that, that's it. We had our run, and it's over. And so I, I, and I was sad about it. It was the first thing that I'd, I'd been able to produce and write on, and uh, uh, it was difficult for me to let it go. And in some ways, I worked harder than normal to, like, push the show out of my head so that I could just move on. It was almost like therapy for me <laughs> to, like, move on and get into the next projects that followed for me. So coming back into it, I had to kind of reactivate all these old memories and I had to like binge watch the show my, myself just to remind myself of all the things that we had done and get back up to speed. So there were, you know, there were a lot of things, like I said, I'd almost worked to forget, but there was a lot of it too. We're coming back to, um, it just felt right to come back to it. Um, it's, it was always, um, a labor of love for me. I got to, you know, do so many different things with the superhero world that I'd always wanted to do both as a fan and as a creator working in animation. So it, it felt like home coming back to it. Um, and getting to work with Greg and, and Phil again was like getting together with old friends. So it was like no time had passed once we got together and into a room and started discussing our stories for the next season. So, yeah, it, it was both. It was it was difficult. Some things were difficult to kind of reactivate my Young Justice story brain because obviously it was a very in-depth, very complex story, getting all of that kind of back into my head, but, but working in the world and working with my friends, easy. That was the fun part. So um, Young Justice has always been a show about uh, these younger characters and their relationships with their older mentors, um, uh, parental figures. Uh, are we still going to find the characters within the orbit of the older heroes? Is this more about them uh, striking um, into their own identities and, and having their own sense of self as a team and individuals? Yeah, uh, as a series, that's always been the theme, and, and we're not changing that in our third season at all. So we'll still have a, a heavy focus on our, our core characters that we came to know and love in the first two seasons, but our, our show has always been about those core characters growing up in a DC universe that itself is growing. So we're always introducing new characters. That's, that's again, part of the the young part of Young Justice is that there's always new generations coming up. You got static on there now. There you go. We had we have to keep introducing new characters to kind of reflect the DC universe as as it is, and uh, again bounce those characters off of our core characters who have now moved from like a mentee position to a mentor position, and we give them new generations to deal with to see how they've matured, how they've grown since the first couple seasons. So speaking a little bit about characters, you just recently showed at the panel a new character that's going to be added named 13. Is that right. Tracy 13? It's the Young Justice version of that character. Yes. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Wanted to confirm because you never quite know. Sure. How much time How much time has passed between the end of Young Justice Season 2 and the start of Outsiders? That were cagey. We like to play our cards close, so we don't want to define that yet, but but clearly, um, the art that we showed kind of betrays that. Yeah, we're we're doing a little bit of a jump again, but we're uh, we'll save that surprise for our first episode to reveal exactly how much time has passed. I am hesitant to <laughs> say what exactly what we're going to do. Um, that, I mean, what we've released is that there is a, a meta-trafficking threat. 
and this is a natural progression from our first two seasons. Um, when we got back together and started to figure out, all right, what are we going to do for our third season? First, we had to look back at what we had done in the first two. And from day one, we'd been uh, dealing with, uh, uh, with the creation of Superboy. We'd been dealing with genetic experimentation, creating super-powered people that could be used for weapons. Um, our second season had aliens coming to Earth for the exact same reason. These humans, they have something called a metagene. What can we do with that? How can we harvest that and use that for ourselves? So it's been a, a common theme. And now that it's this metagene is just out of the bottle, where it, nobody knew about it in the first season, we progressed through our stories where it was mad science, it was you know secret government organizations that was, were exclusively dealing with this. Second season, it breaks open wide. Now we've got aliens coming. This is national news now. There's nobody on the planet, probably, that doesn't know what a metagene is at this point. And uh, that's kind of our starting point. It's a very scary world, I think, that we're starting off with in our third season, where um, anybody could be possibly kidnapped, experimented upon, um, and trafficked into some, you know, uh, some uh, you know, use, usage where there where people are being used as weapons for their superpowers. That's a very scary world, and that's where we're starting off. I want to ask about Static. Yes. Uh, I'm a big <laughs> fan of the character, big milestone fan. I actually okay. wrote an article up, an old Icon comic, um, with crossover with Superman and um, I had a commenter say I only knew these characters from Young Justice I didn't know they had this whole history before that and it felt really awesome to introduce people to that but Static is a character we've been waiting to see in some form or fashion for years now the comics have Milestone has, is not back in comics yet uh, and the show is, is long gone so how do you approach this character um, that people have been waiting to see for such a long time uh well, eagerly, because we were fans of the character, too. I watched a... I, I think my introduction was more through the animated series that Warner Brothers did a while back. And so we were eager to bring him in and fold him into our second season and begin to tell his story. Um, I, we know he was a fan favorite, so we wanted to find a, an important role for him to push him into the forefront. And we had our, our runaway characters that we worked him into and kind of found a way, you know, through through the runaways to sort of pay homage to the super friends and some of the characters that they were bringing in that were unique and original characters I grew up with. Yeah. So, you know, even as fans ourselves, we're, uh, we're very interested in, you know, pleasing the fans in the audience, paying attention to what they want, paying attention to what characters they want. And so that was a, a conscious choice uh, for us uh, from fan influence, from being fans ourselves to bring in fan favorites like Static. During the uh, Justice League uh, cartoon about 10 years ago, there was much talk of what they dubbed the bad embargo, where they weren't allowed to use certain characters, you know, based on what was going on in the movies. Did you run into similar restrictions during the first two seasons of Young Justice or anything, you know, similar to that going on now? Has there been characters that you've wanted to use that, for whatever reason, were off the table? Actually, no. Um, you know, we've had a lot of great support uh, from, from our bosses at Warner Brothers and at DC. Um, Greg at the panel had recently uh, even reminded me that there was uh, uh, Wonder Girl, I think, in the beginning. There was something about her. We weren't going to use her right away. 
than what we ultimately did um, as we got down the road. But uh, but really, I I didn't even remember that. I, I cannot think of any time where we were told there was a character that we couldn't use. And a lot of support from DC, and I think DC has even um, you know recognized the fan support uh, from the community. Like they're they're really happy, I think, to have the show up and running again because of because of it being a DC universe show and having so many characters in it, and so many people are finding out about the DC universe through the show. Have you gotten to the point of casting for some of your villains yet? Uh, I'm particularly thinking, unfortunately, of the Vandal Savage or Dorian uh, uh, Godfrey. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go too much into the casting stuff right now until we get closer to, you know, our third season premiere. One of the things that I think people really connect with about the show is there's this... Um, you have a very particular version of the DC universe that you guys have created. Um, how how much of that has been built out behind the scenes? Like how how much of um, you know the, the time frame of the of the actual Justice League's existence and things like that? Like how deep is the show's bible? Uh, extremely deep. Uh, <laughs> um, Greg, in particular, is extremely good at, at writing bibles and tracking. Um, you know, timelines of characters. And I think once we decided that we actually wanted to track real time through the show, it became even more important to develop an actual timeline of like birth dates for people and, you know, when various characters died and how that might have impacted a certain person um, uh, going forward as a, you know, a reference point uh, for story development. Um, so it's, a, it's an incredibly deep Bible. Um, and we're we're just we're tracking everybody in the DC universe. He, so Greg's office is the writers' room basically, and his office is basically wallpapered in three by five cards. And I'm not, I'm not kidding, wallpapered in three by five cards. And on those cards, we have like all of our characters that we've introduced. We have characters that we want to introduce. We have the cities that they live in, and we're constantly aware of this DC universe that is around us. And what's not on the wall, of course, is then some of um, the writings that, that we've done together or the timelines that, that he's created um, that tie all of those characters and locations together. And anytime we bring in a new character, uh, we have to like look to the wall around us, we have to look to the timelines, we have to like make sure that the intersections of any new characters that we pull into the show work, make sense. Uh, we have to analyze, are there repercussions from bringing two characters together? Do we think there's ever been a possibility of them having met before? What might that backstory have been? It is incredibly complicated. <laughs> but I think, again, this is this is one of the textures of the show I think people can feel, and, and I think it's one of the textures that they like about the show. Uh, so while it is a lot of work for us to track, uh, hopefully it pays off for people, and you see it and you feel it in the show. Architecture. Ooh, you go. You have an asset. So, what's the process of making one of these excellent right. episodes? Uh, that's a good question. Um, uh, so, it all starts out in the writer's room. So, Greg and I together uh, break the stories. Um, and uh, it's, it's an interesting thing. We, we try to basically arc out an entire season first. We try to work out every story for every episode so that as we move through the season planning story by story, maybe we'll get to the 13th episode and we'll come up with an idea 
that needs to have plot laid back to lead up to it. So then we'll have to go back and lay lay story ideas into earlier episodes that we thought we had finished, but now we need to go back in and add something so that it has a great payoff down the road, right? So there's a lot of work there in the in the story planning. And then we, we bring Phil in and uh, Phil Barasa, our character designer and art director, uh, designs a lot of the, the characters and sometimes that comes from the story, sometimes his designs will influence the story. Um, we bring our directors in to consult on the story planning. Uh, after a script is done, uh, it's recorded, bring our actors in to record. The voices that are recorded are then given to a team of uh, storyboard artists led by a director where they storyboard the entire thing and basically making a comic book out of out of our script, basically turning the words onto page into pictures on a television screen. And then, of course, we have a great team of, uh, of other designers designing backgrounds and props and, you know, secret bases and cool bio ships and stuff like that. All of this material, all of the designs from Phil, all of the storyboards from our teams of directors and board artists, um, all of the, the paint and color information, it's all essentially put into a box and sent to some animation studios in Korea. And then it's animated there over the course of nine-ish months. I actually forget what the schedule is that they've got, but they have it for a good long time. And then actual finished animation comes back to us and we begin our post-production process where we edit, we add sound effects, and we add music. And then we get to deliver it to you guys. So it's a long process. It takes about maybe a, a year or so to make a single episode. It takes a long time. How many episodes ahead? Well, like I said, for, for one season, we'll, we'll try to work out the entire uh, series uh, for one season. So we work as far ahead as we possibly can. Uh, just again, so that we don't get down the road and realize, oh my gosh, we need we need a lead in for this. <laughs> but we finished all the other episodes. How can we do? You know what I mean? So we're trying to think of it as a as a whole, like all 26 episodes as a whole piece before we actually been, begin production on, on one. That ties into a question I want to ask. Sure. Uh, is there anything you would have done differently over the first two seasons if you knew you were getting a third? Architecturally speaking, this is something you would have said. No. I can't think of anything that I would have changed. I, like I said, I feel like... Um, I feel like what we're doing with our third season tumbles naturally out of what we did in the first two seasons. Uh, if there's anything different, I would have had more seasons, or more episodes in season two. Uh, we had uh, 26 episodes in our first season and 20 episodes in our second season. And I, I think we could feel a difference. I think the pacing changed, trying to tell a big story in 20 episodes versus 26. Um, the 26 is it's nice. It's so nice to have, uh, using the season two context, six extra episodes just for breathing room just to have some episodes to kind of develop slow a little bit. Yeah, maybe like take you off of the main storyline for a while and come back. Um, so I missed that about the second season. But back with our third season, we've got 26 episodes. So very happy with how it's progressing. So over the four years that you've been kind of on hiatus or, or break or, or what have you, DC has kind of been in conversation, like with the the concepts that were developed in in the show. Like I'm thinking specifically of like Aqualad, like Calderon is now gonna he's now in Teen Titans in right. you know in Rebirth. Is there a kind of dialogue between you and and DC in the comics front to decide how these characters are gonna evolve? Or? Um, 
Not a lot, no. I mean, I think um, what they're doing in the comics is a, is a different thing than what we're doing in the show. Um, so we haven't had any big discussions about Aqualad specifically. Um, but I like seeing what they do. It's interesting to see... You're laying some groundwork. Yeah, it's interesting to see you know, how these things grow. I think that's the fun of comics, though, is I think it's different writers and creators come in, they, they take a character and can add a, a new twist to it and the characters are flexible enough to work with that and you know, it just as we're kind of doing with some of the characters from the books, the books are now taking some characters that were introduced on in our show and you know trying something different with it and I just as, like I said, I'm, I am a fan of this stuff and it's interesting to see these variations out there, so I think it's all good How this is the the, dig, the DC digital service. Um, I am not sure yet. I don't have all the details on that. <laughs> um, thank you. <laughs> uh, since you guys were last on the air, um, we have movies now, right? There's a whole DC yeah. universe on um, on the big screen. Um, one that doesn't necessarily seem to be able to support the idea of young heroes ever doing this. How do you could you see like Superboy, Robin, Miss Martian existing in that universe? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> of course. I would love to see that. I mean, the, we know the, there was one Robin who's dead now. <laughs> I mean, the the cool thing about um and you're talking about seeing like animated characters in a real life world, right? Well, no, more just like you know, young heroes. The the, the the way that that universe seems set up, it's like you know, it's a lot more um, dangerous, gritty, uh, uh, oppressive. Like you know, it seems like the, sim- the what these characters symbolize: the younger, more uh, um, optimistic um, type of heroism mm-hmm. existing in that universe. That's what I'm asking you. In like a. Do you mean live again, live action or live action? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, to some degree, we try to think of Young Justice as a live action show. I mean, we're everything that we do, we're trying to through design make you feel like it's a realistic world. Through the stories, we're trying to make it feel like a realistic world. Through the voice acting, the performances, we're trying to make it feel real. Music, everything across the board is, is trying to trick you into that. Obviously, you know you're watching a cartoon, but we want you to forget that while you're watching Young Justice. Um, so it's been exciting to me to see a lot of the, the TV shows like Arrow coming around um, to, to see how that actually looks and how that actually feels. And it's interesting because, I mean, even in live action, I think you can you can actually make something feel cartoony in live action. So. So it's an interesting blend, a, a, a cartoon series trying to feel real and sometimes a, a live-action series that actually is embracing cartoony elements. Like, I love how those things kind of swim in and out of each other, and um, it's something I'm enjoying working with with our show. I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> it's a good answer regardless. Okay. Thank you. So... How, what's the difference between uh, working for Cartoon Network and uh, doing a streaming service? Uh, that's a great question. Um, Cartoon Network was a, a good partner for us. They, they really embraced what we were after in terms of the realism of our series, and they let us explore more mature themes. The beauty of a streaming service is that we no longer have the Cartoon Network broadcast standards and practices which allows us to push a little further than Cartoon Network might. 
and while we're not going for a hard R rating or anything with the series, we still want the show to feel like the show that you watched on Cartoon Network. Um, we do have a little more wiggle room in terms of the more mature themes and even the depiction of some of those things. Maybe, um, you know, a little violence, a little blood, things like that are a little more acceptable with, um, with our new partners than with Cartoon Network. So again, we're not we're not trying to change it. We, we don't want to just be gory for gory's sake or, you know, do, you know, rough language or something just because we can. It's really not what we want to do. But we do want to service the characters and uh, put them in tough situations and explore more mature themes with these characters and uh, the uh, losing the broadcast standards uh, uh, restrictions from Cartoon Network is very helpful for us in that sense. Rock and getting pregnant then. <laughs> I'm not going to show her getting pregnant, but she can be pregnant. <laughs> this is true. Pregnancy okay. was a conversation that we had in our, our second season. She was sure. part of her character arc uh, in the comics, too. She was like a teenage super, superhero who got pregnant. And then she had a baby, and then she had to juggle. Uh, that's more like 20-something justice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Thank you so much, Brandon. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thank you. So much. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's get a station identification from you. Uh, Your name? Phil Barassa, art director of Young Justice. And you swear to tell the truth the whole time? <laughs> no. <laughs> Are you kidding me? This ain't my first rodeo. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, season three. Thousand robots. I can't tell you guys anything. It's going to be really disappointing. <laughs> So Phil, when you're when you're modernizing these characters that are like fifty to seventy years old, what's going through your mind? Um, man, it's always fun, and it's always it's always an interesting challenge. It really depends on the character. It depends on, you know, uh, the various iterations that we've seen in the past. You know, how like how long has it been since they've been dusted off and given a a new coat of paint? You know. Um, so it really depends on the character, but you know, I, I, I love the challenge of all of it. You know, so, sometimes the, the lesser known characters are the most fun because you have the most latitude. You know, nobody cares what you do with, I always go back to Professor Oho, like nobody cares about <laughs> Professor Oho. You know, I think the only thing that Greg told me was like, as long as he has a mustache, I was like, okay, <laughs> done. Um, and then, you know, there's more pressure on the more well-known characters, you know? It's really hard to nail Superman and Wonder Woman because you're going to mess up somebody's favorite version no matter what you do, you know. So I fail at that every time. But at the same time, you know, the exploration is is part of the fun, you know. And um, you just kind of have to do your best and, 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 and make it work for the context of the narrative that we're trying to create and be reverent of the themes of the character. And I think that collectively uh, in this group and definitely with my other collaborators at Warner Bros. Animation, everybody loves the characters. You know, we research it. We don't take it lightly. Um, so, it's... So, is there a character that you wanted to do in the first two seasons but you didn't get to do? Oh my god. This season you get to? That was so long ago, man. I know. <laughs> 
it's hard to like pick characters that you're like when are you guys gonna give me this character when they literally give me every character to do you know what I mean but I always say like I love the fourth world stuff I love like Jack Kirby's Space Odyssey you know it's it could be DC's Star Wars you know what I mean on some level and we visited that world just for a little bit in the first season and I had a blast like kind of looking at Jack Kirby and then mixing in some like Mobius influences and stuff like that and um, I, I'd love to go back there you know so but it's hard to pick a favorite man. so yeah, sorry uh, we saw Virgil Hawkins as a normal dude in the yeah. second season he's a superhero now let's talk about your visual interpretation of him he's been he's had like two or three major looks in the comics mm-hmm. and this is decidedly different give me uh, like two or three iterations that you went through um I didn't go through that many (laughs) um I started on Static Shock uh that was my first animation gig um long story short an executive from Warner Brothers bought my indie comic way back in the day gave it to Dennis Cowan Dennis was like this dude is nice and he gave me a shot as a character designer I have a great affection for that character because that's where I started I'm a milestone head for real yeah. <laughs> bet um, so when we did when we did Virgil in season 2 he was the runaway you know what I mean he, he was one of that group and so I just gave him civvies right you know he had a very like mid 90's hip hop thing cause that's my era you know <laughs> um, and the last thing I drew on the second season was the static yeah, logo on his, and then I then I was done, uh, and so coming back to season three, I don't want to spoil too much, but we have a lot of characters in it, so I don't have a lot of time to marinate on one dude, and I haven't. There isn't, without you know, sort of knocking anybody, there hasn't been one look from the comics for Static that I'm like, that's the one. You know what I mean? Maybe. I'll find it through his evolution in our show or at some other point, but for now, it didn't feel like he needed to go full superhero. So it's just an evolution on his personal style, street, you know, fashion, whatever he's going to wear, but with this, he's proudly wearing the static symbol at this point. And as you guys know, in Young Justice, these characters will evolve, so we don't know what's coming down the line, but I would love to keep evolving that character. There was a um, one of the character designers on Injustice Two. Uh, he, he put on Instagram a version of the character. Yeah. Uh, braids. I wrote it up for our site in one of the. One Did of the, you do the like, uh, like the video game black hair video games? Yeah, 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 yeah. I read, I read that article. Um, but somebody called it ASAP Shocky. Um, <laughs> it is very. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, on the topic of evolution of characters, are you going to update any of the character designs to fit the movies or new comics? Um, I don't intentionally like look to any other specific source. I try to look at everything that's being done with the characters and then kind of filter out the stuff that doesn't work for what we're doing and find and, and find that right frequency for what is going to gonna really work for the story of Young Justice. So I think I'm influenced by everything, in, you know, including, you know, it's like, it's not just what's being done with them in the comics, but it's a lot of other factors as well. 
So I try to incorporate as much, as many influences as I can that work for what we're doing. In terms of new costumes, as you saw on the panel, you know, all the new characters, or all the returning characters with their new costumes. What was that like designing their new costumes and trying to keep it intact with, you know, being recognized as that so the stuff that we show today, like all those characters feel like that's, you, they're unmistakable. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, you know, I added like a little more, like Tim Drake's costume's a little more tricked out. There's a little more detailing. Uh, he's got the hood now, you know, the, the, the series evolves. It's, you know, it, it's, it's, it's always a little bit, seems always a little bit darker without going too dark. Um, so, and the, as the characters get older, they, they naturally lend themselves to like a more mature take or more sophistication in the detailing in the outfits. Like, I don't ever feel like, like if I design a character and you guys can't tell who it is, then I kind of miss the mark, right? Um, it gets really tricky when there's like no good versions of a character or there's nothing that is recognizable, you know. But yeah, I, I always try to keep it faithful to what's been done so that it passes what we call like a squint test. Like if you if you kind of squint, like yeah, that's that's spoiler or that's uh, you know Tim Drake or that's Static Shock or whatever. So missing specific variants. Like uh, the stealth suits from season one, there was some, I think, cold weather outfits too. Yeah, and I mean, Young Justice is so context heavy that you're gonna see that stuff again. Yeah, awesome. absolutely. So we got to see at the very end of the panel, we got to see the the four kind of older heroes in like extreme stealth suits, and we had I think yeah. it was Nightwing kind of in like a muzzle. Uh, it's a face mask. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I'm not into that kind of. <laughs> <laughs> No, you know, no, no judgment, no judgment. We'll call it. Um, we'll call it um, so, I mean, that's that's definitely a variation. On, yeah. On what? Well, if you guys remember, at the end of the second season, he's like, "I'm kind of done with this superhero sure. stuff." And you, also, it's a theme of the show of like going in deep cover too. So, I can't talk too much about it, but Sorry. yeah, that's. I mean, you you notice that he doesn't have any. Right. There's no blue. There's no. Well, there is blue. Really? A little bit of blue piping. Okay. <laughs> they they didn't want me to do it, but I did it. But there's no Nightwing symbol. Sure. So you, that's something that is obvious. Yeah. So Superman still had trunks on the show, right? He did. You don't have trunks in season three? You guys will have to wait and see. Spoiler. <laughs> uh, well, we don't even know if Superman's going to be oh, in season fair. three, though. Yeah. I can't yeah. even, you know. Yeah. It sometimes feels when you when you're designing these costumes, like it, it almost feels like they are so practical that they could work in live action. Yeah. You know I mean? um, how how do you kind of decide, like, like in particular, you know, Wally's costume and and Dick's costume and, and Tim's costume have have like this very very practical real world look to them. Mm -hmm. How do you balance that and mm. still make it feel like fun? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's virtue of the medium, right? Like, we don't have to explain it all. You know, these guys love to make me justify, like, the, like how does this really work? Like, Brandon is very, very much about, like, it has to feel real. But I want it to be colorful and bold and fun, too. You know what I mean? So we, we bounce ideas off each other, try to find ways of making that believable and practical and realistic, and that could really work and stuff good for the cosplayers too you know what I mean like they could actually make those outfits but 
um, it's uh, it, it's a balance because you know you don't you want to suggest detail without burdening the animators with something that's impossible to draw you know and um, it, it's about finding that right balance between you know fun and colorful you know and, and practical and grounded um, and I think that's that's always a priority uh, we don't have the same limitations and restrictions on us that are in the live action stuff because they just lend themselves so well to the medium of animation suspension of disbelief is not a problem you know so it's it, it, but it is it, there's a back and forth trying to figure out what's right I'm always going to try to push the, the fun and the, and the color and the beauty and the you know charming absurdity of, of super Heroes, you know, they're ridiculous. That's why we love them. <laughs> As the characters grow and mature, the new characters—I know they can't tell us who the new characters are—but are their costumes going to be as colorful as you know, first season? I think so. I mean, we've—I've changed. I—I I started on Young Justice in 2009, so you know. We're, we're different people now but yeah you know so you, you evolve as as an artist you know and, and you know you, you work on different things and you introduce new stylistic flourishes but there, there there's this is still a superhero show you know it's not just a a, a, a covert ops show or it's not just, you know it's and i'm always going to want to make sure that we that we stick that landing you know um, so yeah Brandon told us that uh, Greg has created this insane deep Bible for the whole DC universe. Mm-hmm. He's crazy. Do you? Do you <laughs> does he ever come to you and, and like have you have you designed characters that haven't made it onto the show yet? Dude. <laughs> Oh, is that a yes? <laughs> no, I mean, well, you know, you're gonna. There's a lot of new stuff coming for yeah. season three, but we have so many characters in the show already that it's like I don't. I, there's no way I could explore beyond the the limits of what's in the in the outline or in the script, you know, because there's just a. Uh, an issue of volume you know what I mean but I you know have ideas like I might have like a little idea of what we might do with some character down the line if I feel like if I anticipate them doing it or if they've told me but yeah it's 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 kind of hard to keep up you know, uh, just in, in a very practical production sense. Yeah. So you don't doodle. You're not like, hey, you know, if we do Starman, <laughs> no time for that. <laughs> but man, I wish. You know, it's it's just there. Yeah, there's so much stuff coming that, uh, yeah, that that keeps me occupied. Cool. That's just me trying to get Starman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Nice subliminal. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. So one of my favorite aspects of Young Justice season one and two is how you handle Roy Harper okay, and kind of yeah. condensing his entire life story yeah, into sure. like the weirdest read it's, possible. It's weird, yeah. <laughs> but, so how do you deal with that from a design standpoint when you actually have two of the same guy uh, running around the show that to be distinct? Yeah, that's true. Just like cut and paste his face yeah. on different... But he had, you know, he's different ages too, right. you know? And, if he, and then we also had Jim who's Guardian or whatever, spoilers. Uh, and, you know, so it's it's interesting because um, they're all different ages, right? So you, and, they're, and in my mind, Jim was like force-fed steroids or some yeah. kind of sure. growth hormone because he's swole, yeah. you know what I mean? He's huge. And um, that's, it, it is, it's interesting. And plus, Crispin played all those guys yeah. too. Crispin's awesome. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's interesting because you have to put the characters in different contexts, different experiences, and that shapes 
who they are and sure. stuff like that. And I think that's a really that's a that was a really interesting arc for that that those characters. I guess that you know you can't just call it, it's not just Roy, it's Will and Jim as well. And, but you know, and and what was neat about Arsenal is how he kind of failed. You know, yeah. what I mean, he was traumatized, and so things don't always work out. But if you saw the the art we showed today, he's back. Yeah. So. Uh, you guys are a show that got a dip in the Lazarus Pit, Second Chance of Life. Um, what's a show that you love that you felt that went away too soon and you'd like to see come back? Oh, man. Uh, you talked about your own fandom. That's a good question. I can't say Samurai Jack. They're yeah. Bad. No, that, that wouldn't have been my choice. Uh, I started watching this BBC show called Banished. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. It, I, just, I just look for stuff that's streaming, and I, and I saw that it would like end it after six episodes. And like, What's it about? It's uh, it's about prison colonies in Australia. Oh yeah, I heard yeah, about yeah. It, it yeah. was really good, but it looks like they cut it short. But I can't think of like a classic. British shows are like notoriously like short. Like yeah. they're like six episodes. This one, there was no way they were gonna wrap it up in like the last two episodes. But uh, yeah, what well, was? I mean, it is really amazing though to to have that phenomenon now. The fans can have such a powerful voice through social media, and and you know this has been. This is like as hard as we work to make the show. Like collectively, like the fans, like are just as responsible for it, it coming back. And uh, okay, let me amazing. follow that up and take away from TV, comics, or anything else. Something that got canceled, and you're like, damn it, uh, bro, you got me. <laughs> I'm not. In, I'm not in that headspace right now. I'll, I'll follow. I'll follow up with an email. <laughs> so, Phil, I, I just. Have you ever gone back and watched the episodes after they've come back from Korea and, mm-hmm. and uh, seen your designs in motion mm-hmm. and, and after, after, after they've been storyboarded and they're actually in animation? Has, uh, do you get a chance to like look at that? Is there any critique? you ever critique that? Oh, yeah. That? That's a whole process in post-production. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't have... It's the way that we produce these things on some level is an assembly line, you know, and it's very difficult to do QC at that point when you're getting tons of episodes back from overseas. It's like, it's really, the process is very fast, but, you know, we are interacting with the animators, giving them feedback, critique, notes, you know, a lot of times, though, if something's fundamentally wrong... with the mechanics then you have to fix it in between seasons or something like that Um, but yeah I mean I'm super critical of the animation like I don't think anybody looks at it the way that I look at it um, because it's all based on my work Um, so but it it, it is a collaborative process and there and in a lot of ways the various interpretations of the blueprint that I'm sending over like there are some guys that just do such amazing stuff with it that I then push the push more towards that interpretation in in, in future iterations so there there's definitely a back and forth with sort of the lead artists over there they have an influence on future iterations of the style cuz they interpret it a certain way and I see that it's working and then and then we incorporate that into our vernacular so, what artists do you like? Like, whenever you're drawing stuff, do you inspire them to like for like your art designs? Oh my god. <laughs> 
I love certain eras of Japanese anime. Um, I'm old now, so <laughs> my influences are kind of set. Although there are new artists that are coming out all the time that I see that I like. Uh, but, you know, some of my favorite stuff is like The Ghost in the Shell, the, both the TV series and the original movie. Um, the work of Katsuhiro Otomo, um, the work of Kawajiri and Yutaka, the mid-90s madhouse, crazy mm, yeah. stuff. Um, I love, like, really budget Japanese anime from the 90s with all its flaws. Uh, you know, Cowboy Bebop is a work of art. Yeah. Um, you know, also, I... I I've been a professional in, in the animation industry for 15 years, and I've worked with guys like Bruce Tim. And, you know, when I first started animation, like, Bruce was the pinnacle of design. And if you didn't draw like Bruce, you weren't going to draw superheroes, you know? So I definitely was influenced by him and Glenn Murakami and, you know, all these brilliant guys that have paved the way for dudes like me. Um, so, yeah, it's just, there's a, there's a whole pantheon of creators that have, have influenced me over the years a lot of stuff you know there's a lot of manga that i like blade of the immortal you know i love mike mignola's work yeah uh, you know just it's endless <laughs> full metal alchemist uh, how do you feel about the live action dude what you've seen so far all right so <laughs> In this case, they should be white dudes. You know what I mean? They're supposed to be German. <laughs> People are like, finally Hollywood got it right. This Asian actor's like, no. <laughs> Those dudes are supposed to be white guys. <laughs> but I don't want to get into politics of that that kind of thing right now. But um, it looks, it's cool if that's what they want to do, man. It, it looks kind of cheap, but Alphonse looks dope. I mean, Alphonse, that's one of my favorite fiction uh, characters. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the design of it. But yeah, the, the whole story of... of of those brothers is incredible. Um, yeah, the, right now it's hard to judge the movies, but I, I just I, there was a lot of talk on social media, like because it came out with the around the same time that Ghost in the Shell was out, and there was a lot of stuff being said about that. Then they released the trailer to the Full Metal, and it's like they got it reversed. You know what I mean? So, for a follow-up question for my last one. What TV shows do you think are the best wise, not including the Young Justice and the other ones? What what TV shows right now yeah. are the best? Well, like, uh, what ones have you? Oh, uh, just any TV shows or wise that are animated? Oh, uh, a lot of my friends are uh, producing that Voltron show. That show looks yeah, dope. Um, yeah, so they, and it's the same people that did Korra. They're incredible. That whole team is great. Um, man, what else is what else is popping right now? I, I watch a lot of old stuff, so I don't really know what the kids are into. Yeah, it could be a show that's done ailing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I just named a bunch. Berserk, man. I still watch the old Berserk. Uh, you know, a lot of 90s anime. But yeah, right now, people are doing some good stuff. I just haven't, I haven't. It's hard to dip into that when you're actually working on the grind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
so there's obviously still a huge active fandom for for Young Justice, and like obviously we saw on the panel that there's still a lot of people cosplaying. Mm-hmm. Is that does that ever cross your mind of like practicality of how people how fans are going to actually construct these costumes in real life? Uh, it's funny. Um, maybe yeah. kind of. My wife uh, is a clothing designer, so uh, and we've. Um, We've been together for a long time, and uh, I always would ask her, like, what you know, what would sixteen-year-old make this? Yeah, well, or what? Not, not, not so much with the cosplay, but, but actually, like, for for style stuff, for like civilian wear and stuff like that. And um, she's always kind of like been like uh, some somebody that I bounce ideas off, and uh, I think that's definitely affected the way I approach character design for the costume design for the show, especially given what, you know, Brandon's leanings are as far as making it work, sure. and uh, sometimes I'll do a design and my wife would be like, oh, I could see somebody actually being able to make that, because she has an eye for that kind of sure. thing, so it is cool, though, it's great to see, and I mean, most of the, I mean, you see people doing the most outlandish stuff, you know, like, so the stuff that I design it seems like it'd be easy, you know, yeah. to, to turn into great cosplay. What's your favorite kill design that you've done so far? Oh uh, man, we'll do one more question and then one. Um, try not to spoil anything. You can if you want to. Know. <laughs> None of these recorders are actually New working stuff. their props. <laughs> man, I don't know, dude. I, it's more the characters that are fun to explore as opposed to uh, one in particular that I like. Like I said, I love working on that fourth world stuff because of the things that it inclines me to explore or look at. You know, the things that the things that I feel like would be a good sort of th- good to introduce into that into that uh, design motif. Um, but like just badass characters like Black Manta like I love designing the villains the villains you can you know take the gloves off you know you can push the silhouettes you can do crazy stuff with them um, and they're, they're you all the sort of conservative very thoughtful uh, or delicate I should say disciplined approach that you might have for the iconic heroes you can then cut loose on the bad guys so I think my favorite thing is to get to the villains and do the do the fun stuff you know like what went through your mind when you like redesign it to Sportsmaster oh god everybody brings Sportsmaster Greg loves the Sportsmaster design he loves to use it use it as an example of like oh what you know what did like what's what is it about Young Justice that you know is it's us taking these and remixing them or whatever? Um, it's a cornball. Yeah, he 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 had like golf clubs and stuff. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah. So that that that, that would fall into that that Professor Oho kind of category of like, who is this guy and why? Why does he exist? You know? But yeah, I mean, it's it's just uh, trying to trying to make things work for the narrative you know do kite man next <laughs> is there a kite man oh yeah, yeah, I, don't know. yeah I don't i don't know who they are i don't know who they are until i get the script and i'm like who is this guy surely there's no one you know but then there's always new guys like hell yeah i yeah, did hell yeah, kite man. <laughs> that's what he says it's kite man he does hell yeah, yeah kite man <laughs> no way is he is he old or new he's a he's, he's, like, he's an, an old, old character but he's been, been reinvented all oh, right that man's worst anime yeah. he'll like come in on a on a hang on rider a giant kite 
Well, you guys are messing with me right now. <laughs> no, no and his name is I Charlie you Brown. Come, he'll fly into yeah. like a party, snatch yeah, yeah. like some jewels off somebody, fly out the window again. And be like, well, Charles Batman, Brown. let's go fly a kite. I feel like I'm being hustled right now. No, <laughs> there's a kite man. Word. Yeah. All right, I'm, 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 I'm pulling up Google Image right now. Oh, wow. you, you got it on it's Google, okay. and it's, then it's real. How are you doing? Hello. Hey, Greg. Ooh, like your choice. Thank you. I like it too. I bought it myself. Oh. <laughs> Wait, so that's why I was speaking. You're the showrunner, producer. Uh, and Brandon and I, to, right. we met Brandon already. We're the producers and you, yeah, together. We're partners. They, you still had to buy a shirt. They yes. give you the shirt. No, like, you made the show. <laughs> I made but the like, show. You know, yeah. that's but like, I walked into Hot Topic and bought the shirt. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, that, that's great. That'll be $19.99, sir. I don't remember what it cost, but I was going to get it. There was Merch sales are important yeah. for these kind of enterprises, as yeah. we know. Exactly. I would have, by the way, I would have, despite that, I would have happily taken a free shirt if anyone had offered it to me, but no one did, and I wanted the shirt. So, so Brandon was telling us that you have this incredible... Well, don't listen to Brandon. Okay, all right, so there goes my question. <laughs> um, Sorry. He said that you have this incredibly detailed like, Bible for the, in the entire Young Justice version of the DC Universe. Uh, timeline. Okay. Yeah. Tell me all. <laughs> does, it go, does it go back to Krona witnessing the creation of the universe? Uh, I think the first thing on it is um, the birth of Vandal Savage. Oh, okay. So I, it only goes back that far. It's not like what you're saying doesn't exist, but uh, but yeah, I, I, it really focuses on um, focuses the wrong word, but it it. Uh, it's been built over time, so it's been built off of the characters we've already used or are already using in season three. It's not. Uh, I try not to tie our hands too much on things that we haven't addressed yet, so that if uh, you know we um, Harold movies, uh, <laughs> that's okay. Uh, so that if uh, you know we decide to tell the Corona story at some point. Um, which we haven't, just so you know. Uh, uh, you know, we've got some flexibility on, on that. Um, on the other hand, there are certain things about the Justice Society, for example, that I felt I needed to figure out to sort of um, understand how Barry Allen evolved from Jay Garrick and how Wally evolved from Barry and how Bart... So the, the timeline currently goes from... Uh, 50,000 years ago to 40 years into the future, which is where Bart came from. So, um, and there's a, it is, yeah, it's hundreds of pages, a couple, it's like 285 pages now, and I've got a bunch of stuff I've got to add. Um, I just, I'm like a couple months behind in updating it from season three stuff, so... So, oh, go ahead. so it'll be like over 300 by the time. Speaking of art, um, I know Iris was pregnant in season two. Any chance we're going to get to see the turning? I'm not going to give you spoilers other than spoiler. I yeah. revealed spoiler, <laughs> but uh, uh, I'm not going to give you spoilers. But time does pass. Um, so. Uh, you know, Mira was pregnant in season one. We haven't seen their kid. We don't. But um, you know, at some point, the as we move through time, you're going to start seeing some of this progeny. So, kind of building off of 
the world building that you're doing, one of the most distinct things I think about Young Justice is the dialect. It's like the Robin and his like unwords, and then like the crash the mode phrase. Like you have this sort of like very interesting and totally unique dialogue that happens between characters. Where does that come from? Uh, it comes from all sorts of different sources. Um, you know, we like the idea that within the superhero hero community, and particularly among these young heroes, there's this sort of um, in essence jargon. Not even just slang, but just sort of within their own world, like, you know, crashing the mode. What does that mean to anyone outside the realm of the team, right? But within the team, after that sort of catches on, they're all sort of using it. And um, where it actually comes from, I mean, the, the unword thing that we did with Robin in season one came from a conversation with my own kids where it was just like, uh, there's underwhelmed and there's overwhelmed. Why isn't anything ever just whelmed? That literally came from a conversation with my own children. Um, and uh, it just felt right for Dick Grayson. And then once we did that, it was like, well, all right. What's aster? I mean, if you know, I know what a disaster is, but what's if it's not a disaster? What is aster? You know, and so all that stuff came out of that. On the other hand, when we brought Bart back from the future, it's like, well, all right, obviously, slang and languages change over forty years because it always changes. The word cool is always there. The word dude is always there. Don't know why those two always survive, but they do. But other things change and alter so we had to come up with stuff and the irony is is that feeling the mode is slang from the 70s i'm so old <laughs> feeling the mode is actually 70s slang that i used in high school that nobody remembers and i don't know if it was like very you know san fernando valley specific and that's why no one remembers it but no one does so it's just like all right we're going to use it's reminiscent of gleaming the cube yeah you know we're just we'll use that because i know what it means and it's funny to me but it also seemed to fit what we were doing with the Reach and the Reach Apocalypse and everything. So, um, and so even in season three, we're actively looking for. All right, so we introduced Crash and Noted and Feeling the Mode in season two. We introduced a bunch of things in season one. What are what new words will we introduce in season three? And that's something that I've sort of been consciously chasing. And yet, you always want it to feel organic and not sort of like okay, Greg wanted a new slang word now. It's like, I don't want that, but I do feel like that's language has to evolve along with the maturing of all our characters as part of what the show is. So what's your favorite episode out of what to do? I love them all, uh, but if I had to pick a single favorite, it's probably Misplaced, the 19th episode of season one. And I just feel like that was... An episode where we're really firing on all cylinders. We had um, uh, a lot of great comedy in there, but uh, a lot of drama, great action, um, this great sort of conceptual story, uh, a lot of family drama, and ultimately this sort of heartbreaking ending to it that um, is that even now when I watch it kind of makes me tear up and I worked on I wrote the episode and I worked on it and I've seen it you know probably 30 or 40 times at this point and yet every time I watch it I tear up a little bit so that's probably my favorite you're most excited for in terms of season 3 not I'm sorry I didn't hear you is there anything you're most excited for season 3 in terms of the show 
the main thing is just that. Like, I can't believe we're back. It's like amazing. It's a miracle. Uh, there's a lot of specific things that I'm not going to say that I'm, I am really excited about, but there's also a lot... Uh, um, just it's so cool to be back with these characters back with this cast and crew we've got you know some returning crew members and cast members some new crew members and cast members it's really a stellar kind of all-star group um, and I'm really just excited for the fans you know uh, to be able to see this stuff um, they worked hard to get the show back we are incredibly grateful that they did and we want to reward them with the best show we can possibly give them. Uh, this is not a leading question looking for answers. It's more of a thematic. Hopefully you can answer it more thematically. But it's uh, Jack Kirby's 100th, uh, 100th anniversary this year. Um, how does the legacy of his DC work live on in your show? Well, I mean, uh, even in season one and season two, we had a little bit of, of not a little, quite a bit of Kirby influence in there. Um, everything from Sphere to uh, the Forever People to G. Gordon Godfrey, um, and obviously we revealed Darkseid at the very, very end of season two. So all that, the ante is upped on the fourth world stuff in season three. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. Um, I'm not going to go into any details, but, uh, but you know, if you like the Kirby DC stuff, you're going to like season three. <laughs> so um, it may not be what you're expecting, though. I mean... Uh, uh, so Kirby Sandman, the red, the red and yellow Sandman. Uh, it may not be what you're expecting, but there's definitely um, that influence in there. Just as there's a lot of you know Bill Finger influence and, and Seal and Schuster and Bob Kane and and everybody. You know, um, we we are not shy about taking characters from any era and trying to get down to the core of those characters and make them work within the Earth-16 context. So, um, you know, I go very, very deep when I look for characters so that any named character, with a few exceptions like the Terror Twins, but um, almost any named character comes from somewhere in the DC universe so uh, I'll give you one other spoiler we've got Bash Bashford in season 3 you You can't tell me you know who Bash Bashford is (laughs) there's no way I believe that you know who Bash Bashford is (laughs) you can look it up now but I do not believe that you know who Bash Bashford is (laughs) so my friends turned me on to they they discovered this when they were watching the show that like Tumblr would like overanalyze like every scene between like you know like the different characters and there was all these like you know tributes and like you know shipper names how closely you know do you guys pay attention to that stuff or you know or follow the fan community um i am uh i go hot and cold with that uh there are times when i'm like lurking all over the place and really studying what the fans and then there are times when i step away from that ultimately our feeling is is that uh it's easy to get bogged down in this fan i mean part of the problem is is that you know if, if the fans were monolithic and they all said we all want this that'd be one thing i suppose although even then there's a contrary aspect to me that would probably say well then 
at that, we're doing going the opposite direction. But the truth is, is that for every fan who wants something to turn left, there are a whole bunch of fans who want something to turn right. And so, ultimately, at the end of the day, what Brandon and I uh, and the rest of the cast and crew think about is we are making the show that we want to see. We'll do a show that we are passionate about, that we love. We write to our passions. We draw to our passions. We make this show to our passions. And then we just cross our fingers and hope that the fans agree with us. And so far, that method has worked pretty well for us, um, obviously, or we wouldn't be back. Um, and so that's what we're continuing to do for season three. We are making the show that we are passionate about because our feeling is, is that if we aren't passionate about it, if we're just servicing what this fan wants or that fan wants, and we're not passionate about that choice, then how can we expect anyone out there to be passionate about the end result? And so we work toward that passion, cross our fingers that uh, at the end of the day, enough of the fans agree with us. And like I said, so far that's worked pretty well for us. Greg, Greg, one last question. Did you get a chance to read uh, Grant Morrison's Earth 16 comic when it came out? I didn't. I know about it, but I didn't read it. Good. I'm sure it's good. <laughs> it's Graham Morrison, so I'm sure it's good. It's just, it also. It's your babies. Well, it's not just that. It's just sort of like um, when we asked DC from day one, give us an Earth, any Earth. And they said, 16. And so we said, okay. We wanted a, you know, a, an unused Earth. And then after the fact, found out, oh, yeah, we'd done some stuff with Earth-16 before, and I'm like, then why did you pick that one, you know? And, and it's too late, so we're 16, we have to be, because we built that into the DNA of the show, so it, it felt a little bit like... This is supposed to be ours. Yeah, um, but on the other hand, I'm sure he feels territorial about it, what he did with it, too, so... I. I don't know how to. That's comics. Yeah, that's comics. So, it, 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 you know, we're trying to play nice in everyone's playground, uh, but that's kind of where we are. So we're still at sixteen, but he's still at sixteen. So I don't know. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Finally, on Friday, we had Batman and Harley Press, and I was not there because I was set up for a Tim Seeley interview which I went early, and I, well, he, I guess, unexpectedly canceled many. I think something happened, so I was unable to talk to Tim Seeley. But in my waiting around for that, I also missed out on the Batman and Harley Quinn press time. So this was all captured by Josh, Don, and Ben. And the people you will hear are Kevin Conroy, who plays Batman, Jim Creek, who's the writer, Bruce Tim, who's the writer and producer, Paget Brewster, who plays Poison Ivy, Kevin Michael Richardson, who plays Jason Woodrow, aka the Floronic Man, and Lauren Lester, who plays Nightwing. This is Kevin Conroy. Melbourne, a couple of times. Um, Auckland, New Zealand, a couple of times. Um, they're big in Australia and New Zealand and the British Isles. Um, and they're fun. It's fun to meet the audience. So, uh, uh, Batman and Harley Quinn, this is kind of looking a little, a lot more of a comedic story, or at least compared to the other ones. Uh, did you approach Batman in the more comedic way, or was it just, you know, you did it and the story itself sort of surrounded the performance? That's what makes it funny, is Batman is the constant, you know, and uh, the... 
the humor of the story revolves around him, and it's how he reacts to it. That's what's funny. So um, the other characters, you know, Batman is what makes that world so interesting is he's so dark and he's so rooted, he's so stable uh, that the the guest characters, the villains, have always been the color of the show. You know what I mean? The, the, the Riddler, the Joker, Catwoman. You know, they're such rich, crazy characters, uh, Mr. Freeze. Um, but Batman is always the the center, the, the the root of the show. So he's had to be constant, um, and I've tried to be consistent with him, keep him very fresh and and um, real. Has that ever been challenging for you to keep him, you know, fresh and real? But the way I've approached it every time is I always go back to what it's the root the root of the character is what happened to his parents when he was right. a child that was the tragedy of his life so it's not about just making a funny voice it's about it's about going to a very dark place inside you know what I mean so that the voice comes out as something very emotional and and that keeps it fresh that keeps it it real I, I've, I've approached it as a as a, as a stage performance uh, from the beginning and as a classic tragic hero uh, like a Shakespearean character because that's that's the way he's he was conceived he was conceived in Poe Park in New York City in the Bronx <laughs> by uh, Bob Kane and Bill Finger who were two young guys unemployed um, and they used to go to uh, um, uh, Poe Park it's, it's the park in the Bronx where the Poe estate was and, you know, his great piece of literature was The Raven. And so the darkness of Batman and the image of a bat, it was all inspired by that place. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. That's why they really placed it in Metropolis, and it's all that New York gritty from the 30s. It's a very New York-centric story uh, created by a couple of New York kids. I don't think I knew that. Um, you've been doing The Voice for so long, and, of course, there's a lot of you know it's always animated. Um, have you ever been interested to, like involve yourself in like the comic version kind of have that informative performance or is it always like your performance based on the script or the story they give you my performance is always based on the script that they give me because I learned about Batman through Bruce Tim and Paul Dini I really I, I came to it as a blank slate the day I auditioned I was just an actor at an audition I had very little experience with Batman the only thing I knew about it was the Adam West show from the 70s when I was a kid. And Bruce Tim said, no, 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 you know, we love Adam West. We love that show, but that's not what we're doing. We're going a whole different way. And he explained to me this Dark Knight legacy, this tragic hero, um, which was the first I'd ever heard of it. I, did, I really was uh, naive about it. But I think that's actually why I got it, because I really had no preconceptions. I had no... Anticipation of what it should sound like or what he should sound like. I was free in that room to just be an actor and improvise because it was all new to me. And uh, they had seen, uh, I think Andrea told me over 500 people for the role. They could not find the voice. And I think it was because people were coming in with a preconceived notion. And, um, and, I, and I just improvised in there and I got it. 
that segues into um, a question that I had too. Uh, we recently, you know, unfortunately lost Adam West. Uh, when you guys did the Grey Ghost episode, yeah. do you have any? Uh, yeah, we we did a commentary on that for the website we're with a few uh, weeks ago. Uh, do you have any memories? You know, uh, oh, of working course. with Adam when he West. Came in, when, they, when they told me he was coming in and he was coming in, you know, you always you're a little trepidatious when you're treading on someone else's territory in anything in life. You know what I mean? And, and he really established a career with that character. And so I was nervous when he was coming in. I thought, who's he going to think this kid is, you know, um, moving in on his territory? And he couldn't have been nicer. He said, you know, I had so much fun playing this role. It's such a great role. Have a blast. It's yours now. Just run with it and have fun with it. And he really assumed the role of, like, a sort of an elder father figure as the Grey Ghost in the recording. Um, He was very paternal. Um, He was a really wonderful gentlemanly man um, like like Ephraim Zimbalist was that I worked with for so many years um, Andrea Romano has a, is a wonderful casting agent and she has a great talent for finding people who, who were just going to be very generous in the, in the booth and work well with the other actors because you know it, it depends on so much on what you get from the other people it, it feeds you and it, it your performance is really dependent on what you're getting a lot of the time and with people like Ephraim or, or Adam or Mark Hamill you know Ron Perlman I mean the wonderful actors she brought in um, they would give you so much in the studio uh, that the, the bookings got to be pretty well known as a great booking and that's why so many actors started coming in I mean they could get anyone in the 90s in, on that show because everyone heard it was a really fun booking <laughs> yeah. so Without giving you know too much away, how does the relationship between Batman and Harley Quinn progress in this movie? Well, um, it's it's kind of Harley Quinn has really evolved as a character. She's got a huge following now, and she's very popular. And this is the first time we see her not bouncing off of Joker. Um, she's independent of Joker, in this movie. and there's a lot more comedy uh, than she usually has. She, she's funny and she gets to explore that side of herself and Batman is not funny you know <laughs> he does not think any of this is funny so I got to play humor in by, by sort of deadpanning it against her a lot of the time you know playing the against contrast. her yeah yeah the contrast but um she's terrific and uh, Paget as um, Poison Ivy it's a wonderful cast and I like the fact that it's female and male kind of balanced too there's a big female audience now for animation, bigger than there used to be. And it's great to see characters like that for that part of the audience. So what's your favorite part about playing Batman? What did I think about playing Batman? My favorite part. Last question. Ben, you need Ben? Um, the fact that they keep asking me to do it. That's my favorite part. Okay. We have a voicemail. Please leave, this is Batman. Please leave a message. I can't do that. <laughs> Warner <laughs> Brothers. People always ask that. <laughs> Warner Brothers would kill me if I did that. <laughs> Fair enough. <Okay. laughs> Thank you. That's Thank awesome. you, guys. Thanks. Thank you very much. Sure. Bye. Hi, everybody. Jim Krieg. Hello. Hello. I am Jim Krieg. I am the co-screenwriter of uh, Batman and Harley Quinn. All right. So and that's uh, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> Wow. Well, thank you for the interview. We've certainly gained a lot of... That was my contractual obligation to cover the table. So, did you, as the 
you know, script writer, did you come up with the story? Or oh, was no. that Warner Brothers, I, a director? So, like, how did the process work? Did they give you an outline? Like, what did you have oh, to More work than with? that. Um, uh, so, I've worked with, with Bruce Tim before, and, uh, uh, and basically he came to me with, um, with his version of an outline, which is mostly drawings. I mean, the story was there. But he had uh, pages and pages of, of storyboards, so he knew where the story was going, and I more or less kind of tur- turned it into a put in script format, and and maybe put a little bondo where there were holes, and uh, it was good to go. I mean, it was a it was a, it kind of dropped into my lap, and you know what an opportunity to work in the uh, uh, sort of the BTAS universe, or at least BTAS adjacent. It's a little, it's just like it's just like Batman the animated series, but a little bit sillier. So what's what's the the core of the story? Obviously, the premise is that yeah, it's not poison ivy, but like, what would you say is the thematic element that really makes the story stand out? You know, um, I think what makes it stand out is that it is it's taking something super familiar. I mean, most of us, and in, in, if we're here, we know the animated series, and just twisting it a little bit so that jokes. Uh, oh, sorry, knocked your microphone. So. Uh, so it, it, we made room for comedy, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think that's the surprise in this, and that's the the slightly new take on it, on, the, on this iteration of Batman. And uh, I know you're working with uh, you work on uh, Justice League Action. Yes. So did that, which is which is more kind of friendly, which is a bit more comedic. Did that lend it did that lend itself? Do you think to like applying humor to the the, the Batman animated series? You know, kind of like film noir ish world. You know, I I like comedy. I I like jokes. Um, but I have to give credit where it's due, and this was already very funny when I came into the picture. It wasn't like I applied a le- layer of comedy to Bruce's world. He wanted to do a comedy, and uh, and the comedy was already built into a lot of the, the storyboards and the story that he'd constructed. And uh, b- because frankly, I would never—I I don't think I would have the nerve to do that—to take to bring jokes into that super serious world, that mm-hmm. film noir world. But because he'd already done it, I felt liberated to, you know, uh, help him in that endeavor. I, I like it's such a rock solid series that I don't think anybody had any business tweaking it except him. So, uh, so he's the, he's the legitimate person to do this movie. How will this appeal to the younger audiences versus the older audiences? You know what? I think a younger audience would like the some of the more slapsticky humor in here. There are some really silly things that happen. But there are some moments that maybe are not super appropriate for kids, which is why it is a PG-13. And so uh, so don't worry, it'll be on DVD and Blu-ray, and you'll be able to see it in a couple years, he said to the underage <laughs> interviewer at the <laughs> table. Well, uh, That's a parenthetical. It's PG-13, so I can just watch it, watch it with him or him. Okay, yeah. well, cover his eyes when it's a problem. Yeah. You'll know. <laughs> we'll get the trigger warnings. <laughs> so... Doing the um, dialogue for, like, you know, Harley Quinn, what versions did you, like, you know, pull from? You know, because I know Suicide Squad was... Uh, oh, no, I didn't do Suicide Squad. She's not Suicide Squad Harley. <laughs> she's she's old school Harley. She really is. Right, I mean, right, right off the bat, he, he's like, no. <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying I hate that. I think all that's good, I, I, but it didn't even cross my mind. I, 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 as right. soon as, as you're living in the in the BTS world, it's got to be BTS Harley, you know, and... Uh, so we kind of know what her voice is going to be, and uh, I think we I think we stay true to all that. I hope we did. Yeah, I'm sure the social media will let me know soon enough. What are you most excited for fans of these two characters to see? 
Well, there's some jokes in there that I'm really excited to see that I don't want to spoil before you see it. But they're they're really they're very ridiculous. Even in even in Justice League action, when we have Batman do comedy and Kevin is great at comedy, it's a little subtle. It's a little. Uh, but there's some moments in here that are comedic and not subtle at all, and I'm anxious to see how people respond to them. Unless they hate it, and then I don't want to know. Is is bet you know is Batman's character stretched at all to to fit this comedic tone, or does he still very much? The... Uh, I would say the opposite is true. He is even l- l- more rigid than you're used to seeing him because these, you know, uh, uh, comedy is is a kind of conflict. So the yeah. crazier they're a, they're the ultimate odd couple. You know, uh, a Batman who's com- in completely. It, Who's in complete control of himself and usually the situation, and Harlequin, who is neither in control of herself or the situation she's in. And uh, Batman always is working three steps ahead, and and Harle- Harley doesn't know what she's going to say next. You know, so they're at odds from the get-go, and uh, and so it's always delightful to watch that. So, what's your favorite line from this movie, and can you recite it? My favorite line from this movie... Uh, no, my favorite line from the movie is a gesture, and I can't do it. <laughs> oh, okay. Good to know. <laughs> is it a PG-13 gesture? It is a PG-13 gesture, but it's so funny... And, and Nightwing does it, and you'll know it when you see it. So <laughs> We'll look out for that. So enjoy. Well, I mean, he is a dick, so... <laughs> yes. Oh, well, you said it, not me. With, with the comedy, is there any, like, improv in the booth? Or do they pretty much stick to the script? Um, Bruce, I mean, are there, if there was comedy, uh, improv comedy, I would say it was pretty slight. Bruce likes to make a plan. He likes to stick... Highest plan. I, he, I'd say as as a as a producer, he's uh, more in the Batman camp. But certainly, if something funny comes up, he'll he'll be happy to use it. But that's more a question for him. Uh, the last few movies have been brutally dark, um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to this because this this is a nice kind of you know change of pace, is a reprieve. And I know you know no one really knows what's in the future, but uh, are you able to say that there are? Designs to you know flip the script and make some some movies more comedic than others in the future. Are you aware of that? Oh man, I want to. I I really like. Uh, I, we have so many characters at, in at DC that it it feels like a ripe field to do lots of different moods, and that they don't all have to be the same mood. And, and hopefully, this movie will have a certain amount of success so that we can uh, do more of them. So so buy a lot of copies. Oh, and, and now I gotta go. So, yeah, thank you for coming here. Bye. My pleasure. Be sure to cover his eyes. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. We've got about seven minutes with Bruce. Tim. Hello. Hi. Hello, hello. We just talked to uh, uh, Jim Creek, and he said that uh, the idea for the story came from you. Uh, so, where did you come up with the idea for the story? Oh, uh, it started with um, basically. The structure of it kind of comes from an old BTAS episode that we did called Harlequinade, which mm. structurally is very similar with the, the original idea. Was It was kind of like uh, 48 hours, like a buddy cop movie, um, with Batman being you know, the, the cranky older cop and Harley being the, you know, the, the whacked out crazy one. So um, uh, that was the starting point. And uh, it's just kind of fun to team them up together again because he's like, he's like the cranky dad and she's like the bratty teenage daughter that mm. doesn't listen. So uh, that's where we started from. So 
what's your favorite part about this movie? My favorite part? Uh, I don't know if I have a favorite part. I don't, I, it's, it's all a little new to me yet, so, because it's, you know, we just finished it. So, uh, I don't really know yet if I have a favorite part. I will say, the weird thing about it is, I really love the title sequence. We, we, we brought in a brilliant artist named Nate Thies to design and animate the, the title sequence, and it's, it's unlike any Batman animation you've ever seen before. Nice. So, yeah. Thanks for the spoiler. You're welcome. Was this a reaction to a Suicide Squad and the Harley Quinn kind of renaissance popularity that we've been getting? Well, it's definitely the fact that the Suicide Squad movie was coming out. When we made this movie, so we started making it like two years ago. So the fact that we knew a Suicide Squad movie was coming, that definitely helped us sell this movie to the home video people because they knew that she would have a much higher media profile. So um, it's not really a reaction against it or anything uh, it's just you know a, an opportunity to kind of uh, bring back the classic Harley for uh, you know one last one last uh, drive around the block this is the first this is the first one in like the 30 uh, DTVs you guys have done that's like really recognizably BTAS yeah 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 um Was that something that like you guys you know have been wanting to do, or is it just like you know let's just see how this sticks, or are there plans for the future for more BTS design movies? Well, uh, when we first started doing these movies, the we were deliberately making them not look like the animated series because uh, they were supposed to be you know we were all, all intent on branding the movies as you know PG thirteen and you know uh, theoretically more closer in line with what the the comics were doing. So, um, but yeah, like as you said, now that we've done like thirty of them. I felt like this might be a good time. I could kind of get away with bringing back the old style. <laughs> and uh, hopefully if it does really, really well sales-wise, I'd be certainly be up for doing more. But if it does do well, I'm sure they'll want to you know, revisit that style again. And a total nerd question, but is this in continuity with those old ones? You know, I don't feel that it's really up to me to say whether it's in continuity or not because, in all honesty, there have been Batman animated series movies that I had nothing to do with that I watch them and I go, okay, I guess it's technically in continuity because it is those characters and it's the same actors and stuff, but I had nothing to do with it, so it's not what I would have done with those characters. So it doesn't fit my head canon, if you know what I mean, but it is canon. So this movie, it's really up to anybody else. I think of it as being in continuity. It doesn't, as far as I know, it doesn't do anything that absolutely contradicts the continuity, but... I'm sure somebody out there online will find something that's like, oh, it either fits or doesn't Everybody fit. Everybody knows that the Floronic Man is not nice. Yeah, exactly. So. Are there more, I asked this before, but um, are there, do you have ideas for uh, any more comedic takes on, uh, like, DC movies in the future if this takes off? Because there's a lot of them have been, you know, pretty, pretty dark. Pretty, pretty dark and serious, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it was kind of in the nature of Harley that it, it, it seemed natural to go comedy with her. Um, I don't know if there's that many other superhero characters that really lend themselves to, to comedy in, in feature films, but you never know. Maybe. I haven't really given it much thought. Well, what was your favorite part of the process, like what was, of the storyboarding process of all of that stuff? Uh, I, don't, I don't know if there's one particular part. I mean, I always love working with the actors. Um, I've worked with, you know, been honored and blessed to be working with Kevin Conroy off and on all these years. Um, I hadn't worked with Lauren Lester as Nightwing in a long time, so it was great to be working with him again. Um, Paget Brewster is playing our, our Poison Ivy for us this year, and she's always a delight to work with. Um, and Melissa Rausch, who is uh, playing Harley for the first time, she's awesome. She, you know, she does uh, everything we needed her to do. She's she's funny. She's cute. She is vulnerable when she needs to be vulnerable. Um, so it was just a 
working with the actors was was just really super fun. So, how does pitching the movie work? How does what? Pitching, pitching the movie. Pitching the movie. Um, it's it changes. It, it's different on every movie. This one was a pretty simple one. They actually, I had heard, I was outside the room. I actually had was not aware of the fact that this had even come up in a conversation with uh, with home video and DC people. Um, so I, I literally, uh, my occasional co-producer, Alan Burnett, ran into me in the hallway and just said, oh, by the way, we're talking about doing a, maybe a Harley movie. And I said, okay. And uh, I said, uh, yeah, I have some ideas for that. And it was a very easy pitch. Just pitched to them, told them what I wanted to do, and they said, sounds great. So that was an easy one. I guess I'm being waved off. Thank Sorry, you. guys. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thanks. Badget Brewster. This is your seat, man. As much as I want you to try it. <laughs> this is Badget Brewster. Hi, guys. Hello. She knows right where to go. She is. Oh, no, they told me. <laughs> oh. We're all waving Thank her you. over. It's Thank just you irresistible to all men as poison ivy, so oh. we had to make sure you got over here for Great. us. Great. <laughs> so, two years ago, you were Lois Lane. Yes. And now you're poison ivy. And I believe you, you said that Lois Lane was like your first. Voice acting job? Is that correct? Oh no! It was not. No, no, no. I was um, Bird Girl and Harvey Birdman Attorney at Law. Oh, I was on Dan versus. I do American Dad. Um, I was Lana Lang before I was Lana Lang in Dark Knight uh, One and Two. Oh. And then yeah, then Lois Lane for Gods and Monsters, and now Poison Ivy. My mistake. I'm no, don't worry about it. How can uh, you know everything? I don't even know what my friends are up to. I love Harvey. <laughs> Oh, good. Um, but what I, what, I, what I wanted to say was, from Lois Lane to, to Poison Ivy, yeah. how would you compare like the performances that, that you chose to go with? I th- they actually asked me to be m- not that different from my actual speaking voice. It was just be a little be sexier and be uh, meaner than who, because I'm like kind of a spaz. Poison Ivy's very in command. Um, I think you could probably tell that it's the same person doing Lois Lane and uh, Poison Ivy. I, I, I wish I was the voice chameleon that so many people here are, um, <laughs> but I'm not. So the whole character is just based on what is her intention, what does she want, and how badly she wants it, and why. So it's just acting that they can animate to. So. Is there anything you can tell us about why Poison Ivy and Harley are against each other? Yes. Here's what happens. Harley Quinn is trying to follow the law and be a good model citizen. She's left the life and the Joker. She's waiting tables. Batman finds out that Poison Ivy and the Floronic Man have some weapon that they want to use to return the Earth to Eden, like a paradise, maybe by killing all of humanity. So Batman goes and pulls Harley Quinn out of the straight and narrow path she's on and says, you have to help me. She's your best friend. You have to help me stop this. So now Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy have to battle each other because they both want what they want. And they're both right to want what they want, so neither one of them can walk away. Thanks for the spoilers. <laughs> oh, I didn't spoil it yet. Um, this is this. We've heard from all accounts this is going to be a more comedic film. It and is. You come from Harvey Birdman. You come from Community. <laughs> um, so, did you did you find uh, this this time around to be a bit easier for your comedic chops to voice a character? 
that's interesting. Did I? Let me think. Did I find it easier? You know what? I just do what they tell me to do. <laughs> so, because uh, I want them to keep hiring me, because I want to keep doing more of these movies. So, maybe they hired me in the first place because I had a comedy background and... I'm not uh, super, super serious. I'd like to think that they think I sound sexy. I guess that's uh, that's my answer. So, I have to ask. Uh, hey, all right. <laughs> six seasons have been made. Yeah. Do you know anything about the I movie? I don't. I don't know anything about the movie. Have, has Dan Harmon told you that if he makes it, you're going to be in it? Yes, he did say if he makes it, I'll be in it. Good. So, yeah. We love and I think it would be. Oh, thank you. I think the so idea would be, and I hope he does because everyone wants to do it. I think it would be Banks, um, Oliver, me. Like, I think he, what he wanted to do was plan a way to, you know, have everybody come in and have the main, you know, study group. So I just texted Allison Bree a couple days ago because I watched Glow all in one day and love her. I think she's so great. And I said, hey, Allison, it's me, Paget from Yahoo Season 6 Community. And she wrote back, why are you writing me what, how I know you? She just wrote, ha, 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 the whole way. Those guys are great. I saw Joel McHale. A few, he's hilarious. He's a rascal, though. Ugh, what a rascal. Isn't he? Yeah. Ugh, he'll attack your... He'll make fun of your pants. Oh, I miss those guys. Those guys are the best. So I, I really, really hope that they that they do make a movie. I know Rob Schraub was directing the Lego... Like, Lego Batman, I think, and Dan's doing Rick and Morty. Um, so hopefully they'll find a way. I, I, I would love... I, I think we would all love to do it. On behalf of the, the fan base, we'd love to see you back. Oh, thanks. Absolutely. So, um, so for, even though this is a comedy, this is still like you know, an action Batman movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't I have to imagine because Harley and Ivy were friends, now they're against each other. Is there a lot of like physical action that you got, you got to involve yourself with? And were you, um, were you with, the, with the other cast members when you were doing that? No, I recorded alone. So I was lucky enough that I think um, Melissa had recorded before me, so I was able to hear a voice reference um, of her doing Harley Quinn, which I know essentially, you know, who, whoever is doing it, what what she sounds like to me. Mm-hmm. And so I recorded alone. This is the first time I've met Kevin. This is the first time I've met Kevin Conroy and Lauren Lester. And so this is uh, like a nerve-wracking, exciting uh day. Something's happening to you. No, I love it. No, it's just, and I listened to so many interviews like with Kevin Conroy, and I just got pretty deep into it, because I knew I wouldn't know as much about this world as the fans do, and that's so scary. You know, I, I don't want to say the wrong thing, and I, I, I just want to honor the people who love this, you know, universe, so. So what's your favorite... What about playing the role of Poison Ivy in the Batman and Holy Quinn movie? What's my favorite part? Yeah. About about playing it. There is a there is a fight scene between Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn that is epic, <laughs> and a couple of funny things happen in it um, because they they don't want to fight each other, That's but they cool. have to. So that was my favorite part. I hope you like it. I hope you get to see it, and I hope you like it. Yeah. So, uh, 
would Ivy spill Hurley's life if she made the Gordon of Eden thing happen? Well, that's a good, yeah. Yeah, if well, she didn't join Batman? She, that's the problem with this weapon. The weapon that she and the Floronic Man have, if it's off by 1%, it will destroy the human race. But Poison Ivy at her core, no matter how much she loves Harley, she she can't she can't ignore her mission because her beliefs are so strong and so deep and that's that's the problem that's part of the problem is that they're both fighting for what they fight for against each other even though they love each other and I think they're gonna move me over I have one last question okay um, if you were to come back for another DC film who would you like to play? you tell me I bet you know more than I do I want to play a villainous is there someone who's really... I'm really good at rage. Like, screaming rage. Who's that? Rita I want to Repulsa. Do that. What is it? Rita, Rita, Rita Repulsa from Power You should be Rita from Power Rangers. Okay. Like, with the female Furies, like uh, Lashana or Matt Harriet or... Granny uh, Goodness. Granny... What? Yeah, yeah, you could be Granny Goodness. Like, they're, they're, they're awful, powerful, evil women. Okay, great. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm going to get a transcript of this interview. Absolutely. And give it to Bruce. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. We're casting her for the next Thank you. <laughs> all of humanity, they really want to just, like, wipe out all life on Earth. Besides, you know, plant life, they just want to keep everything green. You know, so that's basically that's basically what it's all about with Is those two. Is there any uh, Jason Woodrow? Is it all Floronic Man? Basically, Floronic Man with like a, I guess you would say Jason Woodrow delivery, you know, because he's very eloquent and, you know, he speaks, you know, he has... Oh, I meant, is he Floronic Man the whole time or is he... Yes, Floronic Man the whole time, yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. Right, 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 right. You have such a great voice career. Thank so many you. Great voices you do, and I'm always curious how voice actors come up with that voice. How did you find Floronic Man? You know, I never heard of the guy before. <laughs> so they, they just showed me a picture, and then when you read the dialogue, you realize, you know, when you look at the picture, you think he's going to be like this gruff, giant, you know, behemoth of a creature, you know, you know, this growling kind of thing, but the dialogue does not match that. He's, uh, so they basically said, use something closer to my natural facility. So I did that and just, you know, beefed him up and made him sound a little uh, you know, smarter. With a... Uh, a uh, slight dash of uh, stage standard uh, delivery, you know, like a dash of British, but I wouldn't say full British. Yeah, yeah, yeah just so. a little theatrical. Yeah, thank you. Will said that's Excellent. what I was looking for. Yeah, yeah. No, I got it, I got it. Mm-hmm. So pretty far from like Kilowog or somebody yeah, like that. Yeah, no poses here today. <laughs> yeah. I'm taking you with me everywhere. <laughs> That was a fun one to do. That's a, that was a fun one. I wish there was more of that series. Ah, uh, thanks. Yeah, I missed that one. I really missed that show. How you doing? I'm well. How are you? Oh, good, good, good. Good, 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 good. Got a crowd in here and ask questions that have already been asked. Um, ask you how, you how this Four Art Man performance compares to like stuff like the Mutant Leader or the Joker. Ooh, it was, say it again. How is this performance in terms of you know the Four Art Man different characters, but they're all DC characters and the Batman characters. You played the Mutant Leader before. You played the Joker before. Mm-hmm. Uh, how would you say this compares to the, uh, performing those roles? Wow. In comparison, well, the Joker was nuts. Uh, he was crazy. And also somewhat intelligent, which is kind of interesting. But just, you didn't know what this guy was going to do. Um, very unstable. <clears throat> 
this uh, and what was the other character again? Uh, the mutant leader. Mutant gang leader. Okay, he was unstable. <laughs> uh, he was very unstable. But he was. I was excited playing that character because I read the Miller book, you know, over and over again. And you know, when I actually auditioned and got cast. Ah, I was beside myself. You know, you go, the Batman, I eat your heart. You know, you know, it was just because that didn't he look like he sound something like that? And yeah. with the, you know, the razor sharp teeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, playing this guy um, is completely different because he's not that he doesn't have the monster really sound. He just yeah, not really. Well, I mean, he just he's killing dudes left and right in this one. But um, very intelligent, you know, at the same time, which Almost I think civilized. Right. Very. Very. Thank you. And um, dead, which I believe makes him deadly, makes yeah. him more deadly. You know, sounds like a Bond villain. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Look at me, I'm like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow, man, you guys, I got some writers here. You guys are, you guys are, you guys are writers. You, you also do a lot of great impressions, of course. It was such a great wide variety. And years ago, I interviewed you, and our mutual friend John Viner told me to. Oh, he says hi, by the way. Hey, say hi to John for me. He's a great yeah, guy. He would always said to do your James Gandolfini. So, which is all. The guy's been gone for a long freaking time, you know. I freaking miss him, you know. The guy's gone, but hey, every time I have a bowl of pasta, I'm happy. <laughs> But the question was actually, do you ever take that one of those impressions and turn those into a voice for a, a character? Sometimes, yeah, they ask me to do stuff. I mean, uh, yeah, Gandolfini, I believe I did on uh, the Cleveland Show yeah. and some other guys, and uh, you know, I, you know, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It was sad because you know I used to love doing Cosby. You know, Bill Cosby. Uh, so. uh, but it's, it's a good, yeah. yeah. You see everybody say, what? So, all the money. Everybody's shutting off. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's different times now. So it's like, you know. Not a lot of, not a lot of call for Cosby. And if there is, you probably don't want to do that project. I, well, yeah, I, it's, I, I, I <laughs> see. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I just thought you asked Brian there. You were like. Mm. Yeah, I mean, who, yeah, anyway, I don't know. I mean, who brought that up in the first place? So, yeah, <laughs> me. <laughs> you also more kilowatt. Yeah, yeah. You like that one? <laughs> yeah, 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 whatever you want, pal. <laughs> you also voiced, I'm trying to remember this, you voiced uh, Virgil's dad in Static Shop. Oh yeah, yeah, Robert Hawkins. Yeah, Robert Hawkins. Yeah, and I remember you yeah. always Martin Luther King in the Boondocks. Oh yeah, yes. very, yeah. very um, wow, nuanced, yeah. realized characters. Mm. Um, and I imagine, I would imagine that playing like sort of monstrous characters might be a little more energetic and fun or whatever. But how do you sort of like, I don't know, how do you do you go for a certain role like one way or another? Does it matter, or do you like say I want to do a more realistic person now, or I want to do a sort of a monster person now, or a villain, or? A, Hero's father. Um, how, how do those roles come to you exactly? Because you have a very wide range. Thank you. Um, you know, I have no idea. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you just, I, I basically get asked to do them. You know, uh, and fortunately now I get cast more than a, than having to audition, which is wonderful. And uh, you know, uh, like Martin Luther King, I, mean, I was I really wanted to play that role. I was a little I was a little apprehensive because you know he drops the N bomb in there a few times and stuff. So. But uh, I had fun playing that role, which I heard originally was supposed to go to Jamie Foxx. 
Really? Yes. So um, <laughs> I hope Jamie doesn't come after me now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> He's just holding you right. Right. Hey, hey, man, I heard what you said. Uh, look, I'm going to kick. You know, I hope he doesn't, <laughs> I hope he doesn't you know, come after me. But, uh, you know, but I did enjoy playing that role, you know. Um, and the other, Robert Hawkins, Robert Hawkins. The, the father, you know, the father figure of Static Shock was, was good because he was a man of morals, teaching his son, not knowing he was a superhero, right. how to be a man, which right. I enjoyed playing that. I got to take him out of here. Sure. All right. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Thanks a lot. Thank you so Thank much. You, much. <laughs> you pick it easy. <laughs> Kevin Michael Ritson. Just, what's it like being Dick Grayson after so many years? Yeah, what, okay, what took you so long? Come on, man. You were our Dick Grayson as kids. Well, you know, everybody's wanted me to be Dick Grayson again, and uh, I at last got the opportunity, so I'm very thrilled. You know, we actors, we don't have any say in these things. Mm. So uh, I was thrilled that they decided to make this film and, and to include me in in such a big way because Nightwing is a big, big part of this movie, so I'm very happy about it. What relationships do Nightwing and Holy Quinn have? Solution between Nightwing and Harley Quinn. They like each other a lot. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> What's yeah. it like, um, um, you know, being like Bruce and Dick Batman, Robin Batman, Nightwing with Kevin Conroy again? Oh, he's great. He and I have wonderful chemistry, and I think that's why people see this as kind of the iconic Batman and Robin or Batman and Nightwing series because of our chemistry. Absolutely. Um, is I know you have no say in it. Um, if there was a possibility that you would return, would you like to? Absolutely. In a second. In a New York minute, as we say. Yes, I'm sorry it was so fast, but we're big fans. All right, thank you so much. After that, we stuck around for the world premiere of Batman and Harley Quinn. That was at 7 in Ballroom 20. And, well, first of all, I'll say congrats to Carolyn Coca, who won the Eisner at the same time that I was actually watching Batman and Harley, uh, which was amazing, and congrats to her. And secondly, to talk about Batman and Harley, it is the Batman the Animated Series universe, so you have to... Think about that. It's PG-13, so it's a little more crass. And if you sort of feel like BTAS is sanctified and sacred, you might feel uncomfortable because there were some times that I'm seeing this art and these things are happening. I'm like, wait, what is happening? I thought that it was funny and clever. There are certain moments that I was sort of like, you know, (laughs) cringing a little bit. Batman walks in on some shenanigans between Nightwing and Harley, so if you didn't ship those two before, you certainly can now. What they do is a little ambiguous. I kind of assume that they had sex, but who knows? And there is flirtations later on throughout the rest of the TV show. If you ever wondered what it would be like to pass gas in the Batmobile with Batman present, you will find that out as well. So we've got some gags going on. Uh, so like I said really funny stuff I do I think one of my favorite moments is actually the final conversation between Harley and Ivy and just Harley trying to talk Ivy off that ledge you know and being a villain and everything and and just I don't want to spoil anything but what goes down between the two I think was probably my favorite part and everything Uh, but it is great to have at least Lauren Lester back because we know that Kevin Conroy is sort of a, a mainstay but I so I enjoyed it I don't think it's you know my favorite direct-to-video film I don't think it's it's certainly not my favorite of all the Batman the animated universe films but and and I don't know if I would recommend it to young children um I really think you know PG yeah it's 13 and I would certainly go plus with that 
but you know, check it out if you're a fan of Harley and and a fan of the Batman the animated series, and you'll see what I mean. But again, I, you know, I just don't want to spoil everything. After that, our friend Eddie D'Angelini, who writes Collectors, which is a digital comic, was on a panel about web comics and, and digital comics. Yeah, I should call it a web comic, not a digital comic. And so we were able to. Oh, actually, well, I'll finish this. So we were able to support him and, and hang out with him. And then afterwards, we did get a very late dinner. I should say about Batman and Harley, they did reveal that the future of the, the films that are coming out. So Batman by Gaslight, I think everyone knew about that. There's going to be a new Suicide Squad, Hell to Pay. And then they're redoing The Death of Superman into two parts death of superman and then reign of the superman um and the explanation was that they felt like there was more story potentially to do in the dc 10th anniversary 30 films they did mention that there are six projects that are going on right now in different in different forms and i'm just hoping i almost want to jump up and ask regarding back earlier one because i feel like you know with wonder woman the live actions success that it's time to to go back into that but I did not jump up and ask a question. Well, that was Friday, so now on to Saturday. She climbs a tree and scrapes her knee. Her dress has got a tear. She waltzes on her way to mass and whistles on the stair. And underneath her wimple, she has curlers in her hair. I've even heard her singing in the abbey. She's always late for chapel. But her penitence is real. She's always late for everything. Except for every meal. I hate to have to say it, but I very firmly feel. Maria's not an asset to the abbey. I'd like to say a word in her behalf. And say it, Sister Margareta. Maria makes me laugh. (laughs) How do you solve a problem like Maria? How do you catch a cloud and pin it down? How do you find a word that means Maria? A flippity gibbet, a will-o'-the-wisp, a clown. Many a thing you know you'd like to tell her. Many a thing she ought to understand But how do you make her stay And listen to all you say How do you keep a wave upon the sand Oh, how do you solve a problem like Maria How do you hold a moon in your hand Saturday, another early day. I think that was one of the themes is that it was really early because sometimes there are days where I'm able to sleep in a little bit, but it just seems like a lot of the press was going on early morning. So right off the bat, we have Aero Press, and this was lovely, and thank you again to Josh for getting us in there. I had never been in an Aero Press room, so that was a lot of fun. People have been making fun of me because there's a picture going around with Stephen Amell, and I'm over there, and apparently I don't look impressed. Sometimes my face just falls that way, people. But anyways, it was just lovely to be in there. And I do want to say before I drop all this audio that 
Josh is, uh, you know, even though he got me into this room, he should probably do his research. So there, there are a couple embarrassing moments that Josh has that I would like to highlight. So this first one came during Arrow. Dinah Drake comes up, who plays the Black Siren, and his first question is something like, So what does it feel like to uh, have your character dead and then come back to life? I mean, talk about job security. When really he was talking about, he was thinking this was Laurel Lance. So, you know, internally I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm sitting next to this person. Am I going to be associated with him? Apparently there was another uh, reporter across the table who said, yeah, I I cringed at that. So there was one of his embarrassing moments. Uh, Dave Shutton, Springfield Daily Shopper. Who are you? Where are you going? No, do your research, Shutton. And here's the audio for you now. You have Will Holland, who plays Thea Queen, David Ramsey, who plays Diggle, Stephen Amell, who plays Oliver, Juliana Harkavy, who plays Donna Drake, Wendy Miracle, who's the executive producer, Emily Bett Rickards, and... Echo Kellum, who play Felicity and Curtis Holt, and Rick Gonzalez, who plays Rene Ramirez. Willa, Thea, aka Speedy. Speedy's not exactly a wow. Oh, it's a beautiful Saturday morning. Why don't you jump in with yours first? Awesome, awesome. Get those devices over here. (laughs) So what's up? Fire away. Besides any questions about season six, because I got nothing for you. (laughs) Zero. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that was pretty much everybody. Are you almost like, ah? Do we still have a job? <laughs> That's about it. But yeah. Do <laughs> we not come after that? I think that we all we all kind of figured it out pretty quickly afterwards what was going on. But still, got nothing for you. <laughs> so what's the best part about working for a CW show? Oh, what's the best part? Um. My favorite part has got to be the Comic-Cons and me getting to meet everybody like you guys and hanging out and getting to travel and experience everything that has to do with the shows. Um, and then, I mean, playing a superhero is pretty dope, too. Can't complain about that one, either. So, your character's arc has taken you from trust fund party girl to strong, independent, um, self-minded uh, uh, woman. Where, um, where, where do you think, do you think this is the, the terminus of your arc, or do you think that there's a, another another leap and bound that your character's going to take? And this is all opinion-based, I realize you can't talk about season six. Um, you know, I, that's one of my favorite parts about Thea, is the how, you know, each season she's kind of taken her own bit of evolution and stepped towards becoming a stronger, better character, just in her own self, and as a strong, independent female. And I think that's amazing. Another part about the CW shows is that they do represent a lot of great, strong, independent females out there. Uh, and I really appreciate that part. Um, so, 
I think, you know, that that to me is one of my favorite things, how she's always just continuously changing and evolving and showing like a realistic situations that, you know, women do go through ups and downs and everyone in life goes through ups and downs and everything, but she continuously comes out of it in a their own type of independent strength rather than um, a dependent strength. So that's, that's one thing that I think is very unique about her in most situations that she always ends up coming out de- independent on the other side rather than dependent on anything or anyone. Like she always is continuously evolving into different things on her own accord. As the two longest uh, running female characters on the show, I know that a lot of fans like the dynamic, but it doesn't always get a lot of time. Is that something you guys no, talk about? We like, talk about all the time. Um, I, we don't know why they keep us separated. No idea. No idea. We love the hell out of each other. Maybe it's because we have too much fun when we're with each other and like nothing gets done, but they let me and John work together for so many years, so I have no idea. That doesn't make sense. Maybe they're, they're trying to just get as much work as they can get done, so they need to separate some of us. But, you know, I get it. What was the hardest scene in the film? The hardest scene to film? Probably, phenomenal part of the show and uh, that was one of the hardest things to happen I think to the show as a whole it kind of hit us like all very heavily and hard and also Katie Cassidy before we knew she was coming back that one was also very difficult and losing anyone is is not easy like all together it, it hurts yeah those, those were probably the two hardest Who's your favorite uh, odd couple pairing, uh, Thea and another character? Um, I mean, I love Rick Gonzalez, so I wish that Thea would be a little bit nicer to him. I keep on saying that. I'm like, really? Does she have to be so mean? Like, it's like kind of, kind of really rude. Come on. Um, but yeah, no, that that one. I think, I think hopefully next in season six. Who knows what's gonna happen? Who knows who's around? Who knows anything? But my hope for season six is that he would be nicer to his character. Has it been hard to watch your words for this conversation? Yes. <laughs> This this is going to be the hardest part because we're all on our own right now. The rest of the interviews were together, and I'm literally not going to answer a single question. I'm just going to, any question I get, I'm just going to be like... Well, all these these recorders are actually off. You can give us the real scoop, you know, like, these are all for show. I got nothing for you. Yeah, Yeah, no, good try, good try. I'm just going to smile and keep going on, guys. What's up? Um, that was also very, very difficult. Um, you know, like I said, it's all that's losing anyone in the shows is never easy. But then again, with like with Katie Cassidy's character, it, it reminds us that no one's ever dead on the series. Like that, that is a true thing. No one's ever dead. Clearly, like. But, but who knows? Who knows? Maybe somebody is dead. I have nothing. 
bore you. Zero information. Everybody's dead. Nobody's dead. <laughs> you decide. You're navigating you, the you minefield very well. They're the one who's dead. No, they're not. They're totally not. No one's dead. I got nothing. Nothing for you. And apparently I'm getting taken yeah, away. Sorry, guys. Sorry. Thank you, Thank you very much. Thanks for your time. David John Diggle. We've been giving you a phone as a gift. We've <laughs> given you several. But um, it's a bribe that comes with um, conditions. you got to give us all the spoilers. Oh, yeah. info. Next season, yeah. yeah. You don't want spoilers. <laughs> What's going on, guys? What's happening? Uh, all right. He's a six arrow. Watching yeah. everyone die. That's what's happening. I know. Um, but people are back. So, um, it's interesting, isn't it? It'd be interesting to kind of pay, well, I don't know. Is the cat out of the bag? I mean, do people know who lives and who dies? Yeah. 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 It's kind of tough to get the toothpaste yeah. back in the tube, isn't it? These are all props. So, you know, like, you can say whatever. It's not going to Whatever you want. Yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, you know pretty quickly. Um, you know San Diego. No, um, I mean, you know. Yeah. That'd be awesome. But um, I will say that there's some, there's some, there's been some damage that's happened from the island. Um, not just the explosion, but some of the repercussions that that um, is going to take the rest of season six for people to deal with, and um, not just emotional but physical um, injuries as well. So people will pay a price. I mean that that explosion, even though you know. Some have said already there's been much ado about nothing because they kind of seen who survives and blah blah. But there's um, it was worth it in terms of uh, the suspense that it caused because there's there's um, a great deal of damage. So will there be a time skip and how will this affect the characters? Five months. Five months. You pick up five months from um, the island, and um, it affects the characters in a profound way. Um, clearly, Oliver uh, has a situation. And um, everyone in that on that island that uh, suffered through that explosion um, will be paying a price. Diggle, particularly. So, uh, how long did they spend in Slade's bunker before they're finally rescued or pulled off the island? That's a producer question. That's a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> that is a producer question. How long were they stranded on Gilligan's Island before they got rescued? Um, but that that is a producer question. But it's a very good one. What else you got? Is there any? Um, I don't know if this, sure. But are there any um, reactions to the decision that Oliver made prior to um, the? No, no. That's a good. That's a good question. Um, I, I don't think we questioned uh, in terms of his leadership that, and, and what his leadership brought us to in terms of uh, those those decisions, those executive decisions he made, bring us to this point. That's not what's in question. I think what's. Um, what comes out of what comes out of the island decisions that he has to make personally that comes out of the islands island uh, we start questioning that I think and um, again I can't I can't I can't um, express enough uh, Diggle was profoundly affected particularly in season six by by what happened in the island. Do you think that the Diggles have resolved their marital issues? No. 
no, we're going to play with that all of season six. That's big, right? That's a big, 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 big arc. Um, you know, whatever you call about this vigilante team, Team Arrow, whatever. Um, and being married to the leader of Argus. You know, that's a, easily a six-episode arc right there, isn't it? I mean, that's you know, she has her finger on the pulse of the Suicide Squad. And that's that's just good storytelling. So we're going we're going to play with that a lot more. And this couple has been married once, divorced, married again, and so it's, this is a this is a mature couple that's been through it before. And there was a great scene last year where they had a had a conversation on the couch, and they kind of reached this stalemate and um, came up against the 800 pound gorilla in the room again, and actually mentioned it, saying, you know, this is this has been our Achilles' heel. So we're going to play with that relationship a lot this season. Last question, guys, is for. You know, I, I shadowed Bam, um, James Bamford, our great now director producer on our show, um, from stunt choreographer to director and now to producer. And uh, I shadow him for the first episode of the show. A shadow simply means, if everyone doesn't know me, just you just follow him around and you're his. Uh, you learn how to do it, right? And it was fantastic. So we'll see. This is an executive decision. I have no idea. I'm, I'm just cogging the wheel. All right. Guys, appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. Yep. Stephen Amell, hey Arrow himself. Hello. hello. Nice photo. All right. So, on the CW in the last year, you know, we got to see Supergirl and Flash thing. When are you going to grace us? Uh, 5, 10, 15 minutes after never. <laughs> no, no, never. No. We can't. We can't do a musical episode ever. Like, there are hills that I will die on, and I'm going to die on that hill. Never. When, did, uh, when you found out what happened, even though you can't tell us yet, what was your reaction to finding out? Who lives, who dies? Um, there, there are things that I'm really passionate about every season, and what I'm really passionate about this year is the unpacking of what happened in 523. And, I, you know, it's like having watched Lost twice, I feel like we can answer every question for what happened in the aftermath of 523, like in the immediate moments after. And I think that it's incredibly critical for every single character. That's what I'm passionate about this year. Do you find yourself thinking about what you would do in a situation like that? What would you face with that? I do the exact same thing that Oliver did. I go after my kid. And I trust my friends. He really trusts his friends. And that, I mean, that, that to me is like the biggest growth point for him um, this year, is that he trusts his friends. I pitched that I, I you know what <clears throat> I pitched that idea in season five because I knew in season five that we were gonna end on the island I knew that we were gonna end the flashbacks and we were gonna end the present day on the island and we didn't know if we were gonna be able to get man because he was he was shooting and I was like, guys, if we can't get him, we literally need to rewrite the story. Because I can't go to the island with all the chips stacked against me and not enlist his help. Not just him, but Captain Boomerang. And um, obviously we were able to get him. But I pitched the idea that that was a bargaining chip for Oliver. And the writers were like, that's awesome. 
because I remember in you know episode one fourteen, I remember us talking about Joe, right? And it's like it seemed like a good idea. So what's the best part about playing a lead role in a CW show? Well, that's a good question. The best part about playing a lead in a CW show is, I mean, or any show, is like you feel this sort of sense of responsibility. You know, like there are a lot of people that um, work on the show and their livelihood is from the show. Um, It's been great seeing uh, other actors get an opportunity or to like further their career. And now we're we're kind of in the you play video games? What about pinball? No, okay. But you know like in a video game when you get in the bonus and you're like just try to stay calm and keep racking up points? That's where we are. We're in season six. We're in the bonus. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it feels great. It really does. We worked really hard for a lot of years and we're still working hard. But it's nice to be where we are right now. Are you excited about the kind of sad that you won't have that duality? I'm not sad. We told the story. I don't think that flashbacks are done. I think that flashbacks from 2008 to 2012 are done. And if they want to flashback before then. They better have good CGI because because five years has taken a toll on me. But uh, no, I, I mean personally, I'm excited that they're done because we have the deepest bench right now that we've had in the history of the show. Um, and to take eight minutes per episode that I was in and give them to someone else, that's really nice. I mean, we have flashbacks in the first episode this year, but not in the next couple. You mentioned Manu, and I saw the social media thing you guys did. I fell for it that he wasn't coming back. Did you guys plan those pictures and tweets in the way no. that you planned it? No, no, so, so we were filming on, uh, we were filming on White Cliff Park, filming on White Cliff Park, and uh, they're like, they're going to get a photo of the Deathstroke suit so would you leak it before photos get out not leak it tweet it and but I had nothing to do with how Mano reacted to it that's funny thank you thank you very much guys thank you for coming you're so welcome man Dinah hello good morning how are you how's everyone doing great So did you ever think that you would still be on the show years after your character died? Still, <laughs> um, it's, w- it's great job security, you know. Like <laughs> that, I would still be on the show. Well, just becoming a, a regular was was a huge um, that was a huge deal. It was the first time I'd ever been a regular, and I absolutely loved the show and um, and the character. So I'm excited to be able to play her more. Yeah, I am. Totally, especially because I'm not like that in real life. Like I hate confrontation, so it's really fun at work to just be able to be like, you know, like give everyone attitude and um, 
Yeah, I, that's one of my favorite parts about her. She doesn't back down, she doesn't have a filter, and she's not afraid to speak her mind. It's so fun. <laughs> so, how's the transition from playing a hero to a villain in a CW show? From playing a hero to a villain? Oh, well, that's so Katie um, was Black Canary, and then she turned into Black Siren. I think that might be what you're saying. And we, we play the same uh, version of this, or two different yeah, versions yeah. of the same character. Um, so, to be a villain, I haven't played a villain yet myself, but I would love to, and I imagine it'd be the most fun thing ever. <laughs> uh, but just being able to play a hero has been really like fun and, and awesome. Sorry for my mistake. No, it's not. And it's a totally easy to ma mistake to make. That's that's confusing, and other people make it all the time. So, it's a good question. So, you know, one one of the hallmark of DC Comics is the legacy aspect of the heroes, and you're, I, I think your character is really the, the first legacy character to be introduced to the, the um, Flash Arrow universe. Um, how, how do the how do the other uh, the other characters in season six sort of um, re react to you filling the Black Canary shoes? I think, you know, it's, uh, for, for different people, it, it means different things. Um, everybody was, was connected to Black Canary, and uh, it's, it's difficult when a, new, when a new character and a new, a new personality comes in, but ultimately I think they share the same goals, and um, they're, they're a really strong unit, so uh, I, I think it's good. It's a good thing. It's a good dynamic. Okay. Yeah. Your role is very physical. What's the training regime been like for you? It's been intense, but also one of my favorite parts of the whole thing. I am so much stronger now, like in real life, even when I'm not working. It's like I, I feel like I've become better because of this role. And it's about six days a week. Um, you know, when you're filming, you just get it in however you can. You can train at work. Uh, you can do pull-ups in the trailer, and you can um, practice bow staff. You know, downstairs on your lunch break. And you just, as much as you can, like you just go and and try to embody that like that physicality. So it's been it's been a lot of training, but it's been really fun. Yeah. We recently saw the, um, a picture debut of your new costume. Yes. Can you talk about what the, you know, were you involved at all in the process of making that, or what it was like to try it on for the first time? Oh, it was awesome. It was awesome. I, I wasn't, um, I didn't come up with the d design myself, but I definitely had input, like, as we were trying it on and, and trying different little bits and pieces. Uh, and when we actually landed on it, and it was the first day that we, like, had it done, and I stood in front of a mirror, I wept. <laughs> <laughs> and I sort of felt like the the responsibility of playing that this character and, and like you're saying somebody who has a legacy and um, that it just felt so empowering and it was a really special moment. I know. I I am just as surprised as everyone else. I didn't know uh, until recently about that, but I think it's great because Dinah is she's so dynamic. Dynamic. <laughs> Sorry, she's so dynamic, and uh, she is. Um, you know, that's like one facet of of her that we haven't seen yet because her whole journey started because she lost her love, and um, so I'm excited for her. I think I think it's nice that she gets to move on. Yeah. Will we get to continue to see her um, relationship with uh, Dr. Williams? That's kind of an I loved where they left off. I, I really hope so. Um, I hope so because I love that like sort of uh, 
um, paternal like vibes and, and that you know she has with Lance and um, I love the friendship. I, I think if it did continue, they would become closer. Did you talk to Paul about like what that? Well, last season we did. We were like, you know, um, we t- we definitely talked about it. What it represents, what it means to be the Black Canary when he lost his daughter, who's the Black Canary. We talked about the fact that um, you know, Dinah lost somebody. She lost, the, you know, the love of her life, and that's why she became the Black Canary, or you know, at least got the power. So they should they have that in common. They both lost people, and it brings them together. We, we definitely had that talk. Paul is great. He like he loves talking backstory, and um, he's awesome to work with. Yeah. What was your reaction to the when you first found out what it was going to be, and then once you learned what would happen? I was just like, I want all my friends to come back, please. Like I was so <laughs> nervous, and and um, and then when I found out, you know, it was it was some sadness, it was some relief, it was a, a little bit of all of it, but. Um, yeah, the cliffhanger, it was amazing. Like, reading that, we were all, the cast were, like, just as shocked and nervous. <laughs> so how long uh, did they spend in uh, Slade's old prison bunker uh, before they finally get off the island in society? How long? Um, you know, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure. I can say. You mean like after the after the explosion? Yeah, like the, from the explosion. Yeah, um, you know, they're in the bunker. Right. Um, how long till they get picked up? And, um, yeah, they're they're trying to reintegrate oh, yeah. the process. Stuff. Um, I don't know if there's a one answer for that because they're all sort of they're all over the place. Okay. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Is there going to be like maybe like a bottle episode in Slade's bunker where they just go over all the clips? Ooh, that would be awesome. I actually don't know, but I really like that idea. That's okay. cool. How, how far ahead do you get the scripts? Uh, about a week ahead. About a week. Um, so it's like just enough time to sort of finish up one episode and and like be able to focus and you know like it, it, it's a good we have a good little system going about a week between. Yeah. Do you know of any other flashbacks that maybe happen to other characters? I know they're done with the Yeah. I know that they do. Yeah, I, I've heard that they do uh, want to get into the backstory of more characters. So uh, I, I love that idea. I would love to see more of. Um, I would actually love to see more of Black Simon. I would love to see more of like what's going on behind the scenes and when she goes home, like what she's doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to meet you. What can I tell you guys about season six? Oh wait, not very much. <laughs> How many episodes uh, have you shot so far? We are shooting. Oh, that's such a shooting two right now. We okay. only shot one episode. Gosh, you get me on the tough stuff. I didn't expect that. <laughs> so, what was it like coordinating that uh, uh, three or four show crossover uh, early last year? I 
gotta tell you, it is a total testimony to all the crews in Vancouver and the cast, very tolerant group. It's really, it, what it boils down to is shuffling cast members around. That's the, that is the biggest challenge. It's not it's not that exciting to talk about, but honestly, it's Aww. a logistical, it's a logistical masterpiece that it actually gets pulled off. And it's fun. I mean, I, we were excited about the crossover last year. I thought it was yeah, really And cool. you're doing it, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, we know that um, we are not. We talk about what those might look like, and we do the about having that what you said is exactly what's so great about it is we have so much more real estate now to talk about other people's backgrounds and when we say the flashbacks are over what we're really saying is that we're not going to be all of our story on the island or anywhere else in the last five years five years ago that story is done but we will still see flashbacks maybe to other parts of Oliver's background and most ex I mean, the thing we're most excited about in the writers room is getting flashbacks from other people's point of view so we might see you know whoever survives the island whoever survives the explosion we might see their flashbacks um, but you know we'll, see, we'll get the opportunity to do that and explore other people's backstories which is cool we were always really married to that uh, to telling Oliver's story which was fantastic and now we get to change it up so, in the finale you mentioned uh, Joe Wilson again is there any potential for Jericho or should fans put that out of their minds how can I say this this is tricky um, <laughs> We will not see Jericho, but Stephen announced that we will see Slade in season six, and the theme is family. So I, I think the year is family, and Slade will definitely we'll, we'll hear a little bit about we'll delve a little bit more deeply into Slade's family. So every single season there was a crossover with Flash. Do you guys have any plans yet for that? We do. We have a big exciting plan that I cannot tell you about, but I can tell you it's very much rooted in the DC Universe. It's a big cool idea and uh, yeah, you'll see Green Arrow and Flash fighting side by side again. Some of my some of my most uh, favorite stuff about the show too. Yes. Yes. Yep, exactly. The explosion on the island is something that had been in the works for a long time. It was an idea that came out of our right from our writing staff. Um, we have an amazing writing staff that I think doesn't get they don't get to come to these things and talk to you guys, but they're really the, the heart of the show in terms of where the stories come from. And they pitched it, I think, in June of the beginning of season five. And we knew it was a possibility. We knew that that's what we'd be working up to in one version. Um, and as we moved through the season, it became clear that that was it was going to be the way we go. So we knew we knew a long time. Before it happened, yeah. um, I've been following the uh, the Ray cartoon uh, shorts on uh, CWC. Will we see uh, live action? I'm gonna let Mark Guggenheim answer that question. <laughs> I'm not involved in the Ray in any capacity, so I can't actually. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Stephen Amell insisted uh, that he would never, ever, ever do a musical episode. Do you have any say in that? You know what? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with Stephen on that one. And here's why. Here's why. Flash 
and Supergirl can do that stuff because it's the, the tone is different. I think for Arrow, we would have to do an opera. Someone said as a joke in the room, <laughs> if we couldn't do a musical, we'd have to do an opera. It'd be really gothic and dark, and I don't know if anybody wants to well, see that. Well, there you go. So. Get yeah. Stephen Amell in like the clown makeup <laughs> and like you know. <laughs> Let's do that. We'll pitch that. And not controversial at all. No. no. <laughs> um, and it, it, you know, it seems like you um, went all the back to the Yeah. What's that going to look like? Um, I think depending on the outcome of the island and what happens there. <laughs> <laughs> I got I seriously I got yeah I, I answered a totally different question in a different capacity and like out it it's tricky stuff um if she survives um <laughs> I think it's you know it's, it's something the fans love obviously it's a core component of the show and if she pulls through and, the, and comes out of that explosion some, you know there's no way we can't address that question it's going to be part of the Part of the show. Depending what happens. So we know we know Oliver's alive. We know William's alive. What can you tell us about that? about that piece of it. This, the theme of the season, I might have already mentioned, is family. And we've seen now Oliver with his son, reunited with his son, under very tragic circumstances, obviously. And and again, moving forward, you know, we've never seen a superhero on TV try to be a father. And that seemed to us like a really great challenge for his character. Something we haven't seen him do before. I don't know how you would do it. I'm a parent. I have no idea. Like, if I was out, you know, hunting criminals at night, what I would tell my children, I, I don't know how you would do that. So, those are, it just raises a whole bunch of questions. And yeah, we're going to go down that road and, and see what, see how that, see where that takes us. Okay, great, guys. Thanks, guys. Felicity and Mr. Terrific. All right, we got a two for the price of one right here. This is definitely not See, I told you. Hello, sir. Yeah. How old are you? Like, Don't worry, I'm today. 11 today. Oh, You're 11 today? Awesome. Yeah. Spending his birthday with you. Dude, it's my birthday on Monday. We're almost like the same person. Sure. Uh, yeah, I actually, I called earlier and I was like, is my same person going to be there? And they said yes, and now you're here. But I asked, you know, for you not to be wearing a flash shirt, but it's okay. Wow. Well, but you yeah. and Mary Allen were friends on the show. Were. So. <laughs> were. You were. Uh, were. <laughs> That's what happens when you mess up timelines. Uh, yeah. yeah. You just gotta stop. Oh, cool. cool. So, how's everyone's day? That's great. That's yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Awesome. Everyone's um, awake. But about the cliffhanger, when you found out what it was going to be, what was your reaction? What was your reaction when you? That was literally her reaction. <laughs> that I mean, that was it. I went boom, and then everything else did as well. Yeah, yeah, everything went boom. Why do they let me do this? I feel like I'm just like I feel like everything I do is illegal. <laughs> I'm gonna get arrested for speaking to this amount of people today. Yeah, this should not be legal. What we're doing. I've only been arrested once. I did not say that on camera. Oh. <laughs> no. Yeah. Twice. I didn't mean to lie. Ah, oh, she stopped honest, talking. Be honest. I'm She's trying. going to jail in a couple weeks. Not jail. 
prison. Sorry, it's a much harsher crime. <laughs> but in Canada, it's just like there's yeah, free health care in there, oh, yeah. um, medicinal. Yeah. Fill in the blank. Um, child with the same. Yes, child. I don't even know if that's child, like is that unchild friendly? I don't even. Know. I don't think. I don't have a child. I think it's so yeah. I'm also not a yeah, I here. think so too. You probably yeah. know more than me about most. Things. If you watch the news, you know <laughs> basically. I don't watch the news. I watch Handmaid's Tale, which is pretty much the same. That's thing. That's pretty much the same. Yeah. 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 So, how long do your characters spend in Slade's bunker before they finally make it uh, back to normal society? You're breaking news to us. I was We're like, what? Bunker? Are we in the bunker? <laughs> was like, well, I was happens? like, Echo, you can take this one. Um, <laughs> I I mean this I, I live in Slade Bunker Echo the actor I live in Slade's Bunker because I don't have a yeah he actually doesn't have a house in Vancouver he's sleeping so, on my couch probably this yeah week. multiple couches uh, my ladies just working um, that's my crew that's the crew um, yeah so we were in Slade's Bunker for five whole days thank you for filling that in yes um, <laughs> before we we went to the Cayman Islands after that because it's so Tax close free. to Leanne you Tax we're free. just like let's go there Tax free. Um, uh, we what did we use? We we used a rowboat to get huh. there. It was a lot of fun. This is usable by the way. This is so usable. <laughs> you guys are getting so much info from us. Uh yeah. We'll see in Curtis vacation in the Cayman. <laughs> There's just flashbacks to our vacation. We have like, <laughs> like, like LLCs like just all over the place. Ah. Oh my god. <laughs> Well, I mean, Echo, I mean, as you can tell, Echo looks employed right now. Um, but <laughs> I wouldn't wear my hair down if I wasn't. The thing is, is that, <laughs> um, Curtis actually dies on the island, and then um, we have to go back and pick him up as 11, yeah. so Echo's actually not acting. Yeah, I'm just, I'm dead the whole season, but they come, the camera gets a shot of me dead in the bunker every episode, so I still get paid, technically. One day a uh, week. One day a week. Uh, but I still have to sit there for 14 hours and just be dead. <laughs> actually, well, do you remember? Flashbacks would be really, you know who flashbacks would be really, really sick? would be... Um, um, Juliana's flashbacks because we know nothing oh, of her story. That's true. And that, I think that would be really amazing. Um, I, I honestly don't even know where she's from. Like, I don't know anything about her character's past she's at all. Like Felicity doesn't know anything about her and yet she trusts her because um, she's working hard you know, in our team. And she can scream loud. So that's, no, real loud. Real loud. loud crazy. Like, you got to like, boom, put uh, stuff in your ears. You know? I hear you. I believe you. I believe you. Stop screaming. Yeah. I know you want the tea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why is there any tea? This is coffee. This is crack. This is coffee and crack. Okay. Sorry, this is tea. I mean, it, you mean when we were outside? In the finale, like not. When we were outside and it was pouring rain. It's raining. So there, this is a fun. This is a fun fact. That scene. I'm gonna be very careful not to spoil anything. That scene, um, Echo's character got to be sort of up under a shelter. And what was really great about that day is that it poured rain all day. The girls are soaking wet. The way everyone is soaking wet. We turn around onto Echo's coverage. No rain. 
and he's under shelter. And we were, I was just looking at him like, you mother. Just kid at table, kid at table. Ah, mother kid at table. And, <laughs> and, and then, as soon, honestly, as soon as we turned around again, pouring rain. Boom. It rained the whole time. Yeah. It rained. That was good English, too, by the way. Please it rained, yeah. It rained. I have a good relationship with the rain. It doesn't bother me. I don't bother it. Um, <laughs> but it, I don't it, what it did. It. I don't bother it. <laughs> Like, like, cause a lot of people punch the rain when it's coming down. But what my hair I like to make it rain. drops when it get when it gets like, wet. I want so. it to tsunami. <laughs> make it but so you can see, and if you're looking at see my hair is a little bit like just because the moisture makes it go down and not be as much as an afro. I'm gonna pay you money for using the word moisture in this conversation. I don't think I have never in my life I've used never used the that word. word. I've never used it till right now. So moisture. moisturize. Can everyone together say moisture? Can we all say moisture? Everyone. Say no Three, one. Three, two, one. Moisture. moisture. Thank you. <laughs> Happy early birthday. Hi. Thank you so much. Happy birthday, dude. Hello. Hey. Yeah. Cool. A little tiny piece of guys. Thank you much. How are you? Oh. Yeah. We got to get it all for prosperity. Well, this time of year is going to be wild. <laughs> it's going to be what? Wild. <laughs> Obviously, I can't say anything, but um, our theme this season is family. So I think that I would. I'm hopeful that the trajectory of season five continues. I'm hopeful that the momentum continues, and we see Renee be a father. Um, we see that he continues to. Um, you know, finally win that battle of, of being a dad and, 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 and do that. I think that's awesome to see the level of energy that Renee brings, but then also to see him be a dad. So I hope, I hope. Yeah. Yeah. I would love that. I would love more. I mean, I I believe that there's a huge story with his military background. You know, I think he has. Uh, he's a military guy, and he's also a, a a very good one. I mean, he had a lot of skills and abilities before he met Oliver. Obviously, Oliver brought him to another level. Um, but he's already been kind of formidable before that. So um, I think there's like this whole world before that, you know, just even like prior to uh, Zoe and his wife, you know, there's a very, there's a very dark past to, to Wild Dog because I see nothing but pain and sadness. Every time I read the scenes, I'm like, this guy's been dealt a bad hand a lot. So everything culminated in him becoming Team Arrow in order to be whole and to do the right thing. I, I said it before, um, I think he would have been an amazing villain had it not been for Team Arrow. If, if, somewhere along the line, I think if he if he would have if he would if he if he took if he took crime fighting on his own, I think eventually someone would have grabbed him and turned him to the dark side for sure. So if Wild Dog is to survive, I hear that we're going to get more flashbacks. How will these flashbacks affect Wild Dog? 
question. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think this year we're going to talk more. We're going to kind of try to talk, show the show in the, in, the, in the light of family. So I'm hoping that if if it's about family, maybe we'll see Wild Dog be, be, be a dad. Who knows? You know? And if he doesn't make it, but maybe there's flashbacks of him, you know, when he was a dad. Who, who knows? You know? I, I don't know how the writers are going to do it. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if I even survive the island, you know, and if and if I don't, and I'm still back on the show, how do we introduce those storylines, and how do those storylines make sense to the story, you know, in terms of him being a dad, or, that'd be interesting, so we'll see. Do you and Stephen Amell bond over playing hockey mask? Not at all. We, we, don't, we don't bond at all. Um, we, uh, I mean, I love that moment in season five where there was a tip of the hat to, like, him, you know, with my mask and stuff. So, um, yeah, no, he, he and he talked a lot about his time on uh, Turtles, and, and he loved it. And uh, and and he told me that he, he loved the idea of a character with the hockey mask coming on the show. And he wasn't weirded out about it at all. He, he was like, that's going to be great. So... Um, that was cool. And as a follow-up, um, will, uh, will Wild Dog be getting the same Kevlar reinforced leather that everyone else gets when they sort of become part of that fraternity? Or I is hope so. I mean, like, why can't I get some of that, like, you know, loving? You know, I just call a uh, vibe or something. Like, hey, man, I need something. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I love the, I love the original costume. You know, like, that costume is, I think Maya, our designer, she did a great job. It looks exactly your life. It's a great costume. Yeah. Practical. <laughs> no, you look crazy. I mean, you kind of stick out, wild dog. <laughs> yeah. Sorry to interrupt, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, guys. See you. Absolutely, man. Shortly after that, we had. Supergirl, and this is the second time that I've gotten into Supergirl. If you remember, I happened into it uh, the first season, and so here we had the second season. And this was embarrassing moment number two for Josh. When the actress who plays Lena Luthor came up, who's Katie McGrath, he says to her, uh, So, what do you think about the whole Alex Maggie thing? Uh, especially since, did you know? Did you know in season one that this would happen? And then she she, in all her British glory, says, well, actually, I wasn't in season one, if you recall. No, I was really finding out about Alex and Maggie, along with you, along with the fans. And, you know, meanwhile, I'm across the table giving the cut it out, like, you know, across the neck kind of thing. But, no, he keeps going on. So that's Josh's second embarrassing moment. Dave Shutton, Springfield Daily Shopper. Who are you? Where are you going? No, do your research, Shutton. So, the audio I have for you here from Supergirl is Makad Brooks, who plays James Olsen, David Harewood, who plays Jean Jones, Chris Wood, who plays Monel, Odette Annabelle, who plays Rain, R E I G N, World Killer, Jeremy Jordan, Win Shots, Jessica Keller, and Robert. Rovner, who are the executive producers, Melissa Benoist, who's Supergirl, and of course, Katie McGrath, who plays Lena Luther. McCod Brooks, Jimmy. Hi, Jessica. So, um, is this the Guardian's outfit in season uh, three? <laughs> <laughs> that would, that would uh, not be too Guardian. I mean, I don't know. I mean, 
Batman. Wynn falls asleep at the wheel. He's like, oh, this is your new costume. You know, it's, it's awesome. I mean, they'll be up there at home. So is Jet. He's always going to be Jimmy the Maid. I know you've like you know you've made him James, but like you know. I didn't, I didn't make him James. Uh, but um, is will he be continuing his responsibilities? You know, at Catco, or you know, um, I know Clissa Flockhart was kind of sniffing around again at the end of last season. Are you going to? Is he going to have the same editorial role? Uh, James is still going to be running Catco. Uh, there's a shakeup that happens that may threaten that position. From, from an, a very unlikely source. And uh, there's still more Guardian happening and, and there's, a, there's a love interest. Can you say any, or tease us about the love interest? It's lovely. Love hate? No, it's lovely. It's lovely, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he, uh, I think it has become a little volatile. And uh, um, they don't let us talk about a lot of stuff. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well then, what would you like to see Jimmy do? Is there any kind of like wish that you have for his future, his path? I, I'd like I'd like to get more into his family. Okay. Like to get more into his uh, to his um, his personal life, his backstory, that kind of thing. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Like you know, how does how does Superman feel about James becoming Guardian? Right. Like, I want to I want to have that conversation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Your best friend, if your best friend becomes a superhero and kind of you know does the same thing you're doing. You have an opinion about. Let's talk about that. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. What's your reaction when you read the script from the court of finale and Cat found out your identity within a matter of seconds? Oh, I laugh. <laughs> I mean, but it's so obvious because it's 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 you know that's the kind of lady Cat is, right? So you can't get anything by her, right? And and you know she knows she knows things. Smart lady. Yeah. Wouldn't be helping you out in the field other than just being like a oracle of sorts. Oracle. <laughs> yeah, man. I like this kid. Uh, whose son is this? Yours? He's awesome. <laughs> you're a good. You're a good interviewer. Um, when is when he's going to continue to be an oracle of sorts? That's a great phrase for him. Uh, and he's going to continue to help in the field as well. Uh, and we're going to continue to fight crime together. Do you like that storyline? Do you like the Guardian win? Yep. Yeah, me too, bro. <laughs> me too. A lot of stunt work for you this year? Do you like it? Does it look tough? Stunt work's great. I mean, I, I, I do what they let me do. And then, because uh, you can barely see out of a mask. Yeah. Like, I was like, the first time I put it on, I was like... <laughs> I was falling everywhere. It was, it was pretty bad. But uh, so I do some of the stuff, like a lot of the spins or like punches and some kicks, like that kind of stuff. But if you see anything really, really impressive, that's a guy named Mike Lewis. That's not me. <laughs> so he's amazing. Yeah. So in the show, I remember seeing you with some of the old cameras and stuff. Do you have any personal people? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've, co I've collected quite a few like old cameras with like almost like the accordion sort of like what is, I don't know what's called scope thing, whatever. Right. Uh, they fold up into a box from the twenties. I have like two or three of those. I have cameras from the fifties. I have cameras from the forties. The big flashbulb things. Like, yeah, I, I I collect antiques. Kind of. No, but I, but I, I had them before, which is kind of weird. And then I got I got to the office and I go, wait, y'all stole this from my house. Wait, they didn't. What would it take for us to get a Guardian spinoff? You know, because we got Legends of Tomorrow. You know, we got Flash. All these like you know spinoffs happening. Would you carry your own show? Would I? Yeah. Of course. And, I and would. what would that be like, the Guardian? You know, hour. It, 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 
honestly, it would be like an updated Batman. It's 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 a Bruce. He's Bruce Wayne. He runs a huge company, and he at night he puts on a suit. He doesn't have any powers. He just knows how to fight and use gadgets. So it would kind of be like I think a smoother Bruce Wayne Batman type situation. <laughs> yeah, man, that would be a great show, actually. And since Legends does have so many different heroes from different shows, would you, you know, would you get a kick out of Guardian traveling with them through time and space? Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, listen, space and time travel, I'm all for it, all day, all day, every day. <laughs> very pro space yeah. time travel. I'm, I'm very pro. Yeah, <laughs> multi-dimensional existence, multiverse, all about that. All about that, for sure. <laughs> Well, they suck. Seriously, that's what we said. <laughs> and, and then he walked away. So well, listen, I think, I think we have more time because they're not doing the job. What's that? You, could, you could hide under the table. That would be horrible. <laughs> like there, there, when, 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 the, when someone comes to sit down. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. It's great questions. So can you David Harewood. What's in store for, uh, for John this season? What's in store for John? Um... I can tease that in uh, episode three, there is a big major development. Major development, which is going to affect John and how he sees himself, how he sees um, his uh, place in the show. So, um, big developments in episode three. Okay. Yeah. Which, which some fans will be, um, I think... There's a great connection between myself and, and uh, one of the other actors, and it's, uh, um, it's, it's, it's going to be fun to see how the audience reacts to that second uh, guest actor that comes in that episode. I think it's going to be quite fun. So, which alias do you prefer? The humanized version of yourself or Marsha Bannon when you, when you take over and you interact with your other fellow Martian? Or help out I mean, I love genre. I think, I think, I think Martian Manhunt is great. You know, unfortunately, it's it, it's it's all CGI. It's not it's not a it's not a prosthetic at all. Um, so it's it's all done in the in the uh, you know in the in, in the in the wizardry of uh, production. But I do wish sometimes that I could actually put uh, a prosthetic on and play the Martian Manhunter because he's such a fantastic character, and I think he's. Uh, uh, you know, I feel very blessed and very lucky that the, the characters come to me. I said I didn't audition for it. I, I auditioned to play Hank Henshaw, and then they decided to make me John Jones as well, which has been great. Um, but I'd, I'd love to explore playing the Martian a lot more uh, because, as I say, in the comic books, he's just such an awesome character. Um, so yeah, hopefully, 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 maybe one day we can explore a little bit more of John Jones, the Martian man. He really became a surrogate dad to both sisters, you know, mm -hmm. over the course of the show so far. Yeah. You know, can you, you know, hint at, at how that dynamic might change or evolve this season? Well, I think um, I think it started changing last season. You know, the, uh, Kyla very much found a you know a little relationship there, and um, Melissa has also found a relationship with Monel. So. Um, what I, what I love about the show is that these relationships keep evolving so whereas we maintain that kind of fatherly aspect I think it's now evolving where they're, they're, they're more now close friends so I think what, that's what we'll see maybe in uh, an evolution in season three that it's less about the father-daughter thing and more about um, equals mm -hmm. and superheroes and uh, who are facing different challenges so 
Um, I'm looking forward to seeing the evolution of that. But I, I do like the fact that the internet seems to have called me Space Dad. So that's, that's my moniker now. I am Space Dad to the whole universe. So I'll take that. Hey, how you doing? Hey. Good. Go ahead. So how will you and Megan Miss Motion ship will ship go? How's it going to go? Yeah. I, I love her. I think she's great. Sharon Leal, fantastic actress. Um, we're hoping very much uh, that she can come back. She has her own show now on the, another network. Um, so, um, uh, you know, we have to kind of, if, if, if we can find time to put her in the show, she'll definitely be back. Um, I hope she I hope she, she makes a, I think she does make a big appearance in, in episode three again, um, along with this special surprise guest. So a lot of good things are happening in episode three. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, listen, trust me, you, you're going to be one of, you're going to want to watch that. You're going to watch one and two, but three is so going to be the live, Absolutely. Live, 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 CWF. baby. Live, live, live. live. <laughs> Any more? Anyone else? One more? Quickly? Any villain that you would love to see the Martian Manhunter take on? Have you, uh, you know, done much reading of the comics? Yeah, I mean, he's got a twin brother, right? Okay. So I'd like to see him maybe take on his twin brother. Okay. Um, who's, so would we. Who's really <laughs> evil. Um, so that would be a character to play, as opposed to the cyborg. So, so um, we'll see. Okay. We'll start a we'll Twitter campaign. Right? Thank you. Thank you. Mono. What's going on? How's everybody? Oh, yeah. How are you? Good. Try to figure out if you're going to get claustrophobic in your ship. <laughs> Mono loves pods. He never figured out. He spends most of his time there. So can you spill any details on if you, how soon you will return? Will he, won't he? Um, I mean, I mean, I'm here, so I guess the assumption is that I'm not gone. But, um, you know, I'm actually in the same, I wish I could tease all kinds of things, but I'm in the same boat as you guys, where there's a, a lot of mystery still remaining. And, um, where Mono went exactly and how it's, how it's going to be revealed, and I wish I could tell you the answers, but I don't even have most of them. Did you enjoy doing the musical episode? Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Uh, it it would have been fun to, to join the, the singing, but I also feel like I, I dodged some of the difficulty by just getting to don the period clothes. And, uh, it was fun. You, your character evolved so much, you know, since we met him, uh, from, yeah. from one who was selfish to self-sacrificing. Right. Um, now that we saw that arc happen, I don't know if you can hint at all about, like, as an actor, what emotional journey there is left for you, and is it a tougher one because you, in a way, he's kind of left the bad boy behind him? Right. I mean, I think that, I think the, obviously the main story for Monel was, was exactly what you just said, him shaking what he was and becoming who he wanted to be. Um, and I think that's an ongoing uh, struggle for everyone, even Kara goes through that. Um, and she's going to be facing a lot of that. I think this season's going to be, for all the characters, a lot of identity and uh, self-analyzing who they are and, and who they want to become. Because um, she's recovering from what just happened. Um, Alex is going to have some challenges. And, and Monel's place in all that, I, I would assume, is, is going to be facing um, his new role, whatever that is. Um, and how he, what he's been through with her, and what happened in the finale, how that informs how he's going to react in the future, um, and if he's able to, you know, keep carrying that 
uh, momentum forward and developing or if he was going to have setbacks. Um, and the way he comes back and, and, and what that brings to the show is, is exciting and I think the fans will be pretty thrilled by what is coming. But, um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm still holding my breath to see what the writers have because <laughs> we just started, so we have a lot of scripts to go. Can you say if you've shot any scenes yet? Uh, I've, I have been on set, okay. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So what has been your favorite episode to film? Oh gosh, uh, I love I love working with Kevin Smith, um, who did our episode nine when we went off to the planet uh, of rocks <laughs> uh, and hung out with that really cool alien guy with all the crazy makeup on. Um, that that episode was just so much fun. It was it was putting the the Caramanel relationship through this whole. Um, they were sort of put through the gauntlet on that because they kept facing these challenges together and so their, their differences came out on how they responded to conflict. Um, and there's a great moment at the end where Monel's yelling, start the car. Yeah, I <laughs> Kevin and I came up with on, on set and they ended up using it, which made us both very happy. Because you never know with stuff that you What is it like create. working with him? Because he seems like this big... Oh my He's god. Like a huge fan. Well he gets the show more than more than any of us even do. You know, he, he lives and breathes this material. Um, and especially for I think for me, and I think Jeremy felt this too in ways, uh, Kevin he gets gets comedy in a way that we don't always have on the show because it is so big and it is more about the action and the spectacle. So when you get a guy who gets all that and then also has amazing comedic timing, uh, for the characters like Manel who often says really stupid things and gets stuff horrendously wrong in comical ways. Having somebody there like that's his go-to in his forte. I think it just elevates the material that we're able to play with. So. That's why I love him. He is awesome. He's the best. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. Thank you so much chatting with you. Enjoy the weekend. Cheers, guys. I'll watch my mouth. I bet. I bet he is. It's his birthday. It's your birthday? Happy birthday. <laughs> so this season, can you hint, tease, you know, entice about what's uh, A little bit without getting fired. Yes, I can. Uh, Rain, as we know, and that has been printed, that she's um, bioengineered in the lab. She's from Krypton. She's one of five world killers. She was uh, sent to Earth, much like Kara and Clark. But her, when you meet her, you will automatically see that she's much different than any of the other villains we've seen on Supergirl in seasons one and two in the way that she's not out to kill everybody that's not she doesn't need to rule the earth she has a very specific agenda and a very specific plan and what she wants I think ultimately will be very clear and that story will unfold throughout the season okay okay obviously she's also going to have because it's a whole season long arc uh, an emotional journey too yeah it's, it's, it's also a really heartbreaking story mm-hmm. uh, you know and I I only know a little bit of it and I'm, I'm actually happy about that because I'd like to go on that journey with her and as they write for my character I'd like to just discover it then um, 
So I think it's going to be a really important storyline for this season. It's going to be a little darker than, than things that we've seen um, on Supergirl, and I'm really excited to tackle it. Will Rain try to include Supergirl for the World Killers? Will Rain what? Try to include Supergirl for the World Killers? I don't know that question. That's a really great question, but they don't tell me much. So I'm I'm not going to lie, and I'm going to say I don't know. <laughs> what was the audition process like? Well, the great thing about you know, me booking this job is that I've worked with Greg Berlanti before. My husband was on a show called Brothers and Sisters, and um, obviously Greg was a big part of that show, and I was able to work with him on Brothers and Sisters as well. So to be able to do this and work with Greg in this capacity, and Andrew, who's such a genius, and he's done such a great job with all these shows, is kind of a dream, and it just comes full circle, and it's so nice to, you know, be in this interest industry and do it for so long and still get to work with people that you have worked with before. Um, the audition process, I you know, they gave me some material. I don't even know if it will be the same material that will be used on the show, but um, it was fun, and I and I resonated with the character right away. Does that mean I'm evil? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. So you haven't started your shooting your scenes yet? I have started. Oh, you have? Okay. Yeah, we, yeah, we've, we've worked um, for about a week, a week or, I don't know, long hours, guys. We're all tired, but we're happy. Is it fun? Re did you have a chance? Will you have a chance to reunite with Calista Flockhart as well? I sure hope so. I, you know, Calista was a part of my life when you know we were doing Brothers and Sisters. She was at my wedding. She's an awesome person, and and I hope that I get to see her and or maybe and, kill her or maybe kill her. <laughs> that would be cool. She'll be back. <laughs> She'll be back. Yeah. yeah, she she will she will be back and. And I, you'll see her on the premiere. I can I can say that. I won't get killed for saying that. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank, thank you, you so, much. so much. Cheers. Jimmy Jordan wins. Wind slash Oracle. I don't want to be in a wheelchair though. I also don't think I'd look good in the Batgirl costume. Um, We're not going to get that in season three. <laughs> Batgirl. What's up, guys? So, what is Wynn up to in season three? What is Wynn up to in season three? He's, uh, you know, he's being his his awesome DEO uh, love and self, uh, try, trying to be the voice of reason and the kind of, you know, comic relief. It's a pretty heavy opening to the season, and so uh, I think Wynn has kind of taken it upon himself to, like, try to keep everybody in good moods, good spirits. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's life or death at the DEO. Things are going crazy. So, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's gained a little bit more of a leadership role there, I think, and we'll see that progress. As for his technical ability, his, you know, his tech mm -hmm. genius, yeah. does that get, you know, played out in some new fun ways, you know, does he... Uh... Um, I don't know, I don't know, Wynn's always creating and inventing and building cool new things, so I can't imagine that he won't do some of that in season three as well. Okay, okay. Yeah. 
And do you have any like wishes for the character? You know, like you know, if you had your drugs, yeah, is there totally. a journey and arc you'd like to see? Him totally. Take? You know, I, uh, you know, I, I we barely kind of touched in the first season on Wynn's uh, past and his history uh, and his dealing with his family and his father and you know his father's kind of an evil supervillain and so he kind of knows he has it in his blood and I think that part of the reason that he's so kind of always busting jokes and kind of having a good time is 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 covering up the sort of fear of what else is hiding underneath you know he I think that he has some darkness that he's buried really really deep from his childhood and uh, I'd love to see what happens when that kind of gets unearthed and I, and I and I believe that we're going to be exploring some of his uh, some of his past and some of his family issues this year so uh, we'll see if how, how far we go um, but you know when I joined the show as Windshot which was the character of the Toy Man uh, you know I always had in the back of my mind a, an idea of some something going off inside of him and and maybe turning into a baddie eventually. So you'd like to see him explore the dark side? Oh, yeah. And, uh... Yeah, but still with a sense of humor. Okay. Naturally. Okay. Busting a joke while busting a cap. <laughs> don't, don't. That's, that's the full quote. <laughs> so what is it like filming a, a musical episode for Melissa who has such an unfair advantage in this? And are you guys singing in the background, too, while you're off? Oh. Smash, man. I know. Well, unfair advantage. Oh, I don't on, know about yeah. you, bro. She's, she's like hardcore. You know how many Broadway shows I've done, my oh, friend? Okay. Broadway musicals. How many albums I've been on? Oh, she's more beautiful than me, 100%. I mean, she's got me on the looks. But I mean, we could have a sing off and it'd be pretty close, my friend. Oh, we do it every day. We do it every day. It happens. We sing in harmonies. We bust out old Disney tunes, Backstreet Boys. We have. Sometimes we just walk in and like, we'll have a theme for the day. <laughs> and we'll just start singing. All yeah, right. that's great. Yeah. So will your father be back in... Uh, I think it would be cool if he was. Uh, you know, I, I do believe that if that did happen, it would happen a little bit farther along. So, you know, at this point... You never know because there's all the logistic stuff and creating a TV show. But uh, I do think that we're going to explore some of Wynn's past. And, you know, if some of that involves his dad coming back, that would be super cool. I'm a little concerned about Wynn because he's, you know, working at IT for CACO. And then yeah. he got a second job with the DEO. Uh-huh. And then at night, he's doing Guardian stuff with James. Yeah. Wynn? He's not working at CACO anymore. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay, he so. Well... A cut scene from season one is when Cat Grant fires Wynn. Oh, kind of yeah. an important one. Well, you know, it's the first episode, and he basically walks. He basically didn't show up for work for like three days because he was at the DEO helping them. And she's like, "Where have you been?" She's, he's like, "I didn't think you'd notice that I was gone." And she's like, "Yeah." And uh, but I think she knows that uh, he's got other things like bigger dreams than being an IT guy. So she kind of fires him for his own sake. And uh, I think right away he's like, well, I think I know exactly what I want to go do now. So it was sad to see that scene cut, but the show was like an hour and a half long, so it's a 42-minute cut that they have to produce. So maybe it'll be on the DVD, I don't know. Yeah. What was your reaction when you found out that you had a girl, you were going to have a girlfriend that was supposed to pretty much dominate you? (laughs) 
I mean, hey. <laughs> uh, no, it's, when does when do, when only likes powerful women? I mean, for being as meek as he is, you know, he, you know, was obsessed with Supergirl. Uh, his Siobhan in season in season one was super powerful and turned into a crazy bad guy. And of course, he's gonna fall for like the kick-ass alien and Lyra. Uh, yeah, I think he's definitely got a type. So uh, whether he kind of knows it or not, I think he's going to be saddled with whoever he ends up in the end. It's, it's going to be that kind of person as well. I, I think he, I think he likes it. It's a little fire and ice situation. It also kind of plays into what you were saying about you know his feeling that he might have a dark side because they kind of speak to that. Yeah, I know. I mean, we haven't really seen Win in any sort of intimate setting, but I I can't imagine that you know there is that sort of like secret longing to, you know, have uh, sort of a, an aggression or a sort of a, you know, uh, a darkness or like a, a less light-hearted kind of like meek quality to him that, you know, he secretly does want to explore. 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I have to leave. <laughs> Bye. Thank you so much. You got it. Showrunners. Oh, thank you. Oh. <laughs> Uh, can you talk about this this season's season long arc? You know the the, the beats that you wanted to explore, the direct, the journey you wanted to you know take. Well, where we left off at um, in the finale, we saw Kara having to make a very painful hero's choice to save the Earth and send the love of her life off into space, and that was devastating. And so when we pick up season three, we're going to start from that emotional place of Kara, um, you know, reeling from the loss, and we're going to examine the question of what does it mean to be human, especially for Kara, but for all the characters. As a superhero, is there space when you have to be a hero and save the world? Is there space to be heartbroken and and grieving and all of those things? And at the beginning of this year, she's going to throw herself more into her work and kind of put Kara Danvers to the side. Is it tough when you do a show like this where, you know, it's so often beloved because it's joyful and upbeat and optimistic and hopeful? You know, is it tough having to take a dramatic arc like this where she does, where she is grieving, you know, and is it hard to balance it with those elements and not, and not let it get dragged down by the aunt? Well, you know? it's growth. She's growing up, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, no, I mean, I think we're, we like to tell stories that are true to the characters and that are honest. And so I think that we do try and balance, you know, even though she's in a darker place emotionally, there's still the humor, you know, even when which is true to life, so we try and have fun, and uh, it definitely won't be a downer. And then there's Cat Grant, who's going to be in the premiere, so you know you're Thank always you going to have a lot of um, <laughs> a lot of levity. Yeah. What did you say? Thanks for the spoilers. <laughs> you're so welcome. <laughs> what kind of coordination goes between doing the crossover episodes? Well, I mean, it's fair. I mean, it's a big, it's an effort that all the shows participate in, and it's kind of a, it's a, it's a daunting, but you know, everybody's game, and it's been much easier since we've been up in Vancouver with everybody. But you know, it's it's managing the show because the shows will shoot their episodes while they're shooting the crossover episodes. And all of the writing staffs are in the same building in Burbank, so we're all we're all together. Yeah. So what's the best part about running a CW show? Uh, that it's awesome. Hanging out with yeah. Robert. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, I mean, it's a fantasy. I mean, it's, it's uh, great to be able to write for these iconic characters and to be part of uh, a show that is able to uh, kind of be a 
character that's a role model, but also show that it's able to talk about interesting issues and be uh, on the forefront of kind of uh, a dialogue that I think all of us need right now. And so that's great, and also it's awesome to work with all the special effects and do all the cool stuff that we're able to do. But it's so cool to tell stories that affect so many people's lives and to have that big of an audience is just so special. Any chance we can get some more Superman this season? We love Tyler. Uh, when he's available. We'd love to have him back. The story takes us there. Go ahead. Go ahead. We were talking to Michaud. Uh, what would it take to get a Guardian spinoff? Uh, last he, right now, he's, in, he's on Supergirl. We're not giving we him off. Are you kidding me? He's stuck with us. Yeah. For now. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you guys so much. Melissa Benoist. Supergirl. Hey there, morning. We were talking to the producers about how, you know, one of the great things about the show is its optimism, its hope, and, you know, and is it is it tough to kind of have the character in a little bit of a grieving period, you know, to balance it with those things so that it doesn't get too dragged down with angst and, and so forth? It's not, t- it's not tough. I fe- it feels right. Mm-hmm. It feels like the natural progression. It feels like what should be happening for her right now because of what she went through. I've always thought of her story as so tragic beautifully tragic because of how she turned around losing her entire world and her family and her entire life as she knew it and then coming to earth and building this life so you know she handled that as a child and now she's handling grief as an adult and that's a different beast so of course she should have this period of darkness and it's interesting to feel that in this character and so it's new how do you like playing with the, I would say, the goofy human aspect and then transitioning to you know, Supergirl? I mean, that's always so lovely. I, I feel fortunate that I almost feel like I get to play two roles sometimes because Cara Danvers and Cara Zor-El are so different. Cara Danvers is such a dweeb and a dork, and I love her. But this, uh, you know, Monel going to space has kind of shaken, shook, shooken. <laughs> it shook her to her core, and she's dealing with it on every front of her life. And the scales that she's always trying to handle and maintain of Kara Zorel, the reporter, or Kara Zorel, the superhero, and Kara Danvers, the reporter, are very much leaning towards Supergirl right now. And um, it'll be interesting for what to, to see what people think of it. Is Whip going to be back next season? Is who? Whip. Whip. The, um, the editorial guy, I forgot the actor's name, but the, the, um, the editorial guy, you have to try to um, get the stories passed. Oh. Oh, yes. Oh, a snapper. Snapper. Um, I don't. I I love Ian. Um, I believe he has another project he's working on. But if we can have him back in any way, shape, or form, I would love to. That dynamic is really fun. It was really. It was. It was interesting to see. <laughs> and you get to reunite with Calista Blackheart uh, in the first episode. Can you talk a little bit about that? They've always, you know, their, their relationship is one of the most fascinating in the mm-hmm. entire show. Well, the way that she comes back, I commend the writers for. It's really clever. It's really. I think it's a brilliant way to have her involved in the universe uh, and it's pretty it's great so 
what's the best part about being such an inspiration to women and young girls? It's you know what I love about it is that it's not just me. I feel like the CW and especially on all of the superhero shows has so many strong women that represent women from all walks of life, all sexualities, all races, and and I'm really proud to be a part of it because we we get to show people the complexities of being a woman and finding strength in yourself from so many different arenas and venues and that's really cool. So we were talking about the musical episode. This is the last question. And I, and I said, you have the unfair advantage because you know, you've done, and he's busting out of it like a smash and blow his face. Who's the better singer here? Jeremy. Jeremy? Jeremy can uh, sing circles around me. So, so, so now I have to go back and apologize. Because huh? <laughs> you're just Supergirl telling me, no, Jeremy. Okay, I see how it is. He's, I've seen Jeremy. We've both seen each other sing live and we sing together all the time, but... Jeremy has a really special voice. He is has a beautiful singer. So we hear it live. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Kitty McGrath, Lena Luther. Who are you? Hello, you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to start with you guys then. So, at what point, you know, um, did you know the turn that they were going to take with Alex this, um, you know, past season, you know, with uh, her and Maggie? Like, did you know in season one that, you know, Alex well, I wasn't, kind of I wasn't in season one. I don't know. I was a fan, like anyone else. And with season two, I knew when I got the script, because when I first signed on to the show, I only signed for a couple of episodes. So I was just sort of coming in as a guest star, and I didn't really know what was going to happen. And I just sort of stay quiet and hope they wouldn't get rid of me and here we are season three so I found out the same way everybody else did almost when the script came out I didn't have any forewarning and I thought it was unexpected and so genius and so gently handled and so elegant and so on point and it was brave I mean you would expect something like this in a show on HBO or on Showtime but to do it in this way um, with such a mass audience I think was very kind and, and, and very brave so is Lena's the only person that doesn't know that Kara is Supergirl right now? Damn right. <laughs> <laughs> is she going to figure it out? I don't want her to figure it out. I was saying here, the, the magic of a show like this is that there is somebody who, who doesn't know that they are the same person. Because what's great about watching it is about watching this superhuman being or this super alien trying to be human and struggling with humanity. And if everybody knows they're the same person, you don't get to watch that. And so the scenes I have with Kara are are Kara's human Kara's humanity. Whereas with everyone else she has to be the superhero. But with me she can be flawed. And you want to be able to see that. And if you lose that then you lose the flaws in the hero. And that's what makes a hero relatable. It's also kind of a cool So basically I'm why Supergirl's relatable, you're all <laughs> It's also kind of a cool metaphor for real life friendships, you exactly. know, because friends keep secrets from each other. And, exactly. You know. But also there's always that one friend that you can be vulnerable with. And I think I'm that for, for Supergirl. And if I knew she was a hero, I wouldn't be able to do that. And everybody needs that. Okay. Got our two minutes? Okay. <laughs> that was it. That was it. Sorry guys. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. 
after this, I didn't really have any plans, but I was thinking about meeting up with Carolyn at some point, and Saturday was going to be that. Josh was going to try to get into Flash, and I know that he had Gotham on Saturday as well. If you're looking for Gotham audio, you can go to the Batman universe, and you'll find it there, at least a write-up. And Donovan was going to do press for... Riverdale, and I think that is going to appear on Earth2.net, I'm pretty sure. And unfortunately, Josh was not able to get into Flash, but he was able to get some pictures. Today was Ben's birthday, and so he he was able to use that, I think, to his advantage and get lots of pictures with the Flash cast as well as later on the Gotham cast. So I ended up going over, there was a panel, what was it, writing new stories in old universes and... It had Mark Wade and Marguerite Bennett and Gail Simone and Tom King and the writer of Squirrel Girl, whose name I have now forgotten. But uh, Carolyn wanted to go to that, and so uh, I ended up meeting up with her there at that panel, and uh, we sat together, and then afterwards we chatted for like an hour, which was just really pleasant about just all things, you know, comics and, and all sorts of things, and it was uh, just really great, and I got to congratulate her in person about winning the Eisner, of course. So that was basically the Saturday. After that, Don was going to meet up with his friend Harry, with whom he does the Questions We Don't Have Answers podcast. And so I met back up with uh, Josh and Ben. Uh, I originally was going to try to get into Hall H to see the Marvel panel, but it was just too late to even try, and I think that they were at capacity anyways. Uh, So Josh, Ben, and I just ended up going out to eat and uh, Ben really wanted Taco Bell for his birthday so we ended up finding a Taco Bell and just hanging out and then yeah I think that night was easier I don't really remember anything too strenuous <laughs> going on late night uh, I think I remember just going back to my hotel room and uh, finishing up a book that I was really trying to finish up so
salvation And I pray Oh my God, do I pray I pray for single day For revolution Into a closer Yeah, there you go. So now on to Sunday. And Sunday is the day that I can sort of expect to maybe sleep in a little bit. And by sleep in a little bit, I mean like maybe past seven. But unfortunately, no, there is an early morning panel once again. So this happened to be Lego DC Superhero Girls Brain Drain. And... You know, I always really like these. The room was very different because it was actually pretty empty compared to all the other rooms that we had been doing. But they were also doubling up with the Scooby-Doo new film that was coming out as well, which I did not do press for. But it is always nice to see, of course, Tara Strong and, and Greg Griffin again and all of that stuff. And I do really enjoy the DC superhero girls. So... The people we had were Anais Fairweather, who plays Supergirl, Jeremy Adams, who's the writer, Greg Riffin, who plays Wonder Woman, Tara Strong, who plays Harley Quinn, and Rick Morales, who is the executive producer. Anais Fairweather, Supergirl. Yes, yes, I know. Who's who? Who's the who's the face behind the voice? Um, yes, I'm Annie East Fairweather, and I play uh, Supergirl, the voice of Supergirl. So. I'll lead off. Okay, cool. <laughs> I, I'm a huge Supergirl fan, and oh. it's been great to see her become such a pop culture icon over the last few years. Yes. How does it feel playing a character that has exploded the way this character has through multiple different media? Well, it's amazing because I get to see her everywhere on a little girl. You know, I get to see a Supergirl shirt or dress or something, and I think it's just so wonderful, especially for young women growing up today, to have that 
that, to see Supergirl specifically, and then I get to play her voice is crazy and bizarre. I got teased my whole life growing up for my voice, um, you know, my voice has always been sort of scratchy and I've, I was just always teased, you know? So it's so wonderful to now be able to say, you know, I am the voice of Supergirl. Like that's, it's crazy. It's a, it's kind of an out of body experience for sure. When I got the, you know, the news that I had booked it, it was like, it was surreal and it's been surreal ever since and get to work with, you know, Tara and gray. It's like, you know, they were like, they're icons, you know, in this whole world. So it's it's really cool. In um, Hero of the Year, we saw more meek, unsure of herself, Supergirl. Yes. She was still kind of like, you know, finding her place in the world. Um, in this uh, brain drain movie, is she in a more confident place? Definitely. You do, though, see some of her vulnerability, um, some of her naivete, um, because she's you know new to Earth. Um, she's really funny. The script is so funny. The movie's hilarious. A lot of laugh-out-loud moments. Um, she's definitely more confident, and she's just a lot more playful. Um, she she finds there's a lot of humor and how naive she is about certain things and she's still learning things about the world so um so there's a lot of jokes she's so funny in this i i'm i was so lucky to get to have so many jokes so we're reading the description of this and it seems like there's a lot of hijinks from the heroes in this particular movie so talk about working on the flip side of that a little bit i know that was really that's been really interesting so i'm like oh it's it's like uh we're more human in that way, right? It's like we're bringing in this, like, comedy to these superheroes and playing with some of their, like, um, I don't want to say weaknesses, but, yeah, the hijinks of it. So um, it was really interesting going from, you know, doing, like, really powerful, like, we're going to fight evil to getting to do a Lego movie where you're getting to bring in all this comedy and silliness and breaking the fourth wall and those winks to the audience and using the audience as another character. So I think with comedy, you're always, you're, you need the audience in a different way. Um, and so getting to have the audience be a character in it is, was really, really fun. Um, and again, for Supergirl's character, because she is so new and she has so many questions about the world and earth um, and getting to use that part of her personality to for comedy was really fun yeah so um, with it being a lego movie as well like you said they're more funny and like kind of silly um was there anything different about your process with uh building the voice and the character for this one her voice is a little different i mean because she is silly and naive um, I definitely brought an element more of um, probably a. She sounds. She might sound a little bit younger than she does. In the, you know, without the Legos um, and the DC superhero girls franchise, uh, she sounds a little bit younger because this is whole. I got to play on her naivete, so it's like I feel like her voice is a tiny bit um, younger. And it was a different process in the sense that I got to play into that. I feel like before it was like I was always fighting against her being weak because it's, you know, because she's new, she doesn't know a lot. So when she's fighting crime and fighting evil, it's like she has to step into this powerful place and sort of allow that other side of her to be left behind. And in the Lego movie, it's like she gets to use that. 
um, to for for her character. So it was it's still the same process because I'm kind of just like you know I read it over and I and it just kind of comes to you um, as you're reading the lines but it was a fun process to be able to use these different parts of her personality to form who she is so I feel like you get to see a lot of her and not just this kind of play back and forth between her being vulnerable and scared and weak and also stepping into her power she's weird and quirky and silly and a best friend and also this superhero so I feel like there's a lot of texture in her character in this so what's the best part about being a voice actress in a movie Ooh, good question okay the best part the best part I'd say is getting to play something that you wouldn't be able to play on camera you know if I was doing live action I may not be able to be you know as power. <laughs> oh, I could probably you know, you know look at that. That's pretty that's, that's, that's pretty, pretty good, good, right? I could do some push-ups. Um, but I may not be cast as that, but with animation it's like you get to play anything. You could play an old lady, you could play a little baby, you know, you get to play a superhero. There's so the world is so open to to whatever you want to do. You know, I feel like I don't know if you guys will agree with me, but on camera stuff they're like you're too likable to play a villain. Uh, you're too likable to play that girl. She's kind of like, no one likes her. She's mean. And it's like, now I get to play, I get to do villains and other, you know, in other animations and stuff. So the world is so fun. And then when you get to see her voice to the animation, it's like the best. Because you've been doing it blindly for so long, you know, just like hearing, you know, your voice director telling you, okay, you hit a light pole and then you're going to fall down and then you're going to tumble down the, you know, tumble down a big grassy hill. Then you're going to hit a car and then you're going to be dizzy and then you're going to throw up, you know? And you're like, okay, that's, you know, 15 things I have to do. And don't repeat any of the sounds. I'm like, okay, you know, and then you get to see it get to see your voice on you know a cartoon that's so fun and so funny and so empowering um it's really it's the best it's so cool yeah and you get to connect to your inner child which we have to all nurture you know every day we have to be good to ourselves are there any nods to the shorts or the previous film, or is it pretty self-contained? There are some nods, yeah. So the shorts, they kind of give you little pieces of the larger picture, um, but where it leaves off, you get a whole, a, a whole lot more. So the shorts, I feel like they did such a great job giving you a taste of what this movie is, um, and it's it's so um, satisfying seeing these shorts kind of pieced together in this bigger, larger picture. You talk about villains and doing different voices. Is there yeah. a voice that you haven't gotten to do yet that you're like, oh, I would so love to do that? Gosh. I I mean, Catwoman has always been my favorite growing up. Um, in the Adam West. Adam West, I was like, why does that sound so weird coming out of my mouth? Um, <laughs> it's early. Um, I grew up watching, you know, these powerful women play Catwoman and it was just so surreal because you know there aren't a lot of that was kind of like the super super woman this 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 force to be reckoned with that I sort of would grow up watching so I feel like her voice would be so 
fun, her character, someone who's like, you know, um, sort of going to manipulate people and, um, and trick people. I mean, that's so fun to get to play both sides of someone who's kind of sneaky. So, um, yeah, maybe you guys could put the word out there or something. Um, I would like to do Catwoman. Duly noted. Yeah, duly noted, right? <laughs> Could yeah. Oh, that's that like okay. Voice all day long. I could. I really could. Really? Yes. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yes. I, want, I want you as my ways. <laughs> oh, okay. I will never get you where you need to go. I mean, you're gonna be lost every time. I think you go right. <laughs> 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 I know. I don't oh, you should have made a left. Oh shoot, that's what it is. Yes. Whoops. You were supposed to go yeah. left there. Your turn. Your turn. Your turn now. <laughs> you're coming with me. Okay. Great. 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 Jeremy. Thanks, you guys. Thanks. Jeremy Adams, writer of Superhero. Oh, this, yeah, this is only Brain Drain. Yeah, you're brain Jeremy drain. Adams wrote Brain Drain. Let's just sit and talk with him for a while. I don't know. I'm just going to take a talk to myself. Keeping liquids away from your things. <laughs> that, that's very appreciative. <laughs> Hi, guys. How are you? Hi. Very good. Are you guys having a good con? Yes. yes. Oh, it is Sunday. Last day. It's Sunday, yeah. Thank it's a marathon this, yeah. this year. So, at what point in the writing process, did you know at the beginning this is going to be a Lego movie, or did you write this oh, yeah. as the next... Okay, well, no, no, absolutely, the yeah. It, um, they came to me and they wanted to do the Lego version of the DC Superhero Girls. And um, I have been doing Justice League Action and Green Lantern, the animated series, and some other stuff. And I am like, you know, I grew up with this stuff. It's like everything for me. And uh, I have a four year old girl and a one year old girl that I have spent all my paychecks on buying DC Superhero Girl stuff. So, you don't uh, get a discount? No, you would ah. think. And trust me, I try. <laughs> um, so it, it was like such a thrill. And like to be able to, like, work with Legos and like take those Lego sets and go okay how are we gonna what are we gonna do with this one you know and put it in there and then just being able to kind of you know the DC multi-universe of it all right and it's like get to do it a, a different take a little bit on on the characters and the DC superhero high there's a lot of fun that we can do with it and because it's Lego we get a we get licensed to be a little more silly than normal and uh, it's been a thrill man it, it really has been a lot of fun and uh, you know, I don't know, like, animation in itself is, like, the most collaborative thing I've ever experienced in my life. So I'll turn in a script, and I think, hey, this is pretty good, you know? And then Todd, the director, or Rick, the producer, or the storyboard guys will just, like, layer it with so much funny stuff, like gag, visual gags, and add little jokes here and there. And it's so great to be able to work on something where everybody gives something, and then what comes out is something great, you know? So... You talked about the sets, which I have yeah. some, mm -hmm. and they're a lot of fun to play with. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you came up with in your script that you're like, this has to be, they have to make this? They have to make this? <laughs> I'm trying to think, uh, because I know there's been a few times where we've done something, and they've been like, hey, that was so cool, we're going to try to put it in production. Some of that, I realize as I'm talking, is like... I don't think they've announced some of those yet. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. No, I, I wish I could tell you more. But um, basically, for me, I looked at it almost sometimes like an improv. Like, you, you go to those improv shows and people are like, uh, give us a location, you know, or whatever. Uh, I was like, what are the sets? Where, what are the sets? What can I use? And then, I, and then for me, I, I think I'm an outlier in this. I wanted to put everything, everything they had in there. Uh, whether it's the Lego DC Superior High School or Batgirl has this rad van in this thing that is just like, oh my gosh. And, and I, I, 
I don't know if it was a function in the toy, but I was like, this thing has to do everything that Batgirl can do, you know? And like Supergirl's boat has to do everything Supergirl. I know it has to. Like, you know, so, so, you know, I, I tried to take the stats and do what I, in my mind what I would want to do when I played with them when I was eight years old, which I still am. <laughs> so, um, most of the DC superhero girls universe has yeah. been written by Shay Fontana. Yeah. How was it coming into a universe that she has right. been so big a part of crafting right. and stepping in and writing this? Right. So Shay's done an amazing world, uh, created an amazing world, and we had a, like a slightly different tack. Like we, Lego wanted to do just a different tone. And I think maybe it's aged up a tiny bit, you know, in the snark and stuff. Um, but what's great is, uh, because Shay's, it's two separate entities, but it's the same. So she's done every, all the legwork, you know. I don't have to go, well, I don't know, what does what the high school look like? Or who are the teachers? Like, now nah, she's done that all. So she's, she's made my life way easier, <laughs> you know. And she's brilliant. So, uh, you know, being able to even take part in what she's done is, it's been a thrill. And she's just like the nicest person in the world. You know what I mean? So, so it's great. And she can only do so much. Like you can only do so right, much. Right. You know? She has so much. Yeah. And I'm like, now. listen, I, I still am in that stage where I'm like, I will never say no. But, <laughs> but, but at a certain point, you got to say no. I'm not there yet. But at a certain point. <laughs> As a writer, is there a certain freedom to that, though, where you're doing a Lego movie, it's going to yeah. be a little bit different. You kind of flip the script and feel like you can do your own thing, even though Shay has done so well with what she's done. Yeah. You can kind of do something that's a little offbeat, yeah. like them have, like the heroes having their own, you know, they can't remember what they had done yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. With brain drain. Well, what's great is uh, the people, the higher-ups, had told me they wanted to do a different take. And um, so they encouraged me to kind of play toward my strengths, which are which are like wacky, you know. I, I, you know, one of my favorite movies is like Big Trouble in Little China. Like I want that like yeah, nice. that driving, a lot of words, really fast adventure, and um, this allowed for that. Um, and as our first foray into it, I, I think we we're kind of learning it too. Um, but it was great because everybody just responded so well to it. And like I said, Todd Grimes, the director, he. Came, he came in, and you're always nervous as a writer, right? You turn in something, you're like, oh, please love me, you know, and, and everybody loves you, and, and then you're like, okay, here come the notes, you know, you're really worried. And his notes, and, and you're worried because you're like, oh, man, are these notes going to be bad? I really hope they're not bad. And then Todd's notes were like, let's put a joke here, and they're like super funny, and that's the best thing you can you can have as a writer is somebody that gets it and wants to do something more with it. And so I, I was lucky to work with these amazing people. They're really serious. Look at the credits. Ridiculous. Oh, right. yeah, yeah. So can you further elaborate on why it's called Brain Drain? Okay, well, it's called Brain Drain because the girls wake up one day and they everybody's kind of angry at them. And they're like, well, what happened? They've forgotten everything that had happened. And they have to figure it out. So it's kind of like their memory is wiped. So that was just another way of saying, hey, your this brain was great. Lego drained. hangover. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying I pitched it like that. But, <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we, we uh, brain drain was the one that kind of rolled off the tongue the easiest. And I think it describes like, oh, what happened to our brains that day, you know? So some of the cast members mm -hmm. you mentioned. Mm -hmm. You have some iconic cast members. Oh, yeah. You have Tara Strong and yeah. Greg Griffin, and they are powers in the voice acting world. Oh, my gosh. What was it like working with them? So, Gray was the voice of Aya on Green Lantern Animated Series, which was the first uh, stuff I ever got Love to write. That. Yeah. 
I'm still, I'm still mourning. Uh, yeah, and, uh, and so that was the first thing I ever got to work on. And uh, she is, you know, super multi-talented, you know what I mean? And, um, and Tara is everything, like, you know what I mean? Like she's, to me, she's Harley. You know, and yeah. and, and, and that's that's how it's always been. And there, and, yeah, right, see, yeah, <laughs> yeah and that's that. that's the weird thing. I got to tell you, one of one of my most fav- favorite things to do is being able to be in the booth and watch these people cut loose, and being able to see them play all these characters, and they'll run through the gamut of all the their different characters, and they're amazing. They're amazing. See, we're talking about how amazing you are, and you walk up. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> no, no, Gary. Sorry. Always great, buddy. Yeah. So, yeah, it's great. Thank you guys Thank so you. much. I appreciate it. Okay, I'm giving you Greg. Gray Griffin. Oh, great. Okay, okay. Don't, I won't talk about don't anything else. Me. Nothing. <laughs> Hi, guys. Hi. 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 Morning. Morning. Who's first? Um, I can start. You yeah. can go. Um, so, I know we're talking about this, but, like, you're doing this voice of this character that has just blown up it's been also it's like also the anniversary of wonder like all of these things are kind of happening does it feel like you know you just have way more pressure on you to always get wonder woman right (laughs) oh not pressure it's all wonderful especially after just a long career of you know wanting to i mean it's just great to get you know especially for a female character um and also i just had a daughter and I have two boys, and now I just had a girl, and all the, the swag that in stores, like, you don't have to even go looking for it. Like, all my friends sent me onesies that says, my mom is Wonder Woman, which for a regular little girl, you know, I mean, that's like, they're like, my mom's great. But no, they're like, no, but but your daughter can wear it. You're like, my mom is Wonder Woman. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's been fun. I just, I've loved the, you know, the, the accessibility to clothing and and dolls and, and I was saying like when I'm at Target I see DC superhero girls everywhere and I, I, I said like I'm not quite famous enough to like resist not buying everything that my character's on because I'm still blown away by it I'm like oh, I have pajamas oh my god there's a doll there's a purse you know and I had a cart full of stuff and then I went through the Target line and I'm like I'm Wonder Woman you're gonna go broke this year I know oh my gosh I know the lady just thought I was like not well so she was like oh yeah we all are you know, you know? and I'm like no but I anyway yeah <laughs> so what's the best part about playing such an iconic role model for little girls and uh, women? Well, um, it's about time that there's been a, a woman. Um, and I'm so glad that the movie was so good. There's Some of those superhero movies have lost me recently where I'm like, I hate to say that, but like, where I'm just like, I don't even know what's happening anymore. There's just so much. And, and it was an actually really good movie, so I was so glad that... Because, you know, when women fail at something... That, that studios tend to go like, oh, we can't do women movies anymore. <laughs> it's like, but man movies keep failing and we keep making man movies. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I was really glad that that, um, that, that, that it did so well. And, um, yeah, I just think like it's about time and it's just been sort of like a female consciousness in the air. I'm, I'm on a, I probably shouldn't talk about it, but I'm on a show called The Loud House on Nickelodeon and that's all female cast. It's a great, it's really fun, but it's all female and, and then just one brother and it's just, it's, it's great to kind of like, you know, just have so many great, strong females out there showing examples for little girls. And they said that like this Halloween was the first Halloween that a lot of little girls wanted to dress up like superheroes instead of like princesses and stuff, which was so refreshing. So, yeah. Have you gotten the chance to meet Gal Gadot yet? No, I would love to. Oh my gosh, she's 
It was almost distracting how beautiful she was in that movie. <laughs> I mean, I was paying attention to it, but every few minutes I was just thinking, she's beautiful. <laughs> and she just seemed so real and earthy and funny. And I mean, she just, she wasn't just a pretty face. I mean, she was, anyway, it was perfect, perfect casting. Yeah. Did you approach your character in this film any differently than you have with the shorts and then the previous film from last year, Hero of the Year? I feel like this one had like a little bit more humor in it. Lego kind of brought some, a little bit more irreverence and humor. And um, I love all the Lego jokes. I love all the hair, like the switching of it. It's just fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think she might have been a little bit more snarky. Not, not snarky, but um, it just seems a little bit more... I don't want to say risque either, but it's, I don't know. There's, no, 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 no. There's just, there's just, there's just yeah. things for the parents. I feel like it's, like it's got like some parent jokes in it. And as a, as, a, as a parent of three children, I really appreciate that. Because, you know, when you're watching something, you've got to have some kind of jokes that only you get. That's what I was going to ask you, because you're a mom, mm -hmm. and I'm a dad. And we both watch a lot of cartoons, I'm sure. So yeah. is, is that something that you kind of look for when you do a project like this and other projects that you've done? It's like, okay, this is great for the kids, but as an adult, I don't want to lose my mind watching this 75 times. <laughs> well, I I will do anything that they pay me to do. <laughs> but what I choose to play for my kids, like, I won't even, I mean, even the kid music, I... I, I never play it for my kids. If, if it's not something that I would want to listen to, I don't play it. You're I only so play. Oh, I see. But the thing is, you can't get them started on it. My friend started my her kids on like the Wiggles or something, and then she had to listen to that all the time. And I was like, nope. I mean, my son, when he, my ten-year-old, when he, when he was like two, I was putting him in his car seat, and he was like, I, I want Johnny Cash. I, I want Johnny Cash. And I was trying to get him to say please. So I said, You want Johnny Cash? What? And he goes, I want Johnny Cash. Live at Folsom Prison? <laughs> he didn't know what I was getting at. Like, what? Is, oh, what record? I don't know. Let me think about it. Um, yeah, but it was just really... Yeah, I only played music that I would want to listen to. So, yeah. So, but, um, how's the transition from a... what uh, Not Lego movie to a Lego movie? What's the transition? Yeah. Like, from, how like, for a traditional animation to doing a Lego movie. Oh, I don't think it changes much for me because because I'm just doing the voice, but I'm sure that it's a lot different for the animators. I really enjoyed all the little click clacking of their feet as they walked around. Like, you know, they, I, I love that they brought so much. And also, you know, it's kind of cool. I have two boys. I have a 10-year-old and a 3-year-old, and they um, love Legos. So anytime I get to do a Lego project, it gives me a lot of credibility with my boys. <laughs> um, in terms of kind of how you approach the character because she's a leader but she's still young she's mm -hmm. the same age as them like how do you kind of approach the character of Wonder Woman as a teenager well she Wonder Woman as a teenager is she's still got that awkwardness because she's well she's from this island she's like very unfamiliar with a lot of things and she's still kind of navigating that teen hierarchy and because she's such a leader I think it's she has to be careful about you know coming off as bossy or coming off as like someone you know there was accused women of being bossy just because they're a boss <laughs> which is sad um, but you know it, it's, it's teen girls can be really hard you know it can be it can turn on you in a second and a lot of times you know you know be cliquish and but it seems like you know she's really struck a balance between like being a, a, a loving supportive 
person in charge. So she she tends to lead firmly but fairly. <laughs> How fun is it to work with this cast in general, not just on this Brain Drain movie, but in DC superhero girls in general? Because it seems like you've got a really good group. We have a great cast, and I love doing press events with them because I actually get to see them. But honestly, yeah. our schedules are so crazy, or I don't know, my, my schedule's kind of crazy, and I always work by myself. I don't think I've... I've uh, Kevin maybe, Michael Richardson said the same yeah. thing the He's always, he's always, he's on like a million, zillion. I don't know how they book him at all. Um, but yeah, I, I think I've worked with Anais before, the woman who plays Supergirl. But it was very briefly and I hardly ever, it's usually by myself. So yeah, I wish I saw them more. Yeah. Wow. So one of the big themes yesterday in events I went to with Riverdale and Supergirl is that we are seeing more a trend of good female friendships mm -hmm. on TV and in media mm -hmm. instead of the catty friendships that we've seen over the past 20 years. And yes. I think DC Superhero Girls also does a great job with that. Yeah. How important do you think that is for little girls to see? I think it's wonderful because they're, you know, just my son, you know, being in school, I've seen, you know, a lot of like bullying and stuff. I was, I was ready for him to be bullied by boys his age, but you know, some of the girls can have been, it's been, I've talked to more girl parents than I ever have talked about boy parents. So it is, I think it's great if, if girls start seeing more positive female friendships. And also, you know, like 10 years ago, I remember it was cool for women, you know, my age to be like, oh, you know, I'm a guy's girl. Like all my friends are guys. And, but you know what? I have the most, most wonderful, I mean, I have wonderful male friends too but I have so many wonderful female friends that are just supportive and loving and and we celebrate each other's successes and um, yeah so I feel like it's a, probably a truer reflection of a more mature female friendship you know so hopefully they can get to that sooner now <laughs> by, by having it modeled for them early on um, have you had a chance to see the set that they're selling over at the Mattel booth no it's wonderful it's uh, Wonder Woman and Cheetah from DC oh, Superhero Girl and it has like a little comic on the box I where they're fight they have that. to fight together and they like come to a compromise oh. I've got to look at that. I haven't been made it out. I saw one. My son's on Instagram. He's an artist, and he um, there's a art, shag. There's this artist named Shag that follows him, and he follows. And so he doesn't like come to Comic Con. He gets a little bit. Uh, it's too many too many people for him. <laughs> but he said, please go see Shag and give him a hug. And so that was the one thing I did. I, I I went on the floor, but I went straight to that guy's booth and said, I'm Tex Hammond's mom, and he, and he was like, I know, I, I love his art, you know. And I got a picture with him and bought his stuff and had him sign it. So I got to be a fan for a minute and then run back to what I was. <laughs> is there still is there still a cool factor there among the kids like my mom's Wonder Woman my mom was one of the voices in Mortal Kombat you know kind of thing is the, is the cool factor there? <laughs> well I did see Texas Instagram post to this artist going my mom's gonna be at Comic Con she's gonna come see you she's Daphne and Wonder Woman <laughs> so he had to drop a little bit of that in there but yeah um, yeah I, I think my son's really into YouTube now like all of his heroes are on YouTube now so it's funny he even drew a picture of his favorite voice actress who's a YouTube star <laughs> named Brizzy. I don't know if anybody knows Brizzy voices, but she's nope. she's fantastic. I, I've i helped, I mean, I've actually helped her do when she came to LA because she was kind of a fan of mine, but the thing that made him think I was cool was when she did a tribute to my voices. He was oh like, my oh gosh. my God, Mom, Brizzy's doing you. She's doing all your characters. And I'm like, yeah, I, <laughs> I was like, never mind. Yeah, when he put his favorite voice actress with Brizzy's picture, all my friends were just like, oh, burn, you know, it's got to hurt, yeah, so, um, oh, wow. 
So, what has been your favorite movie to record out of the DC superhero roles franchise? This one was pretty fun. I'm not just saying that because we're promoting this one. <laughs> um, I because we lose our memory in it, and I have a lot of memory problems. <laughs> I just, I, and it's always, it's not like an old thing. Like I've always had memory problems, and I'll like work with people for years and not know their name. <laughs> like I've worked with people for like 10, 15 years, and I thought like. Gosh, that guy would be really heartbroken right now if somebody asked me what his name was and I wouldn't be able to tell them. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I related a lot with this one. And um, and Lego stuff is always fun. It's always fun to see ourselves a little different and see yourself as a Lego character. So, yeah, I think this one is my favorite. Yeah, I actually teach middle school, so uh -huh. a lot of the issues that you're talking about, I'm like, yeah, I see that every day. What sort of balance do they seek to have to talk about these issues but not make it too dark because there are some really tough things that go on. It's probably a real challenge for the writers. Um, they're a great group of people. Um, but there have been times when like I've gone, I've even I've changed the line a little bit just in my head, just not even thinking about it. And then they're like, we have to make sure to stick to this because we don't want it to seem too, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. And I also love that um, Wonder Woman in it when she, when she finds out her friend is responsible for you know, trying to control us, <laughs> basically. I don't know if I'm allowed to say who the character, but Lena Luther is, is ends up being like responsible for um, doing this. And I, and I love that you know Wonder Woman still is trying to reach out to her, not like not cut her off, not condemn her, not you know she's still trying to say like you can change, it's not too late, you know you can, you know we we still care for you, and it's nice that she's not completely abandoning her friend. So, um, but yeah, they do have to be careful about that for kids. Um, yeah. <laughs> when, since there's you're so, on so many things and there's probably like so much merchandise of you, like, <laughs> like when you like uh, are like playing with your kids, do you ever just like do the actual voices for them? I used to read stories for my ten year old and in the voices and stuff, and he hated it. Like when he was really little. Then when he knew that it was cool with his friends, he would go, like, do the voice, like, you know, if his friends were there. But, um, and my three-year-old does like the voices. My, my little, my girl's too small to know what I'm doing, but, um, but my three-year-old likes me. I, I mean, I don't do my voices that, of shows that I do, but we read this dump truck book and all the dump trucks have different voices and he thinks they're funny. And there's one that has, like, I'm like, I, you know, he's got, like, a run up, like, and then this, the, 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 the excavator. You know, and, he's, and my son's like, I feel like, you know, he does it I, I got a video of us both doing the voice. <laughs> yeah, so I do make it fun. But And then um, when my husband tries to read to him, he's like, no, mama. They want you to shut up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everyone does. Everyone does. I never will. The pleasure of my Comic-Con Sundays is having these two with me for the last three, four years. So. It's true. Everybody said they missed it when we do, us doing it together. Like, Timmy, and, Timmy and Vicky. Oh, man. <laughs> Get over here in your seat, twerp. Okay. <laughs> okay. Alright, have some fun with that. Yeah. I like your makeup. Thank you. You guys having fun? Yes. Yeah, it's Sunday. We're still here. It's all good. <laughs> I know, it's been a long weekend. <laughs> I mean, I got here, did you guys get here Wednesday? Yes. I got yep. here Thursday. Yep, Wednesday. It's been a long it's an endurance race. It really is. And my schedule's been so packed that I haven't had a minute to think. Yeah, like I saw you on Thursday morning. So. Right. Yeah. This to that to this to that to this to that and whisked around. I'm like, wow, I'm happy today is just this. And then I get to get in the car. Bye, night. <laughs> so you have played, I think it is, nine or ten different versions of Harley Quinn through various different things, video games and movies and TV shows. 
what makes this version so different than the rest that you've played? Well, the other versions are certainly much darker. This is for a much younger audience. The girls are in high school, so they're yet to be tainted by evil. <laughs> in fact, on the panel, they'll be like, what's it like to play the bad girl? I'm like, she's not the bad girl yet. She hasn't met the Joker yet. So they're still doing things that high school girls do. Like one of my favorite things about Harley, she's like, one day, look what I did to our room. Like she just redecorates the room. And like, you know, they're doing things that regular high school girls do. Um, so this version is much lighter and friendlier and sillier than the other ones that I do. So it's almost a different character. <laughs> like it's reminiscent vocally, but from a perspective of her inner dialogue, it's a different person. <laughs> yeah. On the flip side of that, Harley's best friend is Poison Ivy. So you get a chance to voice her in DC Superhero Girl. So what's it kind of like to kind of play your own best friend now? Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. It's so funny. Like I remember one time I put on my Twitter. There's a really cute picture of. Harley and, and Batgirl like at each other's throats and I was like and you think you have an identity crisis <laughs> um, so this is fun because in this version Ivy's very shy and sweet and quiet and so at least like there's never a chance that the voices are going to get confused because Harley's like so why loud. doesn't anyone want to talk to me they're bored of you why why don't you like me <laughs> do you have no questions for me who are you Anyways, they're just so different that they're never, it's never like a, a, a question of whose line, you, it's automatic that you know that's more of an Ivy line and, and when they're arguing it's like easy because it's like hardly so loud and Ivy so quiet so it's... <laughs> It's fun to play that back to back. Do you like do the Harley and Ivy in one sitting, or do you record your Harley stuff on one track and the Ivy stuff on another track? I think we've done it both ways, depending on how many lines. Like if maybe Harley is typically a heavier character in the in the show, so if there's a couple little Ivy lines, I'll do it in between. Um, but we've done it both ways, and I don't really have a preference because sometimes it's nice to stay in character for one character, but it's actually pretty easy for me to flip back and forth so I'm good if sometimes it's a preference for the editors of how they want to do it um what's it like because I grew up with your Harley Quinn and that was my introduction to the character what's it like seeing her like go to all these different mediums and sometimes she's you and sometimes she's not um and then I don't think you can go a day here without running to at least ten Harleys. I know, um, it's so like, great. Basically, you created this character that is ubiquitously loved across She's all media. She's so loved. You know, when I first joined the Batman world, when I was a kid, I collected Batgirl stuff. And then um, I grew up in Toronto, and I moved to L.A. Um, I booked Batgirl pretty quickly, and I was like, oh, my God, like, pinching myself. Here's Hamill and Conroy, and I'm like, wah, I could die tomorrow. Everything's good. Um, and also there was Arlene Sorkin, who actually Harley was originally created for, and masterful actress. I adore her so much. And then when they went to video game, they wanted something different. And um, you always want to make sure when you're taking over another role that it's not a deal thing, a money thing, because sometimes they'll say, oh, we're making billions of toys, but we only want to pay you scale. <laughs> if you won't do it, we'll find someone else to match you. So you want to make sure it's not that situation, which it wasn't. This was they like, really wanted more like highs and lows and craziness. And like, um, so they said, we don't want you to copy Arlene. I'm like, oh my gosh, like everyone knows that voice. Are they going to embrace my version? So it was very big shoes to step into and daunting. Um, but she still had so much love already. And then there was like a new love when Arkham City came out. 
and then people were sort of embracing my version, which I'm so grateful for because you really never know. Um, and I just see the growth. She's exploding. I mean, obviously, Suicide Squad was another thing that put her on the map. And yesterday, I was at the Harley panel. I surprised the fans and dressed up. And yeah, nice. yeah. And like, we took a picture. It's on my Twitter if you look at it of like all these Harleys, and it was just so kick-ass. It was really good. So I feel very blessed to be part of it. And now I get cranky if someone else does it. <laughs> now I feel like it's mine. You know, well, maybe. when Arlene retired from the role, yeah. she doesn't want to do it. Yeah. So, and, but she was and is an amazing actress. Now I get mad. I think fans get cranky when you yeah. don't do it. Actually, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. That's when people just make <laughs> that we can kill them for later. So, what's the most good about being an icon to young women? Have you noticed that? <laughs> My sister. His sister. <laughs> you're, 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 you're her Harley Quinn. Oh, I love when little girls look up to stuff that I do. And, and Superhero Squad is a, a great role model for kids, boys and girls. There's obviously a lot of women, you know, empowerment, but there's also some great boy characters in there. Um, and it feels really good to be inspiring um, kids to do good and think about the planet and do good things. And I love all the little cosplayers. You see a lot of people dressed up as Harley and Ivy. And I love all the little ravens and stuff. It's so cute. So I like that. You have played so many characters over the years. Do you have a favorite? <laughs> such a good question. It's almost <laughs> like asking who's your favorite kid. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite jobs was <laughs> right? uh, The Little Mermaid 2 because I got to sing with Jodie Benson and when I was a kid I was such a fan of The Mermaid so I was like oh wow that's so cool. But then like I said Batgirl happened and then Harley and Powerpuff Girls and Rugrats. I was like oh my god uh, Fairly Odd Parents. Like these roles are so fun. You know Teen Titans. I don't know like what horseshoe I was born under but all these roles are such iconic amazing characters that I, I I just feel so blessed to get to get to play. Um, there is a Batgirl in the DC superhero girl mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, slightly different because she's yeah. like teenage right. and everything. Yeah. How do you uh, like that voice? Well, it's funny. I really do get annoyed when I'm not Batgirl or Harley. Like, because you feel like an ownership. Like, when you become this character and put your own self into it, like, Powerpuff Girls was a really rough one for me because that was mine from the start. And it's very collaborative to make that character so beloved. And it's, you know, it's the animation, it's the writing, it's the acting. It all goes together. So when that's, like, taken away, you, you really feel hurt for hurt. But for some reason, the Batgirl version, this doesn't bother me because she's so different from any Batgirl I've played. All of my Batgirls have been very dark. And as a fan, I actually prefer dark. Like, I love The Killing Joke so much. I love that movie so much. And and there was a really dark Harley movie I did. It was a Bruce Timm vision. I don't know if you saw it. It was a short where they were, she was kind of a Chicago, but she was worse than the Joker. It was awesome. Like, I really like the dark stuff. So, like, if this was, like, a regular Batgirl, I think I'd be annoyed. But this doesn't even feel like my Batgirl, so she, I'll let her have it. <laughs> Very generous. <laughs> okay, you can have that one. 
<laughs> well, this this might not be so different of a project for you being Harley because it's brain drain and they they don't remember what they did and mm. apparently they were up to no good. But that's like a regular day at the beach for Harley. So yeah, was, she doesn't remember anything. <laughs> was it not different for you at all, or was not it really? Like, oh, it's another day with Harley. It's funny. It wasn't really different from an acting standpoint, especially from the series because it's just a continuation of the series in a much bigger picture. But um, it was interesting to watch it to kind of watch these characters that now we know to be good doing other things and at first I forget you know when you do a voice for something and then you do all these other things and it's months or a year later that it's released you forget and so I was like oh why is Bumblebee doing that like it took me a minute to remember that they were being mind controlled even though it's called mind control um, um, so I think for me it was more like watching it was the surprise rather than acting it because for me it was just sort of these organic moments that happened and, and then just seeing it later was like oh that's different which is funny because you know, Harley is a bad girl now. Poison Ivy's bad now, so it's funny, but... Right. So, the other direct-to-video DC movie that came out this weekend is going back to the Bruce Tim universe that you played Batgirl in. Mm -hmm. Would your dream be to go back to that universe and play both Batgirl and Harley in a movie? That would be amazing. That'd be really amazing. I'd be honestly honored, like... You know, they, they were you guys at the DC panel, the 30 years panel? That I dressed up as Batgirl for that was really fun. They showed a movie, um, a montage clip during that panel of all the movies that Bruce and them have, have put together and created. And I had Conroy sitting beside me, and I honestly got teary. Like, it's, I feel so, so lucky to be a part of this crazy, iconic world. Like, anytime I get asked to do Batgirl or Harley is happy day for me even if it's like people think oh you must make so much money on this design and I'm the kind of person by the way believe it or not I don't care about money I don't know what I make I don't like money like I don't like talking about money which I mean like I obviously like being able to provide for my family but people are like you must have made so much on Rugrats I have no idea how can you have no idea because my husband my financial people they take care of that I'm in the moment for this and I really love what I do so much and I love love playing these roles I just did a Harley for a ride uh, for, I don't know, Six Flags somewhere. And there was another actor in the room, I'm not going to say, said, hey, are you doing that ride thing? And I said, yeah. I'm like, yeah, well, I was going to do it, but it was really crappy money. I'm like, yeah, but we're on a ride. <laughs> I, was like, I was so excited that I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. I just, I'm like a little kid, you know, yeah, let's, let's do that, let's do that. So. You do so many voices. Is it, do you find that like sometimes you're just like, walking around or just flipping through the channels and then like all of a sudden you just hear yourself back oh yeah I'm on TV every day I can't get away from me <laughs> it's actually funny when I travel somewhere and see it like in a hotel especially if it's like another country you know even going down to Cabo you know and you're like oh you know, there's like a Nickelodeon channel or whatever, and it's Timmy, <laughs> but dubbed or whatever. Like, I it's just I get a kick out of seeing me any anywhere. It's just fun. Well, you seem to just genuinely enjoy all of the roles that you do, and you talk about the not caring about money thing, and I think that kind of comes off because you always do these goofy Instagram videos and Twitter videos. Yeah. Where you're doing your characters' voices like to your dogs and stuff yeah. like that. I love those. <laughs> Does it just Thank organically you. come out of you? Oh, all the, the time. All the time. Those, ask those kids. I, it's nonstop voices. Like, I have no control. And it was the little one, if you saw my tweet, that's like, Mom, I really don't know what your real voice is. <laughs> I'm like, oh, poor kid. <laughs> Has there ever been 
you played so many great roles, and you know, and there's so much you have the affinity for. Has there ever been the one that got away, the one that you really, really like, one that you auditioned for that you? This couldn't... just happened to me. I just oh. I tried out for um, Miss Piggy and Gonzo for the new Muppet Babies, no. and I did so good, and I didn't get it. So no. somebody needs to be killed. What is wrong with those people? Can I hear your Miss Piggy voice? Okay, me. She was really cute. She was like that. And baby Gonzo was like that. Oh my god. How did I not book that? How did this not happen? <laughs> Something is wrong in the universe. I didn't even know they were making it. <laughs> I did, but now I'm angry. Yeah. Yeah, now we're angry together. Well, just we'll, once we find out who's cast, we'll cut those break lines. Exactly. You know, this conversation. You know what's really funny about fans like doing stuff for you? We did this pony panel the other day. And Lee Shriver is the bad guy in this movie. And so he surprised the fans and came out with like a little mask on or whatever and then took off the mask he was sitting, taking questions. And because there's been fan art already, some of the fans know what's coming and who he is. And there was a guy dressed like him. And he got up to the mic and he said, I am here to do your bidding. What is our next move? Right? <laughs> and Lee was like, let's lay low a little bit, buddy. <laughs> you know, because I think he was worried like this guy was going to go do something. He's like, I'll meet you outside. Come up with a plan later. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Have there been any roles where your idea of a character may not have jived with direction given? Or yeah, perhaps a lot. That happens at least once a week with me. And I think it's par partially because, like you say, I love these characters so much. So if there's someone new coming along or someone that doesn't know the franchise, and sometimes there's too many cooks in the kitchen or someone that shouldn't really be directing. Like, I think Butch Hartman is like one of the most iconic people, but also a danger because he can draw, write, act, direct. He can do everything. So other writers think they can do that too. And sometimes they can and sometimes they can't. So they'll sometimes give us someone that's like, I can direct. And they're like a writer that doesn't know how to speak to actors. And they'll say things that is like frustrating. Like, we need that more squiggly. Like, that's not a, I don't, that word doesn't make sense to me. So, and sometimes they'll over direct to sort of prove their position to the network people. And I'll be like, that is not how Raven would say that. And they'll be like, can you, can you do, you know, Twilight like this? Let's get out of here. I'm like, and they want me to copy them. And so some, once in a while I'll get so frustrated that I'll copy them in an annoying way. Let's get out of here. And they're like, that was perfect. I'm like, that's not how she would say that. And I get really annoyed because like I said, I'm so attached to these characters. I'm like, I know how to, I know how to do her. You don't know how to do her. Do you kind of just default to Harley in those moments? Like you're just like. Sometimes my inner Harley comes out a lot, but I'm always really nice. Like I'm always really well behaved, but I do have brain a lot. <laughs> what I'd like to say and what I say are sometimes two different things in the studio. <laughs> That'll be the next level. Yeah. By Tara Strong. So speaking about the default Hurley, do you ever accidentally like slip into one of your voices? Just like say All like you're talking to someone the and then you like, change voice? All the time. All the time. <laughs> I like to do it to telemarketers. <laughs> But like they watch me at the time the boys like watch this, especially if it's like seven o'clock, like dinner time, right? Hello! Is your mom there? No, she's dead! I'm all by myself! <laughs> no, it's fun. <laughs> fun to do that. If it wasn't for intellectual property, that would be like a good podcast, like Tara Strong's telemarketer calls. Right. <laughs> yeah, I should start recording that. There's a hilarious. YouTube channel on that somewhere. Yeah, yeah right? It really is. Hmm. <laughs>
Yeah, maybe fair use or something you can yeah. around that on yeah. YouTube. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> what's your fun. favorite show that I do? Probably this. Oh, really? More than Teen Titans? You like Teen Titans Go? It's pretty good. Pretty good? You like this better? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Man who knows what he wants. I like that. <laughs> I, we read your filmography at the airport, and I said, just so you know, she's been in a million things. <laughs> you just probably haven't recognized her, but it's all her. <laughs> yeah, I usually get a con, thank you for my childhood. Yeah. You know, I'll be like, wow. Well, to me, you're bubbles. Yeah. yeah. Yes, me too. <laughs> yeah, and Timmy Turner. And, yeah. And Batgirl. Yeah. Her favorite Batgirl. I'm still waiting for a Batgirl year one, and I hope that... After Wonder Woman came out, I asked Bruce Timm and he said there's just no chance. Not the movie, but the direct-to-video, and so I feel like now is the time to capitalize on that. Yeah, I do too. I think they're kind of open to... I mean, Bruce is such a big Batgirl fan, and I think I think he would be open to doing more stuff with her. I think that'd be cool. Done? Come with me. Okay, thanks guys! <laughs> Bye! Thank you, Tara. Thank you. Rick Morales, producer on Brain Drain. So, why a Lego movie? Why not? <laughs> um, well, first of all, what are we talking about here? <laughs> superhero girls. Okay, what Lego are... DC superhero girls. I was going to see how long we could play this off. Like, what do you feel you the guys characters' have me at a greatest, bit of a disadvantage like, greatest strengths and weaknesses are in the movie? You know, and how do they solve the conflict? <laughs> <laughs> Lego movies. And then you're, you're like, you're like, wait, but gosh, uh, this yeah. is to both of them. Supergirl or Shaggy? Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, both. You know, they're, they're going to team up, right? <laughs> uh, Wait, uh, they're doing that? Oh. No, the, we are not announcing the, anything, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Almost Next got it. Next thing you know, yeah. credits. That's right. All right, wait, what was the question? <laughs> uh, why? So why a Lego movie for DC Superhero Girls? Um, I, I think, honestly, it's just the, the, the uh, DC Superhero Girls property was a big thing, you know? And I think... Uh, I think the opportunity just presented itself to, to do some more Lego stuff, and, and why not, you know? It's a good fit. I think it's a good fit for these girls. It's, it's definitely a different... Um, it's definitely very different than the Lego Justice League stuff that we've done. I think it's, um, in a way, it's, it's quicker, um, and it's, it's uh, a little more irreverent. I think the humor is a little bit um, sharper, in a way. Um, just, just saying that the, the Lego Justice League stuff is a little bit more gag oriented, and um, you know, takes cues from like Looney Tunes and things like that, you know. And this is uh, uh, this is a little bit more pop culture references and you know, stuff like that. So it's, it's different tonally. You're actually turning things on their heads in this in brain drain because you've got these heroes that have suddenly woken up and realized they've done some things that they don't remember. So what was it like to kind of turn that on its ear a little bit and be able to do that with characters like Supergirl and Wonder Woman? <laughs> well, I think it was fun to kind of kind of play with them. You know, I mean, uh, um, to show well, what do they do when they when they go bad? You know. Um, and uh, I think there's some there's some good fun to be to be had with that. Uh, so that was fun. I mean, I think just the interaction that these girls have, uh, uh, Supergirl, Batgirl, Wonder Woman, um, they're just fun to watch together. You know, and the actresses um, are great. I, I love Anaïs's uh, voice for Supergirl. Yeah, you know, she's uh, she's just got this really great raspy 
quality to it, and she's, you know, she's amazing. So, how much funnier do you think this movie will be compared to the other DC superhero girl movies and comics? I don't know. That's a tough one. You're gonna have to tell me. <laughs> I, you know, at a certain point, you kind of like you've been working on these things, you know, and 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 the thing that you thought was funny in the writers' room, you know, a year and a half ago, you don't see it anymore, you know. And um, I mean, I've, I've I've been in in too many of these where I'm like, that's not funny, and then the crowd erup erupts, and you're like, oh, okay, I guess it was funny. I yeah. <laughs> so. so um, you know, I, you gotta. I, for myself, I I leave it to the audience. Let them decide. They'll tell me. <laughs> I know you said you couldn't give, you know, too many future projects away. But you know, um, with what you're allowed to say, what's coming down the line for the DC Superhero Girls franchise? Because it's taken off in a way that people have not expected. Well, I mean, you know, as as you said, like I'm not I'm not really at liberty to to talk about it. I mean, I think generally you could expect to see more in that vein in some in some respect um, it's pretty, probably a pretty good assumption based on its you know success um, but specifically as far as you know what what we're doing and uh, it would be fun most of the DC superhero girls line has been written by Shay Fontana did you reach out to her first and get declined or did you go right to Jeremy <laughs> before no no um, so the thing is is um, uh, it's kind of you're kind of working with two different branches you know what I mean I mean there was some there was some overlap as far as um, dealing with you know Jen Coyle on you know um, but that was very preliminary stuff this is like a completely different world you know so the only thing really that I think you should kind of expect to, to cross over from that is um, is some of the design, some of the look, you know. Um, other than that, you know, it's Jim Krieg and uh, Jeremy Adams have been writing a lot of the Lego stuff, and it just makes sense to continue them. They have such a familiarity with it, and it really is a learning curve to to write for Lego, you know, as opposed to kind of anything else. So, um, so we're fortunate to have them. We're talking about this. Go ahead. So what's your favorite part about producing one of these movies? My favorite part? <clears throat> I think it's working with everybody. It's working with all the artists. Um, um, my, fa my actual favorite part of the entire production is probably um, mixing. Is probably doing the sound and, and, and the music mix. Um, it's just a lot of fun to get in there and really see it kind of finally come together you work on these things for a year and you know you're, you're seeing them in various stages of completion and that's the point where you're like okay I know what we've got now you know um, so so that's the fun part seeing everything kind of come together I love working with you know the artists and the voice talent and stuff like that I mean uh, I'm really fortunate to to get to you know produce these things um but um, I think, you know, for myself, I, I still love drawing. I still love getting in there and doing some design stuff and working on the storyboards and, and all that. You know, I, it's, it's the thing that I got into this for. So, Somebody had said something about, um, just a couple minutes ago, the surprise at how 
quickly this DC superhero girls thing kind of blew up and kind of just became so popular. Do you feel that way about the Lego movies you all have been doing in general? Like, wow, I can't believe these things are so as well received as they have been over the years. Well, you know, I guess I haven't really thought about it because I, since I started in, what was that, 2013 or 12, it's just been full steam ahead. But, um, but it is pretty amazing that we've continued to do as many of these for as long as we've as we've done them. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's uh, it is pretty astounding, really, because I mean, you know, you get a uh, a series uh, for you know Cartoon Network or something like that, and you might go three seasons at if you, if you have a really good run, you know. And um, and here we are. Uh, I've been working on Lego stuff since you know, for four over four years now. So that's you know. It's a pretty decent run on these yeah. things. Yeah. Five years. <laughs> it's, starting to, it's starting to run together. Yeah, yeah. it is. It really is. Yeah. So you mentioned the voice cast a little earlier. Mm -hmm. The voice cast of this movie in the DC Superhero Girls world overall is such a talented cast with so many icons of the voice acting world. Yeah. What's it like working with those types of icons? Well, I mean... I, I, I really enjoy it. I, you know, we have a, uh, a voice director who is involved, you know, with this. Her name is Colette Sunderman, and she does a fabulous job uh, in the booth and just corralling all this talent, scheduling them, all that stuff. All the, you know, I get to just kind of go in to the booth and watch them perform and say, I like that, I don't like that, whatever, you know. But, um, but Colette really does a lot of that you know, legwork for it and, and really is, um, you know, intimately connected to the, to the voice actors. I, you know, whenever you get, you know, someone like Tara in there and she's just watching her work, you're like, this is awesome. You know, I, 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 she knows the characters. She knows what she's doing. This is, it's, it, it just becomes fun as opposed to trying to like pull something out of an actor that isn't there. All these great, you know, th these are pros. <laughs> and they, so they know what they're doing and it's it's good to watch them work you know? is there a lego movie that hasn't been done yet that, you, that your thoughts are going I, how have we not done this yet or this set of characters yet um <laughs> there always is i mean <laughs> there always is and like i said like it's always the one in front of you you know like that's the revelation like wait we haven't done this yet it's so you know I, I can't talk about any of that because it may or may not be something I'm working ah, on currently but, <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah there's definitely stuff um, within the broader DC universe that hasn't been covered in Lego yet even though we've done a bunch of these and 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 some of it's like a head scratcher like how did we not do that yet so, are there any challenges innate to a Lego movie that you won't run up against with any other film that you could do? Yeah, everything. I, I, everything. The character animation, the uh, the way that you the way that you write for it, the way that you build and design everything for it. I mean, um, I like uh, when I first started. Uh, I was working with Brandon Vietti on the first uh, Justice uh, Lego Justice League thing, and it was uh, just come off of Beware the Batman directing on that and and i thought to myself well i'll direct this lego thing and it'll these characters are easy to draw and it'll just be like this quick thing and 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 uh, 
a little less pressure and, and it'll be a nice change of pace and then I'll get on back to the action stuff and boy was I wrong <laughs> the, the those little minifigs are a lot more complicated and um, you know intricate than what you would actually imagine they look like they're just these you know really simple shapes to draw or whatever and they are but then there's you know how you can move them how you can bend them how you can twist them how you can get them to animate what whether they can or can't come apart um you know how to build everything in lego i mean i think that all of us that have been working on it for the the past number of years have become kind of you know are at least working our way towards being lego master builders because you start to you you have to know all the parts Mm -hmm. or at least the majority of them you start to know what all the little bricks are i mean uh on a daily basis I'm in there talking to designers and they're designing you know vehicles and and we're we're having to you know figure out how to engineer these things to actually work with with Lego bricks so so you have to have a functioning knowledge to say like well we need we need this particular piece here and then you can hinge it and that can stick on the side happens a lot so cool thank you very much thank you guys so there was a, a final embarrassing moment from Josh, and uh, as Anais Fairweather was walking over, he goes, Greg Griffin, and of course this is an earshot of the main PR guy, and he said, no, this is Anais Fairweather, and then, you know, Anais says something like, oh, I wish I were Greg Griffin, and then the PR guy goes, no, you don't, so then it was like super sad, and meanwhile, I'm saying, no, 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 it's not, but there's another embarrassing Josh moment. Uh, Dave Shutton, Springfield Daily Shopper. Who are you? Where are you going? No, do your research, Shutton. Afterwards, we went over, and we as in uh, Josh, Ben, and I all went over to watch the world premiere of the DC Superhero Girls, the Lego one, Brain Drain, and uh, then there was a panel, a short panel afterwards, and uh, I enjoyed it, fun as always, but I think I liked the other interpretations better i think i liked the hero of the year better overall but that might be something that i later on do a review of and uh, i still recommend catching it and there's still there's still fun to be had it is a little bit like the hangover meets dc superhero girls Eh, maybe maybe not but uh i do encourage you to watch it and i think you know this this product this line really continues to hold up and and i enjoy it afterwards Don had met us up at the at the very end, and uh, Josh and Ben had left to try to get Tara to call Ben's sister, who really loves that version of Harley Quinn. And Don and I ended up sitting at a Harry Potter, like a fan panel, and some people, they're in charge of maybe fan leagues or fan fiction, or they're doing fan films and things like that. There was the writer of the very potter musical there and so they kept mentioning about the the cursed child and all this and and lots of people are bitter about the i guess the continuity or that it's not a canon and all these things and then someone was going to say something and said you know how many of you have read the cursed child and of course people raise their hands how many of you haven't and and don and i raised our hands and unfortunately we're in third row so this guy who's written the nick lang i think his name is who's written the very potter musical zeroes in on us and specifically don and he's saying well i can't say anything now because this guy hasn't read it there's a girl next to me who's saying he's fine he's fine all of this stuff and he tells don like put your 
hands over your ears. And so this guy starts talking about stuff. And the next thing I know, I look over at Don and his hands literally are on his ears and I start losing it. I've never been in a panel, I think, where Don has been called out. And I don't think he's ever had that experience as well. So that was probably my most... uh, That was a hilarious moment. After that, you know, we're mid-afternoon and it's the convention hall usually closes rather early. I think it's 6 on Sunday. So I ended up just walking around with Dawn and, and, you know, kind of shopping, kind of not shopping. And we were going to meet up with uh, someone, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Taylor, later on who's um, sort of in our podcasting circle. And, yeah, so just walking around, perusing, looking at things, chatting with Dawn. I did end up getting to – I really did not shop much at all. I mean, I looked at things, but I just – sort of closed down my wallet, I think, and and didn't didn't really get anything. I had not the entire con gone to the teacher tower, which is style and online, and so I decided I wanted to go and and check those things out. I've sort of seen things before, but sometimes they get new things in. I ended up getting a Moon Knight shirt, and you get a deal if you get more than one, so I was kind of looking around, and we were going to get a, a gift for Dustin that said Team Betty, because he recently revealed that he he's a Betty guy from Archie, uh, but unfortunately, they, they were all out of his size, but I looked around, and I saw a Kingpin shirt, and I thought, oh my goodness, this would be amazing, because I, I always go, would you believe the Kingpin, and I... But, He's just a cool guy. Plus, I don't have any villain T-shirts. And so I go up to the salesperson, and I I asked if I could see the Kingpin shirt. And uh, she says, which one? And I said, it's the one above the Daredevil shirt. It's like one tier up. And then she goes, the fat man? And I pause, and I'm like, yes, the fat man. So poor Kingpin. He's not even legit enough to be known by being the kingpin and and how he looks but he's got to be known as the fat man i did try to defend him and say it's all you know he only has two percent body fat but i don't think she cared at all so after that we we hung out my low i guess well actually my lows happened on sunday here two lows the low that means probably the least is that I was unable to go to the old spaghetti factory, which all five days I was like, could we please go to the old spaghetti factory? And unfortunately, the line was too late. One of our members of our little group had not eaten all day except for breakfast. Hey, man, you got something to eat up in there? We hungry. And I thought, you know, I'm fine to wait, but really this person should not wait so we ended up going back to the hard rock and uh so that was the last time that we had the hard rock of course and the other thing that means a little bit more and it was a little scary is everyone it's six o'clock you're kicked out of the exhibition hall outside flood of people i mean it's basically you know thousands of people who have now since exited the exhibition hall they want to move. I, I can't remember what hall we were at. We might have been at A. We were probably at a pretty far end, A, B. I, I don't know. But we had to go down. I can't remember where the crossing is. It might be C, D, E in order to cross the street. So you've got all of these people who want to do the same thing as well as people who are waiting in line for the bus because the bus routes are also on the side of this sidewalk here. So we're not moving. I, I, it seemed like it was doing okay. Like, you would wait for maybe a couple minutes, and then you would shuffle forward a few paces. But then it was just sort of like shutting down. We were not able to move. There's a cop that's on the roadway, 
who and and I just want to express that this roadway is distinct from the actual street but it is a roadway it just is sort of cut off you've got like street you have a fence then you have this bus lane and then you have the sidewalk you have the convention if you can picture it that way so he's yelling at everyone to get off the sidewalk because it's not moving the sidewalk's not moving so people are on the bus lane trying to get and he's yelling at them because you know this is dangerous they're in the bus lane there are buses there and and they they could move suddenly at any moment or pull through so he's yelling at lots of them so the first thing was uh this one guy goes through which there had been maybe one other person who tried to like move past but he was pulled off by the cop and like put back on the sidewalk so this other guy though was told to be on the sidewalk and he like goes either around the cop or in front of him and just keeps on walking he on the bus lane so the cop yells at him pulls him back and gives him a ticket and which you know i think oftentimes you need an example because at one point the cop did say like you need to be on the sidewalk this man's getting a ticket for doing what you're doing that sort of thing at first the guy didn't even want to give up his id and so that's a no-no because of course you can be arrested for that so finally the guy does cough up the id and the entire way time that this cop is writing him up this other guy's giving him lip and i mean blatant disregard anyways of what the cop did i think this is just case in point of you know cops are not respected and here he he just keeps going um then later on he's like almost not going to sign this and he's saying you either sign it it's not admits of guilt but you need to sign it that you got it or we can just pack you up and haul you off to jail now and this guy's like trying to figure out what the best choice is give me a break so that that was bad meanwhile so this is going on meanwhile there's like a violent altercation i guess i'll say semi-violent because no punches were thrown though it's getting pretty close near me don and i were close um i broke my you know no touching rule because uh, you know really physical touch is not my love language but i'm you know holding on to don because i don't want to be separated by from at least one person so i said don just so you know i, I may at one point you know hold on to you and josh ben and and Jeffrey were were farther off and holding up this Harley Quinn bat that that Ben had got, and uh, so we could keep in visual range of them at least. But at one point, this man is like shoving this woman, and then I look away and it got really violent. Like this woman was really shoved, and then the man like ran off. Before the shove, like the big shove happened, this woman was saying something like, I've been standing still for 10 minutes and, I, you know, I'm going to move. So I don't think that the woman deserved to be shoved, of course. But I was thinking to myself that, number one, you're not the only one lady who's been standing here for 10 minutes. And number two, we have all stood in line for a panel for longer than 10 minutes. So um, I just feel like tensions, tensions were high. We finally were able to move, and it was bad because the cop, after a bus had left, the cop let people go on the sidewalk, and then that guy who just got a ticket like went right towards the cop and started yelling because they were being allowed to do exactly what he did, but he got a ticket for it, and that was scary, but we were moving at least. And then there was another shoving match, and all these shoving things were happening between men and women. It wasn't a man and a man or a woman and a woman. It was a man and a woman. It was so weird. But those things sort of make me 
anxious, right? I didn't sign up or pay money for a ticket to go to a mosh pit. So I wasn't really inclined to get beat up in this instance. And, you know, you would also hope that everyone who has just had this shared experience of the convention would be happy, maybe. Um, and where really are they are they going to go? It's not like they've got a panel to get to or something because it's all done. So, you know, patience and loving one another. But th- those were my lows of, of Sunday. But the rest of Sunday is just pretty lazy um this is when we just hang out and chat about what has happened after after during dinner and and after dinner and we watched we were going to watch teenage mutant ninja turtles 2 secret of the ooze but we ended up watching uh, a couple simpson episodes and then an episode of bob's burgers because Don has been getting into that and so he recommended that uh for us but that was basically it we spotted the ocean The head of the trail Where are we going? So far away Somebody told me This is the place Where everything's better And everything's safe Walk on the ocean, step on the stones, flesh becomes water, wood becomes bone. Half an hour later, we packed up our things, said we'd send letters,
unfortunately, Monday is, you know, you start getting sad on, on Sunday because everyone's going to be leaving you the next day. Monday, Don was uh, the first one to go. We ended up hanging out uh, and watching Who Shot Mr. Burns two-parter all together. And then Don left, and uh, Josh, Ben, and I ended up going to Aquatico, which is a water park. And we hung out there and then came back, and we walked down to the empty convention center and, and walked back uh, So for some exercise as well as just to see what a ghost town it is throughout. And then we both had a 10.30 p.m. flight, which are awful. Oh, man, because you're just so messed up. So... We actually had the same flight. We didn't get to sit together. I slept a little bit during the first flight, and then we both landed in uh, Washington, D.C. at about 6.20 or so, and then we hung out, and then we had to separate and go to our different gates, and then I had my, my last two legs, I guess, you know, flying back to Richmond and then, of course, driving from Richmond. And, uh, yeah, Tuesday was just uh, some napping and sleeping and taking it easy and probably Probably the first thing I did was watch Game of Thrones episode number two because I didn't want to be spoiled and I was super nervous about finding something out. So that was, you know, what I did. And then also just thinking about planning this particular episode. And that's where Monday leaves us and the con left us as well. So that's basically it for this episode. You have endured listening to my diary of events. You've endured audio clips as well as wacky clips and musical clips which try to describe the different days or they had something to do with what we were doing with the days or they were just a random inside joke. It's yours to guess. Thank you for listening. Who knows how long this is going to be? You can either point and laugh at me and say, I told you so, or I can claim victory is mine because I beat Hamlet. Who knows? But as always, you can send any questions or comments to BackworldOracle at gmail.com. Like the show on Facebook or follow it on Twitter at BackworldOracle. Follow the Batman Universe on Facebook and Twitter as well. Support the Batman Universe by subscribing to Patreon. And once again, thanks to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Backroll the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. And until next time, fly on, Babs lovers. Just plain Barbara Gordon masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Ah, I love a happy ending, don't you? Thank you.